At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Warmer from Vivo! Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peters. And now part of the Beast and Family of Podcast. We are going to be keeping it nice, simple, and fun on today's podcast as it's just picks and analysis on every single game on the Saturday college basketball betting board. Hopefully I did not miscount, but I am seeing 144 games in total as we hit some bank shots and it's going to be relatively commercial free. We're going to have two breaks in between what is probably going to be Right around about a five or so hour podcast. The goal is to make it a little bit shorter, but these podcasts tend to be quite long just because you get so many games. I do have to speed up a little bit with these breakdowns in comparison to most days as a result. But that said, it is still a relatively new year. We're only about three weeks through, so I want to make you guys as much money as humanly possible to start off the year 2023 and just give you guys breakdowns on all of these games. And if you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. All right, introductions are all done. The extra games, which are involving the America East, the Southland, the SWAC, the MEAC, the Northeastern Conference, the Patriot League, those are going to be at the bottom, the Big South as well. So those are going to be out of time order. Everything else relatively is in time order. Sometimes you will see a small flipper Sometimes you'll get like a game that tips at 3.30 and it'll be in with like the four window or something like that. But that said, it's in relative time order from there. But you've got the smaller conference games at the bottom and those will be covered in the final segment here on the podcast. So do note that and... I think we've got everything all completed in terms of formalities. Let's dive in and let's start in some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. We start with 601-602 on the betting board. It is Ole Miss, and they're on the road facing up against Arkansas. Arkansas between an 8 and 8.5 point favorite. Totals between 138 and 139, and 
With Arkansas, I did set them as a 10-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. It's been a downtrodden year for Arkansas thus far. They've won just one game within the SEC, but this is a good bounce-back spot against an Ole Miss team that they themselves have lost six out of their last seven games. And for Ole Miss, they just have not been able to generate a lot of offense. 70 points or fewer in pretty much five out of their last seven games. Meanwhile, you've got an Arkansas bunch that all of a sudden it's been the defense that has been starting to fail them. They've given up north of 78 points in each of their last three contests. They played that massive foe fest against Missouri, but they still do have two guys there you'll trust in the backcourt. Ricky Councils, they will give you 18 points, steal and a half per game, and then Anthony Black, 12 and a half points, 3.8 assists. Problem for Arkansas has been three-point shooting. They shoot right around 29.8% from three. That's in the bottom 35 in the country. But now the Mitchell brothers are starting to fire in all cylinders with Makai Mitchell really being the main headliner of these guys. He's had seven plus rebounds and four out of the last five games. And for Ole Miss, they bring in a lot of guys like a Theoak Wuba, like a Javius McKinnis. And they haven't done a lot down low. McKinnis has been your best rebounder thus far. 4.7 points, 4.1 boards per game among the transfers. Past that, you've got one guy that really gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game. That would be Miles Burns, 6.3 points, 6.3 rebounds per game. And Ole Miss, they shoot 29.7% from three. They actually shoot worse from three than our good friends in Arkansas. They're dealing with an injury once again due to Sean Ruffin. So I do think that that is going to be a rough for this team. Matthew Morrell, only guy on the team that's giving you north of nine points. He's been able to average 15.6 points per contest. I recognize that it's been a less than savory season thus far for Arkansas, but they're back at Bud Walton Arena. I do think that they've got just flat out more talent, and the offense has been able to come along for the ride a little bit. Arkansas, a team that ranks 47th in the country in terms of possessions per game. Ole Miss, more on 250th in for Arkansas. Points a lot on a per possession basis. It has started to wane a little bit. This is still a relatively solid defense, and they're going up against a team that really can't shoot it from three as they rank 24th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but that said, somebody told 142 just with the sheer amount of possessions in this game. Looking over, and with Arkansas, made them a 10-point favorite, so one to lay 8 to 8.5. 603, 604 on the betting board. Detroit hits a road face off against IUPUI. IUPUI is an underdog of 13 to 13 half points. Totals between 145 and 145 and a half. I did set my total at 139 and a half. The danger that you run with taking this under is that both of these defenses have been highly ineffective. Detroit, 345th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And good old Ewee Peewee, 354th in the country. So that's not too terrific. The good news is you do have an IEPUI team that is one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball in terms of sheer possessions per game, ranking 239th with this regard in Detroit. For as much as they have been scoring, they're only right around 195th with this regard as well. Now with Detroit, you've got Antoine Davis, who is one of the best scorers that we've ever seen in college basketball. I'm not even joking when I say that. 26.2 points, 3 boards, 3 assists, shooting 40% from 3-point range. With that said, with this Detroit team, they are a little bit banged up right now. They've been dealing with an injury to Jaden Stone. He's someone that's been able to shoot 40-plus percent from three-point range. Uh, they do get Gerald Liddell back in the fold. He was held to just three rebounds in the team's previous game. I believe that he has had six rebounds of fear in each out of his last three games after he had 11-plus in something like his first seven. So he's been slowing down a little bit, 17.5 points, 11 rebounds per game. So I do think that that is rock solid for a Detroit team that may have been a heat-seeking missile with regards to their offense to say the least. They have scored at least 76 points in four of their last five games, and they have lost four of them. With that said, this is also an IEPUI team that, in regulation, because the Oakland game went to overtime, 
In regulation, it is a squad that has scored 66 points or fewer in each of their last three, and for that matter, pretty much eight out of their last 12. IEPY has been able to get a little bit of offense out of the combination of Jalen Counter along with Vincent Brady. They combine for 23.2 points. Brady shoots 35.5% from three, but IEPY as a whole, they shoot 27.5% from three. Even though they're a slower team, 16.2 turnovers per game. They only have one guy that gives you north of four rebounds per game, and Chris Olsen. I do think that Detroit should be able to get it done, and should be able to get it done rather comfortably, but there's a reason why Detroit is 7-12. and 12. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a strange game. It is an early tip time, and Neither of these teams necessarily play with a lot of possessions. I do think that a lot of these possessions, they're just going to be wasted in general. I did set my line at 11.5 with the way that Detroit has not played a lot of defense, but I think that this turns into a very sloppy game. Set my total at a 139.5 diving under, and with IEPY willing to take 12 or more with the Jaguars. 605, 606 on the betting board. It is Duke. They play us Miami. Miami's between a 5 and 5.5 five and point underdog. Totals between 147.5 and 148. Set my number at Duke being a five-point favorite, so five and a half or more is my buy point on Miami. You've got a Miami team that has a nice backcourt with Isaiah Wong and Jordan Miller being able to produce right around 31 and a half points, a little bit over 10 rebounds, six assists, three steals per game, and they both shoot about 33 and a half percent from three. Miami's whole, they shoot 33 and a half percent from three-point range. It is a Miami team that ranks in the top 25 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis going up against a Duke squad that they're now in the bottom 100. In terms of total possessions per game with Duke, they're currently ranking in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 43rd. But things have been a little bit up and down with this Duke defense. They have now allowed at least 69 points in three out of their last four games. And it is a Duke squad that they've been able to find their footing a little bit more on offense. But it's been very touch-and-go. Derek Whitehead, who is really the best shooter among the freshmen that come in, he's been able to give the team eight points per game. But it feels like it's two steps forward, one step back with them. He's had just a combined eight points in the last two contests. Derek Lively has been a bust. Four points, 3.3 rebounds per game. Kyle Filipowski is really headlining the scene. 15 points, 9 rebounds per game. And I've got sort of a half-and-half approach taken with Jeremy Roach. He's going to be questionable for this game. He has not played since the 4th of January. He's been able to give the team 12 points, 3 assists per contest. Right now, my anticipation is he plays, but he is not going to be at 100%. So, do note that. And with him out of the fold, they've been looking quite a bit more to Tyrese Proctor to be able to generate some offense as he's been able to give the team nine assists in the past three games. And a combined 31 points in the last two games while turning the ball over three times. So, hasn't been too bad there. But Duke has a whole. They shoot 31% from three. They do shoot 78.5% at the free throw line. But I do think the Miami should be able to hang in there because you have no Chad Omir. 14 points, 10 rebounds. He should be able to match up relatively well down low. Nigel Pack was expecting a little bit more out of him. 11.5 points per game. She's 37.5% from three, but just felt like you were anticipating him having a little bit of a bigger impact for Miami. And I do think that this is going to be a game that gets slowed down a little bit. It is a Miami defense that has been leaving something to be desired. They've given up at least 72 points in each other last four games, but... They haven't been playing against too many slow teams recently, and Duke is a team that's able to slow it down. Duke is a team that does a relatively solid job on defense, so at five and a half or more, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Miami. Did set my total at 143, so also going to be diving under. 607, 608 on the betting board. It is Charleston. They are going to be hitting the red face off against Northeastern. Northeastern between an eight and a half to a nine point underdog with your total 143 to 143 and a half, and with Charleston, made them a ten and a half point favorite. I'm going to be looking to lay at Charleston, one of the best teams in terms of offense 
offensive rebound rate in all of college basketball. Dalton Bolin is your top scorer with right around 13 and a half points per game, headlining a core in which you've got pretty much nine different guys that they all give you at least five and a half points and or five rebounds per game each. They don't necessarily have that one guy that's going to go out there and have a massive performance. They do have one main facilitator, that would be Ryan Larson, comes in from Wofford, 10.5 points, 4 assists, 1.3 seals per game, shooting about 31% from three-point range. But this is just a really stinking good team. They are able to generate a few steals, but they do a better job of getting sort of dead ball turnovers. And for College of Charleston, they rank 65th in the country, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, going up against a mid-tempo Northeastern team. It is a Charleston bunch at ranking the top 75 in terms of possessions per game, so they do look to push tempo a little bit more. And when it comes to the Northeastern team, they've been able to play a little bit better recently. They're in the middle of the pack in terms of defensive efficiency, 164th in the country. Charleston maybe got a little bit overvalued in that game against Monmouth. They were unable to cover that one, but you do take a look at this Charleston team, and all of a sudden, they have been able to play some really good defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in each other last five games. And in games that wrap up in regulation because they uh, had that game against Towson go to overtime and in regulation had allowed 70 points or fewer in that game as well so if you're looking at just regulation and regulation only Charleston has allowed fewer than 70 points in 12 out of their last 13 games how they go up against the Northeastern team that with their relatively slow tempo they turn the ball over 15 times a game now they are shooting 35% from three-point range you've been able to get 40% three-point shooting 16 points five boards out of Jamal Telford and then Chris Doherty who comes in from Notre Dame nine points five and a half rebounds per game but I mean he is the only guy on the team that gives you north of 5.1 boards per contest nobody else gives you north of eight points per game as Coleman Suckey so he'll shoot about 43% from three-point range he's been able to give the team double figures in three out of the last five games but this is a northeastern offense that's very very suspect you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of them night in night out as they have broken the 75 point plateau in two other last four games but they've also scored 66 points or fewer in three other last five so good old situation if something's got to give it's a northeastern team that is okay on defense they're not great they're not terrible charleston has been playing a little bit more defense oriented but charleston also does a really good job of getting second and third chances i do think that charleston should be able to come out dominate this game and i do think that their offense gonna get a little bit more online after being held down a little bit in that monmouth game i set my total at a 144 and a half i think we went down a little bit too low with the way that charleston is playing in northeastern a little bit more of tempo this year than in past years so looking at the over with charleston i think that they dominate the board set them as a 10 and a half point favorite willing to lay it 6-9, 6-10 on the betting board. Syracuse is going to be on the road facing off against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech between a 2 to 2.5 point underdog with a total between 142.5 and 143. And with Syracuse, I did set them as a favorite in this ordeal of 3 points. So 2.5 is the max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. This is a Syracuse squad that has played each other last 7 games of the over, by the way. I did set my total in this spot at a 141. I think that we're starting to get up a little bit too high because neither of these teams aren't necessarily playing at a breakneck pace. It is a Georgia Tech team that when it comes to points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're right around 177th. They're middle of the pack, and for Syracuse, they've allowed 73 points or fewer in all but three of their games in regulation thus far this season, so they honestly haven't been too terrible on defense. I recognize 148th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis isn't savory, but they've at the very least been somewhat consistent, and in terms of total possessions per game, they're more around 142nd, but with the Syracuse team, they should be able to just completely manhandle down low with Jesse Edwards. 14 points, 11 rebounds, 2.8 blocks, a steal per contest. You've got Joe Girard shooting about 36.5% 
from three-point range, 17 points per game. It's a Syracuse team that in their last seven games, they were shooting well above 40% from three prior to that. They were shooting more around 33% from the outside. On the flip side, for Georgia Tech, you've got one guy that's able to give you double figures in Miles Kelly, 13.5 points, shooting 38% from three-point range. They're expected to be without Lance Terry in this game. Someone who has been a relatively solid scorer with eight points, shooting about 34.5% from three-point range. So that has been taken into account. You still do have plenty of solid players like Adelon Coleman, Jalen Moore, both of these guys combined for 19 points. Moore is able to give you more of five and a half rebounds per game. And then you do have Javon Franklin, five and a half boards per contest. But for Syracuse, even though you only have one main big man in Jesse Edwards, he should be able to dominate down low. Benny Williams is able to give you eight points, four and a half rebounds. Shoots over 40% from three. Good versatility there. And then Judamans, two steals, four and a half assists. He's been able to do a nice job for the Syracuse team. It is a Georgia Tech bunch that they come in losers of four straight games in regulation because that game against Notre Dame went to overtime in regulation. They have scored 66 points or fewer in every one of them. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a buckle-down game because in the stretch, Georgia Tech has also allowed 75 points or fewer in all but one of these games as well. So I did set my total at a 141. I'm going to be diving under and with Syracuse, made them a three-point favorite. So I'm going to lay up to two and a half with them. 6-11, 6-12 on the betting board. It is George Mason. They're going to be on the road facing off against Rhode Island. Rhode Island is a underdog of between one and a half and two points. And your total on this game, it is 135 to 136. And with George Mason, set them as a two-point favorite, mostly seeing one to one and a half. And I'd be willing to lay the small number with George Mason. has been a little bit of an up and down year for them thus far, but I do think that they should be able to do a solid job against the Rhode Island team. That They've just had a tough time finding the bottom of the basket. Rhode Island is finding a little bit of consistency with their backcourt of Ishmael Leggett and Brayon Freeman. A combined 29 and a half points per game. These guys combined to shoot about 33% from three, but overall, Rhode Island, 29.6% three-point shooting team, and they're going up against a George Mason team that, for the Atlantic 10, they're relatively solid on defense. They rank 112th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. It's a Rhode Island team that they've been fine on defense. All of their issues have come on offense as Rhode Island 122nd nationally in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but I will say this. Giving up 2.1 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. They do have down low. Someone I like in Malik Martin who's been able to give you right around 8.6 rebounds per game, but for George Mason, you should have Joshua Duro being able to win the battle against him as he's been able to register 14 and a half points, 7 and a half boards, 3 assists. Shoots in the mid-30s from 3 power inch out with George Mason. Lone trepidation they've got in a tight game. They shoot 64% of the free throw line, but they do shoot 36.5% from 3 power range. Victor Bailey Jr., Devin Cooper, they combine for 23 points, 7 and a half rebounds, and you've got Bailey shooting 49% from 3. Ronald Polite the third chips in a 3.8 assist, which has been big with dealing with the injury to Devontae Gaines, who has been out of the fold really since the turn of the New Year, so they've been looking a little bit more to someone like Shaquan Singleton, who comes in from New Mexico as an SV, but able to generate a ton for the team, gives you a few rebounds, gives you an assist here and there, but that said, this is a George Mason team that has been able to do a good job with their unit on defense overall, giving up fewer than 70 points in two out of their last three games. That includes giving up just 63 to St. Louis and for Rhode Island. Defense has been there for them all season long. The offense has been a very much a work in progress. They've been held below 70 points in regulation because the LaSalle game went to overtime in each out of their last three games at 71 points or fewer, and now five out of their last six contests. I do think that this is going to be, once again, a little bit more of a defense-oriented game. Both of these teams outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. So I set my total at 131, diving under. George Mason, I think that they've got a little bit of a leg up down low. So made them the two-point favor. One to lay one to one and a half with them. We've got 613, 614. The 
postponed game between Northwestern and Wisconsin. There's no money to be made on a postponed game, so we go to 615-616 on the betting board. It is Xavier, and they're going to be playing us to Georgetown. Georgetown between an 18 to a 19 point underdog, and your total on this game is between 159 and 160. I said Georgetown is a 17 and a half point underdog. I'm a schmuck and I'm going to dive in on Georgetown once again. The real way that you want to be betting this game is whatever you see from Georgetown, bet the opposite in the second half. That did not come through in their last game against Villanova, but I chalked that up to Villanova just being absolutely terrible this year as well. We've been seeing that come to the forefront, but that said, this is a Georgetown team that they rank in the bottom 75 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're a relatively up-tempo team, just below 100 in terms of total possessions per game, and with Georgetown, you got Brandon Murray and Primo Spears. They're able to put the biscuit in the back. They combined for 30.2 points, 8.5 assists, 2.5 steals. Murray shoots 38% from three-par, and Georgetown is whole. They shoot about 31.5% from the outside, but you got Kudis Wahab, a cook, a cook. They combined for 14.3 rebounds, 17.5 points, a cook, a cook. Gives you 1.8 blocks per game. Jay Heath is a good scorer. Problem is, last time they faced off against Xavier, they were unable to cover double figures because they allowed in that game Xavier to get to 102 points. They themselves scored 89 on their home floor. It was an on-cover. Now, we have seen a pair of unders from Xavier recently, including the game against DePaul, in which they only were able to get to 72 points in that one. But, I mean, for Xavier, that was the first time that they were held below 80 points since Christmas. Xavier has been held below 70 points, I believe, just once all season long. They are going to be able to score points in this one. Zach Fremantle, Jack Nungi, they combined for 16.4 boards, about 29.5 points, and they both shoot above 40% from three. Sule Boom, he shoots 43% from three, five assists, 17 points per game. And then you got to love what you've been able to get out of Kobe Jones, 5.3 assists, 5.2 rebounds, 14 points, 40% three-point shooting for Xavier's hole. They shoot 39% from the outside. They should be able to bounce back with their offense in droves in this one against the Georgetown team that is allowing points like it's wine flowing as they have given up at least 73 points in pretty much seven out of their last eight games. It has not been so savory for them. And as I mentioned before, gave up 102 points in their last game against Xavier. Now, they did show that they were able to score 89 points on Xavier, and Xavier certainly leaving something to be desired on defense. By the time they allowed more than 73 points in a game, you have to go all the way back to the game that they played against Seton Hall. I believe that that was seven games ago, and they have given up fewer than 70 points twice in their last... 13 games, so it's not necessarily too terrific. I do think that you're going to get points of plenty here. Somebody told at 159.5 with this being between 159 and 160. I would rather have the 159 over rather than the 160 under. We'll see how this marinates in the AM, but looking at that 159 over, and made my number 17.5, so an 18 slash 19 going to be taking the points with Georgetown, but as I said, if Georgetown comes out with a good first half, I will fade them in the second half. If they come out with a terrible first half, I will back them in the second half as well. 617, 618 on the betting board. Central Florida. They throw in face off against South Florida. South Florida is a five and a half point underdog. Totals between 134 and 134 and a half. Central Florida is a five point favorite. Five and a half is my buy point on South Florida with Central Florida. They're doing an absolutely supreme job on defense. You take a look at this team and in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, despite the harebrained double overtime game that we saw against Memphis, they're still number 27 in all of college basketball. And they honestly do a really good job on the road. They're only giving up about a point and a half more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. So they are a top 15 team 
in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis when they are away from home. And South Florida, still not a bad defense, but we can tell that they're starting to put more of their eggs in the basket on offense. They're currently 159th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but all of a sudden, they've been able to get some offense going. South Florida last year, dead last in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage, and they still shoot just 64% of the free line, but now are shooting 33.5% for three-point range with Tyler Harris making 39.5% of his threes, 16.3 points, three assists per game, and this guy is hot, hot, hot as he's been able to get the team 16-plus points in three out of the last four contests. you got Sultan Miguel, who comes in from Kansas State, three-and-a-half assists, 11 points per contest, and then you've got down low, Keyshawn Bryant, Sam Hines Jr., combining for 10.5 rebounds, about 16 points per game, Russell Chewa, 11.5 points, 7.5 boards, 7-footers, finally been able to put it together, and for Central Florida, Big thing for them is that they're now dealing with an injury to Darius Johnson. Has not played since January 4th. Highly unlikely that he plays here, and that's big because he's been able to give the team 11.8 points, 4.3 assists, and 2.5 steals per game. He really is a little bit of a fulcrum piece for this team on defense. In the three games that they have played without him, they've given up north of 70 points in two of them in regulation because they also played that double overtime game against Memphis. So offense has been there a little bit more, but that said, I do think that they're going to be able to tighten up the screws a little bit more on defense. I do think that for Central Florida, they're going to continue to play a little bit more of a methodical style. And it is a South Florida team that I do give them credit. Typically, they have been a quite slow team, but they've cranked up their tempo a little bit more this season for South Florida. The ranking right around 160th in the country in terms of possessions for Central Florida. They are 221st. Obviously, numbers are being thrown a little bit out of whack by that double overtime game, but you do have a guy in CJ Kelly that's able to give you 12.5 points, chips in there. Two and a half assists, shooting 38% for three. And the guy that really intrigues me, Taylor Hendricks, six foot nine freshman, seven boards, 14 and a half points, shoots 39% from three. He has been very consistent with between 12 and 15 points in each of the team's last five games. Ithiel Horton, he shoots in the mid 30s from three, 12 points per game, but you don't necessarily have a ton of depth with this Central Florida team. So I do think that having Johnson out of the fold, it does take a little bit out of this team. South Florida has given up at least 70 points in each other last four games. I do think that they're going to get back to the their defensive roots, but with having Johnson out of the fold, I do think that South Florida hangs in there. Set my number at five, so willing to take five and a half or more with South Florida. Did set my total at a 129 as well with the way that Central Florida has played all season long on defense, so looking at the under and looking at five and a half or more with South Florida. 619, 620 on the betting board. It is Dayton. They have third face off against George Washington. George Washington is between a six to a six and a half point underdog. They're undermining our nation's first president again. Total in between 139 and 140, and I have more respect for our nation first president. And I set this number at four. I'm going to be one to take the points. Good news for Dayton is that even though he didn't play, Kobe Elvis was back warming up prior to the team's last game and they were able to get back out there on the floor. Malachi Smith. Now, Smith has not played a full workload really all season long. In the game that he returned for against Davidson, he had five assists in 16 minutes. I don't think that he's going to be playing 30 plus minutes in this game, but I do think that you're going to see sort of a 75% Malachi Smith, who was able to average four assists per game. Wasn't a prolific score last year, but just seeing him out there on the floor, that's big because Dayton, they've been doing it pretty much with forwards. They've had Mongolian Mike really running the point. He's been able to give the team three and a half assists per game. He's been able to do a solid job as a point forward, but his team is all about Damon Holmes and Tumani Kamara down low. They combine for 17.1 rebounds. Kamara gives you 12.5 points, 1.4 steals, 1.2 blocks per contest. Holmes, 
two blocks, 18 and a half points per game. And Holmes is able to shoot about 33% for three, but Dane Densel, they shoot 32 and a half percent for the outside. In terms of turnovers on a per possession basis, they're one of the worst teams at all of college basketball because Dayton is a bottom 50 team in terms of possessions per game with 14 turnovers per game. That's unsightly. George Washington, about 200th in terms of total possessions per game. They don't play super duper up tempo, but they've got James Bishop, one of the top scorers in all of college basketball, 5.2 assists. It's 21.7 points per game. That's in the top 10 in the country. And we've already seen him put up a 40-point game against Loyola Chicago earlier this year. Now, Loyola Chicago stinks officially, but that said, for George Washington, they do shoot about 32% from three. Where George Washington is really lacking is the strength of Dayton. That will be on the defensive side of things. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, our nation's first president is 282nd. That's not necessarily too terrific. Meanwhile, you've got a Dayton squad that they are currently ninth in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So they've done a good job of being able to tighten up the screws on that front. But I do think that George Washington, though they lose the battle down low, they'll be able to hang in there a little bit more. Maximine Edwards has been able to do a solid job, 10.5 points, 5.5 boards. And then you've got Ricky Lindo Jr. and Hunter Dean, who combined for a little bit over 11 rebounds, right around 17 and a half points. I like what these two guys are able to bring to the table. It's a George Washington team that has been able to shape up a little bit more recently. Now, defense has been unsightly recently, giving up 73 plus points in each other last five games, but I said this has also been an offense that has scored at least 74 points in four of their last five games. It's the Dayton squad that they have allowed 63 points or fewer in every single one of their games ever since Christmas, and for that matter, the last time that Dayton gave up more than 70 points, you have to go all the way back to the game against Southeast Louisiana. That was on December 3rd, so Dayton has been able to do a good job of making things yucky and slow. I do think that this is going to be another yucky and slow game, but I do think that George Washington is going to be able to hang in there against a Dayton team that they just can't hold on to the ball to save their lives, and they're in a little bit of transition with Malachi Smith coming back. I think Malachi Smith is going to be able to give this team big contributions moving forward, but I think he could be a little bit of a liability in this game as a result made by number four. So looking at the points with our nation's first president, sub by tall 132. So looking at the under 621, 622 on the main board, UMass is going to be in the road face off against St. Joe's. We go from our nation's first president to Minutemen being disrespected as the Minutemen of UMass are a one and a half point underdog with your total 148 and a half. With UMass, I set them as a one and a half point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them on the money line as an underdog with UMass. Got to figure that Noah Fernandez is going to be back out of the fold, missed the team's last game, and that is critical because he's shooting 45% from three with 13.5 points per game. The 13.5 points per game leads away, but you've got a lot of guys that they do a good job of just being able to chip in their production. TJ Weeks, RJ Louise, along to Andre Dominguez, they'll give you between 8.3 and 9.2 points per game. They combine to be able to give you about 12 or so rebounds per contest, and all three of these guys shoot between 38.5 and 41% from three-point range. Matt Cross has good versatility, 12.6 rebounds per game. Wilden's Levique down low has been able to give you about 4.5 rebounds per game as well. He does a good job. He's a little bit more of a rim protector and chop blocker, and this is a UMass that they rank in the top 80 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. UMass and St. Joe's both leaving something to be desired on the defensive side of things for St. Joe's, 182nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it is a UMass Minutemen team that honestly has been able to kick it up a little bit more. 84th in the country, they've been allowing right around 6.5 points more per 100 possessions in their last three games, but that said, UMass is actually allowing half a point less per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than at home. For St. Joe's, it's really a two-man band. 
demand for them. Eric Reynolds, the second along with Cameron Brown, they combined for 31.5 points, right around 9 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 2.7 steals per game, and you've got Reynolds shooting 38% for 3, Brown shooting 45% for 3. Past that, you've got Lynn Greer, who gives you 4.5 boards, 4.5 assists, 9.5 points per game, but don't have a lot down low. Last year, they had Ajaykpay Obiana doing a very solid job coming in from Vanderbilt. He was able to give the team 12 points, 8 rebounds per game. Now with Obina, he's been able to give the team 7.5 points, 4.7 rebounds per game. I'm sure they mispronounced his name the first time around, so I apologize to Mr. Obina, but I mean, it's not great there. You were hoping for maybe a little bit more out of someone like a Christian Wilborn. He has been in and out of the fold and has been incredibly inconsistent in the last five games. 10, 0, 10, 15, and 3 points. You just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out out of him and just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out on the St. Joe's team. Defense has honestly been a little bit better recently, 66 points or fewer in three of their last four games. Meanwhile, you've got a UMass team that they've been a little bit hot and cold in terms of their defense as well, giving up north of 75 points in four out of their last five games, but a lot of that is because of the schedule that they were playing as well. I did set my total at 149 and a half. Without Fernandez in the fold, you saw UMass give up 83 points of ECU. That's a little bit unsightly, though. St. Joe's has been able to rise up with their defense in the last two games. That's because those two games were against Little Chicago and LaSalle, so I do think that it's going to be shrinking a little bit more. So I'm going to be looking at the over semi total at 149 and a half and made UMass the one and a half point favorite. Going to be one to take them as a money line underdog. 623-624 on the bidding board as he will maintain its road face off against Sony Brook with Stony Brook being a underdog of six and a half to seven points and your total on scheme between 139 and 140 and with Stony Brook I set them as an eight point underdog with UNC Wilmington they've been a top five cover team the last two years in college basketball they've fallen on some tough times recently if you've been backing them against the spread failure to cover in each of their last three games and I believe that they have failed to cover four out of their last five but with Wilmington, they still do a solid job just with the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. They don't do one thing great. They're right around 150th in terms of the total possessions per game. They play really slowly. They're outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game, but you do have Tazari and White, who's been a solid headline scorer. 13.7 points, 5.9 rebounds per game, and then from there, we got guys like a Shaikim Phillips, Malik Hardinays, Amari Kelly, Jamari Thomas, all four of these guys between 7.7 and 9.8 points per game. Harden A's and Kelly combined for nine rebounds per game. Harden A's also shoots 41% from three-point range. So these guys all chip in some small contributions. And for Stony Brook, they were hoping to have Aaron Clark out there from Sacred Heart being able to do some nice things. He's played just three games this season. So it's turned into the Tyler Stevenson, Moore, and Frankie Poselli show. Poselli. A nice combo player that gives you 12.5 points, 9.5 boards, and shoots 37% from three. I've been very impressed by him. Stevenson Moore, 15 points, 4.5 boards. Shoots more like 32% from three and 90% in the free line. But outside of them, you have the two Keenans, Keenan Sarvin, Keenan Fitzmorris, giving you between 8.8 and 9 points per game apiece. They combine for 8 rebounds, but it's a Stony Brook team that they rank in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game, and as I always say, just because you play slow doesn't mean that you play good defense. They're 280th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Stony Brook, somehow, some way, they're giving up 2.8 points more per one or possessions when they're at home rather than when they are on the road. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a button-up game. We have seen UNC Wilmington have a rough Go of it on offense. They have failed to get past 70 points in each other last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Stony Brook team that has scored 67 points or fewer in every single one of their games this calendar year. And I believe that they have gotten past the 70-point plateau just twice 
all season long. So this is a circumstance where I set my total at 128. I'm diving under with Wilmington. I think that they get back into the covered circle. I set them as an eight-point favorite. So want to lay the number 625-626 on the betting board. The Citadel. It's a red face off against VMI. We've got a pick 'em game with your total on this game 149 and a half. And with VMI, I set them as a two and a half point favorite. The Citadel has been really slowing down under Duggar Bauckham. They always played at a super fast style. Now under Ed Conroy, they're more around 200th in terms of total possessions per game, but they are back in the bottom 30 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And you know who joins up and is actually now in the bottom 15 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis? VMI. But with VMI, you've got more shooting options with this team. you got four guys. They're give you double figures as Sean Conway, Asher Woods are your top two options. They've been able to combine for 10.8 rebounds, 29 points per game. Conway is able to shoot 43% from three as a six foot six combo player. 10 half points, four boards out of Tyler Hauser, who's been able to shoot 41% from distance. Sonny Felder chips in there, three and a half assists per game, and then but able to have a nice little Swiss Army knife guy, Ricky Bradley Jr. Eight points, five boards, two and a half assists. VMI, they still shoot about 38% from three. The 13 and a half turnovers per game, a little bit of a concern. You got a Citadel team that they only turn the ball over about 12 and a half times per game, but Citadel plays a little bit slower, more slowly. And you've got Austin Ash, Stephen Clark. They combine for 31.8 points. Also right around 12 rebounds, a little bit over four assists. Two steals per game, and Ash shoots 36.5% from three, but the Citadel shoots 32% from the outside. They really don't generate any steals whatsoever, and past those two guys, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 7.7 points or 3.3 rebounds per game. The Citadel's going to be getting eaten up on the glass. It's a Citadel team that they've had a rough time with their offense, scoring fewer than 66 points in three of the last four games, 72 points or fewer in five out of their last seven contests for VMI. All of a sudden, the Wells run dry for them, 67 points or fewer in each of their last three games, and neither of these teams play at a breakneck pace. They're just both really inefficient on defense. I did set my total at 146.5. I certainly do think that both of these teams are going to get a little bit more online with their offense. I just don't think you get enough possessions to be able to get this over, and I think that VMI just has more scoring options and a little bit of better rebounding in general along with home court advantage. I set VMI as a two and a half point favorite. Looking at VMI on this pick-up line along with the under. 627-628 on the betting board. Vanderbilt hits the red face up against Georgia. Uga is a three and a half to a four point favorite. Total signing were between 142 and 143. For Georgia, I'm sure that they're glad that they don't have a buffoon as a coach like they've had the last few years and it's showing with good results and I'm going to be willing to back them once again. I set them as a five point favorite, especially with the fact that Liam Robbins, the main big man of Vanderbilt, he is out and he's going to be out for most likely about a month or so. 13 points, six boards. The big thing though, the 2.9 blocks per game that he's been able to give down low. Without him in their first game, Vanderbilt, they lose to Alabama by kind of 78 to 66, which honestly wasn't the world's worst defensive effort because now they've given up at least 77 points in each other last five games. And that was actually one of the better defensive efforts. So there's that aspect of it. I do think though that it's going to be hurting this Vanderbilt offense a little bit moving forward as well because he was in Robbins, also the top scorer for this team. You've got Justin Wright coupled with Tyron Lawrence being able to combine for about 22 points in that neighborhood, about 7.5 rebounds per game, but neither of these guys shoot it well from 3. Vanderbilt, as well, they shoot about 32% from 3-point range. Miles Tutte is the only guy on the roster now that 
Gives you north of 4.4 rebounds per game. 10.5.5 rebounds. Shoots 41.5% from three-point range. And Ezra Manjot, good facilitator. Three assists, 1.7 turnovers per game. He's shooting 7.7% from three-point range this season. And for Georgia, they don't necessarily have a ton down low, so Vanderbilt not going to be overly exposed in that front in this game. You've got Matthew Moncrief, the only guy that really gives you north of five rebounds per game. 7.5.5 rebounds per game. But scary Terry Roberts and Kerry Oquendo. These guys have been rock solid. 29.5 points. Oquendo shooting 35% from three. Georgia's hole. They're shooting 30 34% from the outside and for Georgia offense has been a little bit hot and cold for them but they have scored at least 70 points and now 6 out of their last 10 games it is a defense that has been able to come to play as well. They've given up 64 points or fewer and now 3 out of their last 5 games Vanderbilt team that has been giving up all sorts of points, but I do think that with Vanderbilt not having Liam Robinson in the fold, it is going to cause them to pro- probably play a little bit more slowly. Neither of these teams are playing super-duper fast. Neither of these teams are playing super slow. Georgia, 171st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a Vanderbilt team that they're clocking in more in the neighborhood about 177th and in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for this Commodores team. They're currently ranked 171st, so they've been able to do a much better job at home. Uh, they've given up 12.3 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home, so I do think that that affects them just a little bit because they do have that funky home court advantage. This is a spot where I set Georgia at the home team in this one with Vanderbilt being on the road as a five-point favorite, so one to lay three and a half to four with Georgia. Did set my total at 141. I do think that you're going to see the Vanderbilt offense Crater a little bit without having out there in the fold William Robbins. So looking at the under, and I'm looking to lay it here with Georgia. 629, 630 on the Bangor, Kansas. They play also TCU. TCU is a seven half point underdog with your total between 145 and 146 half. And with TCU, set them as a 7-point underdog. 7.5 was my buy point on them. So I'm going to be looking to take these points with TCU. TCU has been able to do a solid job all season long on their defense. And really both of these teams have been able to. The only reason why you're seeing a lot of overs in the Big 12 is that you just have really good offense. I mean, you got really good offense against really good defense. CCU, 17th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they're now a top 75 team in terms of possessions per game. Kansas, meanwhile, they are 33rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Kansas is a little bit more of an up-tempo team, but not a team that's going to be getting all out of sorts and is going to be playing at some ridiculous pace as they're right around 100th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Now, what Kansas is going for them is, in my opinion, the best scorer in this game, Jalen Wilson. 20.8 points, 9 boards, shooting about 33% from 3, chips in there, 2.5 seals per game, coming off of a 38 spot against Kansas State. Meanwhile, for TCU, Mike Miles, he has been tremendous for the CCU team. 19 points, seal and a half, three and a half assists per game. But I think he shoots about 29% from three, and that's a big bugaboo that you've got with the CCU team. They shoot 28.7% from three-point range. That's the bottom 30 mark in the country. Now, Damian Baugh does a good job of being able to dole it out, despite the fact that TCU doesn't shoot it well from three. They're still pretty efficient on offense because Baugh, 12 and a half points, 4.2 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 2.2 steals per game. So he's been rock solid there. Emmanuel Miller chips in there, six rebounds per game. He's really your main three-point shooter, making 48% of his threes with 14 and a half points per game. You've also been having a little bit of an injury to Micah Peavy recently, but he hasn't been much of a factor. Last time he scored more than four points in a game. You have to go back to that Mississippi Valley State contest that we saw a little bit over a month ago. Meanwhile, with Kansas, Grady Dick, he's going to be the best pure shooter out there on the floor, in my opinion. Shoots 45.5% for three, 14.5 points, 5.3 rebounds per game. Kevin McCuller, he does a little bit of everything for this bunch. 10.2.7.2 points, rebounds, 2.6 steals, 2 assists. Mr. Swiss Army Knife himself, but we have seen with Kansas, 
that they've been winning a lot of games, but they haven't been covering a lot of games because in their last five contests, they've had just one win of more than four points that was on the road against West Virginia. They just took that outright loss. And for TCU, they've been very close in a lot of their contests. They are 10-7 at 1 against the spread TCU. So here at 7.5, it is my buy point on TCU. I do think that this is going to be a rather frenetic game, but I do think that both of these defenses are going to be able to do a little bit of a better job in this ordeal. I set my total at a 143. I do think that you're going to see quite a few mysteries in this contest. So looking at the under and looking at the points with TCU. 631, 632 on the betting board. It is Ohio State, and they're going to be playing us Iowa. Iowa is a 4.5 to a 5-point underdog. With your total between 155 and 156.5, and with Iowa, I did set them as a 2-point underdog with Ohio State. I do think that they're going to be able to get things back online, but man... It's not been a good look for them recently. And for Iowa, they've been playing some better basketball. They've been without Pat McCaffrey. Seems like he's getting close to returning to the team. He might be back for this game, but I think that he'll probably be returning more in a game or two. But for Iowa, they're riding a four-game win streak. Offense has been firing all cylinders, 76 plus points in each of their last five games. So I will say for Iowa, they've been significantly better on the offensive side of things at home rather than on the road. But still, a top 15 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Ohio State, a top 25 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. And Ohio State still a top 30 team in terms of three point shooting. But the offenses went down the toilet bowl. They have scored fewer than 70 points in a four out of their last five games. 73 points or fewer in every one of them. Meanwhile, the defense, it has been awful. They've given up 71 points or fewer in four of their last five games. That does include an overtime affair, but for Ohio State, the big thing for this team is that you need to be getting a little bit more out of someone like Sean McNeil. 10 points per game, she's 39% from three-point range, but it's really touch and go. This bench has not been too terrific as Bruce Soren, Bryce Sensabaugh, the two freshmen, they have been good from three-point range. They combined to shoot about 44% from the outside. Sensabaugh, 17 points, five and a half rebounds, one of the best freshmen in the country. Thornton chips in their nine points per game. Isaac Aleka Kelly has been able to chip in their 2.7 assists, four and a half rebounds, three points per game, a relatively good glue guy, but he has been limited with his minutes as he's been dealing with ailment. And then on the flip side for Iowa, you've got Chris Murray. He's going to be the best player out there on the floor. 21 points, 9 boards. She's 37% from three-point range. I recognize that Iowa is not going to be getting any awards for their defense or anything like that. They're 152nd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they're not bad on the glass. Philip Bradshaw gives you 8.5 rebounds, 14 points per game, even with Pat McCaffrey out of the fold. You've got someone like Peyton Sanford, who's been able to really step up 10 points, 4 rebounds per game, and for Sanford, double figures in each of the last 4 games, 5 plus rebounds in each of the last 3. I like the way that he's been able to rise up, and it's been part of the reason why Iowa has been able to get this win streak, and a big reason why Iowa's been able to do a little bit more on defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in 2 of their last 3 games. I would say it honestly hasn't been playing bad defense in this losing streak. The offense has been ice cold. I do think that they're able to get right here against Iowa, but it is an Iowa team that we do see the offense just not quite be the same when they do leave Carver Hawkeye Arena. I did set my total as a result at a 152. I'm going to be looking at the under in this spot. And when it comes to this Ohio State team, I like them to be able to snap the skid, but could only make them a two-point favorite. Iowa still a relatively solid shooting team and a team that does not turn the ball over a lot. So it's a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the total under and looking at the points with Iowa. 633-634 on the betting board. Northern Iowa, they third faceoff gets Illinois Chicago. UIC between a 4.5 to a 5.0 underdog with your total between 137.5 and 138. 
I did set my total at 135.5. I'm going to be diving under. Northern Iowa right around 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And you've got a UIC team that is playing a little bit more up-tempo, but Luke Yachlich is starting to have this team playing some solid defense. They're more around 125th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So we're seeing some marked improvement with them. It's been a little bit more touch-and-go recently. They've had a little bit of a rough stretch. Meanwhile, for Northern Iowa, they're more around 120th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. For UIC, Jace Carter has been the main man to just contribute in all facets for this UIC team. 15 points, 6 boards, 1.7 steals per game. It is a UIC team that leaves something to be desired with their shooting. 67% free throw shooting team. They shoot about 31.5% from 3-point range. Toby Akani, 7 rebounds, 13 points per game. And then Travante Anderson chips in their 3.5 assists per game. Meanwhile, you got a Northern Iowa bunch that they've got two very dominant players. Titan Anderson, Bowen Bourne. Born, 19 points, 40% three-point shooter with three assists per game. And Tate Anderson, six foot six guy that really doesn't have a lot of bulk, but he goes up there for nine and a half boards, 13 points per game, 1.7 steals. I like what he's able to do. You need to get more out of the ancillary pieces of Nathan Izzy out for the rest of the season. You've got Michael Duex and Trey Campbell combining for a little bit over 16 points. Eight rebounds per game, both shooting the low 30s from three-point range. In Northern Iowa, in a tight spread game, they shoot 66% at the free throw line. That's actually worse than UIC. For UIC, I mentioned it, the defense has been going straight down the toilet bowl recently. They have given up at least 75 points in each other last five games, scoring 71 points or fewer in all five of those games. And one of the games in which they got to 71, well, that was a game that went to overtime. And for that matter, for UIC, they have scored 71 points or fewer in now all but one of their last 11 games. Meanwhile, you've got a Northern Iowa team that has been able to tighten up on defense. Since the beginning of the new year, 67 points or fewer surrendered in four other five games. And for Northern Iowa, you're able to date it back a little bit more. They have given up 66 points or fewer, and now pretty much seven out of their last nine games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower-scoring game. Luke Yachlich, who was over at Michigan, he was their main defensive line when they made the national title in 2018. So I think that he's going to be looking for UIC to do a better job on that front end. With Northern Iowa being a little bit one-dimensional, reliant upon two guys, I do think that UIC is going to be able to hold in there. So Northern Iowa is a three-and-a-half point favorite. We'll take the points with UIC. I made my total 135-and-a-half, so I'm going to be diving under. 635, 636 on the back. Board. Oral Roberts is going to be on the road facing up against North Dakota. North Dakota, a 12 and a half to 13 point underdog. Totals between 149 and 149.5. And, and with Oral Roberts, I did set them as a favorite of 14 points. I'm going to be willing to lay it. This is an Oral Roberts squad that has been able to do an absolutely amazing job with their offense. They're once again in the top 30 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. The only team to hold them below 70 points as far this season. That would be Houston. And well, Houston, they are Houston. So. Or is that you just take a look at this Oral Roberts team and you've got one of your top seven scores shooting below 37% from three, and that's because it's seven foot five Connor Vanover that is not who's been able to give the team 12 and a half points, six and a half boards, and at seven foot five, she's 84 and a half percent in the free throw Max A. Smith is on one right now, 21.8 points. That's number four in all of college basketball. He's been able to chip in their 22 plus points in five out of the last six games. You know exactly what he's going to be able to do for this team. And we've got a North Dakota team that they have to try to match up with this offense while being, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, absolutely awful. Among your 363 D1 teams, 
285th. You don't have a single guy for North Dakota that gives you at least five rebounds per game. Sonste Sarcisse, who comes in from the country of Georgia. He is the only guy on the team that gives you north of 3.8 rebounds per game with 8 points, 4.8 rebounds per game. Now, you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Jalon Trent. Not much of a score, but 5 points, 3.8 rebounds, 2.9 assists per game. North Dakota's whole, they do shoot 35.5% from three-point range, and Oral Roberts has never been a supreme defense. They're right around 156 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it is a North Dakota team that they've been looking to play a little bit more slowly this year, 283rd in the country in terms of possessions per game, but Oral Roberts, they don't care. They're able to get their style as they rank in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game, and just take a look at this Oral Roberts team. They've been able to get to at least 74 points in pretty much every one of their games since the beginning of the month of December, and you've got a North Dakota team that the defense, it has not been there for them. They give up 78 points to Denver about a week or so ago. I'll say they've given up 70 points or fewer and far the last five games, but this is just a completely different animal that they're going up against at Oral Roberts. I think that they are going to be laid waste to, much like the rest of the conference. I did set my total at 148. I'll give them a little bit more credit than some of the other teams that Oral Roberts has been going up against. And part of this as well is that Oral Roberts has given up 71 points or fewer in now five out of their last six games, with the lone exception being against New Mexico. So I do think that they hold down North Dakota in this game. I do think that North Dakota able to make this a few fewer possessions than normal. So, set my total at a 148, taking the 149.5 under of Thoreau Roberts, willing to lay up to 13.5 with them. 637, 638 on the betting board. It is Delaware, and they're going to be on the road facing up against Drexel. Drexel is a very small favorite of between 3 and 4.5 points, and your total between 130 and 131.5, and, and I think that we're getting some good value with Delaware. I set them as a 1.5 point favorite. I'm going to be one to as a money line underdog, and the biggest reason why is because now you've got back in the fold Jameer Nelson Jr., a guy that prior to him getting injured was averaging 19 points per game. He came back, and I believe in game number one, he had 20. So he is back to being his normal self, and this is a Delaware team that they're outside the top 220 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. That is not necessarily what you want to see, but that said, this is also a Drexel team that they've gotten an incredibly difficult time putting the biscuit in the basket. It's a Drexel team that ranks in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, and you've really got one guy that you have to fear with them, and that would be Amari Williams. Williams has been able to do a solid job down low, chipping in their 13.9 points, 8.5 boards. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, but... It slowed down with his rebounding eight or fewer in four of the team's last five games. You've had Cottrell Washington be able to help out a little bit from the perimeter as he's been able to chip in their 10.5 points. Shoots about 34% from three, but for Drexel, they shoot 65.5% at the free line. In a late game following situation, that is not what you want at all. They only turn the ball over 10.5 times per game, so I'll give a little bit of credit where credit is due. And for Drexel, overall, the defense has been good for them. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are 49th in the country, but that said, this is a Delaware team that they do a good job with quite a few scoring options, as Jair Davis has given you 16 points, 5.5 boards. He's able to shoot only about 23.5% from three Delaware's hole. They shoot 32% from the outside. They need a bit more out of E.B. Asimov has been able to give you 7 points per contest. He's a little bit banged up, though, as well. He only played 9 minutes in that game against William & Mary. I'm thinking that he's out of the fold after he was able to deliver double figures while Jameer Nelson Jr. was out of the full, but Christian Ray chipping in there. Nine rebounds, a little bit over two assists per game. I think the Delaware, very lively in this game. It's a Delaware squad that they've been held down a little bit more on offense prior to having 
Jameer Nelson Jr. come back in the fold without him. They had scored 64 points or fewer when he came back in that game against William Mary. They go off for 80. This team is completely different with him out there on the floor, and I think that he is going to be the big difference maker in this game. I am willing to take Delaware outright on the money line. Interesting ordeal with this total because, well, you do have a Delaware team that they look to play a little bit more slowly themselves. They are outside the top 225 in terms of possessions per game. Drexel, one of the more slow and grimy teams in all of college basketball. As a result, I did set my total at 129.5. So, diving under and taking Delaware outright on the money line. 639, 640 on the betting board. It is Central Michigan. They throw it to face off against Ohio. Ohio is a favorite of 10.5 to 11 points and your total on this game. You're finding it anywhere between a 140.5 and, and 140. And with this total, I did set at a 142, so I'm going to be looking at the over. It's a Central Michigan team that honestly has been able to play some relatively solid defense. Offense has been leaving a whole like lot of something to be desired as Central Michigan playing at a relatively rapid pace, 66th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and they pair that up with being 115th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. It's an Ohio team that's a little bit above average in terms of their tempo. They're 258th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but I do think that Ohio is going to have their offense win out in this spot just because the defense that you are seeing with Ohio may not be great, but with Central Michigan, they, as a collective from three-point range, are currently shooting 28.4% from distance. They've been without the guy that they were relying upon for so much of their offense, Kevin Miller, really for all but four games this season. Jesse Zarzula, coupled with Brian Taylor in the backcourt, have been solid. They've been able to combine for about 30 points. You get Taylor going off for six half rebounds, Zarzula, three assists per game, and Zarzula's able to shoot 36% from three-point range. So he's been solid, and he's been able to give the team 19-plus points in each of the last four games. He needs a little bit of help, though. You've got someone in Carrington McCaskill, who's been able to give you five points, five rebounds per game. Reggie Bass chips in there nine and a half points, but he only shoots about 29% from three-point range. Morris Lodstaff is giving you a big giant nothing burger all year long. And then for Ohio, you've got a trio of different guys in Miles Brown, Jalen Hunter, and A.J. Brown. They have all given you between 9.9 and 10.1 points per game, so they combine for 30 as a collective. Miles Brown shoots 47% from three-point range. Jalen Hunter chips in their 1.5 seals, 4.3 assists per game, and then Dwight Wilson down low. 15 points, 10 rebounds. A.J. Clayton gives you six boards. He shoots 35% from three-point range. Some good versatility with this Ohio Bobcats team, and Ohio has really been speaking up as the season has went along. They've scored at least 72 points in four of their last five games in conference play. And you take a look at this Ohio team and They've really been held below 70 just once in their last nine games. Then you've got a Central Michigan unit in which the defense, it seems to be starting to falter. They've given up at least 69 points in each of their last three games. And for the offense, it has not been good. They have scored 68 points or fewer in now seven out of their last nine games. I do think that things get cranked up tempo a little bit more. I do think that Ohio is going to be able to get there. So I do think that for Central Michigan, just for sheer amount of possessions in this game, you're going to be seeing a little bit of a higher scoring game. I set my total at a 140. Two and a half. I'm going to be one to go over in this spot, but I think that Ohio wins the battle down low for Central Michigan. You really don't have a lot of size outside of Taylor down low, so Ohio is going to be able to win from within. Said Ohio is a 12 and a half point favorite, one to lay the number, and set my total at 142 and a half. So looking over 641, 642 on the winning board. Duquesne plays host of Fordham. Fordham is a seven and a half to an eight point underdog. Your total is between 143 and a half and 144 and a half with Fordham. I set them as a underdog of seven points. I'm going to be willing to take eight with them. 
for Fordham certainly has been a little bit of an up and down season for them and we have been seeing them in Atlanta 10 play starting to hit a little bit of a wall but Darius Quinsberry I think matches up well with A.D. Grant with Quinsberry 16.5 points 3.5 boards 3.5 assists she's 37% from 3 point range now 15 points or fewer in 4 of the last 5 games and it's been a little bit unsightly but for A.D. Grant he himself has seen a bit of a fall in his scoring as he overall for the season is shooting 42% for 3 15.5 points per game but now 14 points or fewer in 4 of the last 5 games or for that matter, five out of the last six. And for Duquesne, you really don't have a lot down low. Austin Rotroff has been your main rebounder with 5.2 points, 6.1 rebounds per game, but he was limited to just six minutes in the game against St. Bonaventure, five minutes against Richmond. It seems as though he's going through either an injury or just is fed up with the coaching staff. I have no idea what it is, but his minutes have been greatly slashed, and he has not been putting up the same production as he did towards the beginning part of the season. RJ Gunn has returned to the fold for the team, and he had a double-double in the team's last game. That should be able to help them out quite a bit, but that said, you got something like Trey Williams who gives you 7.5 points, 5 rebounds per game, and for Fordham, this is a top-20 team in the country in terms of block shot rate as they get 5.5 blocks per contest. You've got someone that comes in in Khalid Moore from George Tech. It's been we give you 14 points, 6 half boards, 1.5 seals per game. Down low, your best shot blocker on this team. That would be Abdul Simbilia, who's been able to give you 7.2 boards, 2.2 blocks. Only gives you right around 6.5 points per game, but he's also helped out from the gentleman from Ukraine, Rodislav Novkovsky. He has been able to do a very nice job of giving this team 7.5 points. They have Bob 3, so doesn't necessarily shoot him very well, but he's been able to chip in there about 1.4 blocks per contest. These guys have been able to do a great job there. And then Antrel Charlton is the Swiss Army knife that is going to keep Fordham in this game. 8 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds per game. It's a Fordham team that they play at a pop top 75 pace in terms of total possessions per game. Duquesne, they're more in the middle of the country in terms of tempo. Duquesne, about 200th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Fordham still has been a good defense. They rank 46th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are giving up 12.7 points more per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than at home. But as I said, this is a total that I did set at a 141. I think that both of these offenses could have a little bit of a tough time operating in this game. Set my total under and with Fordham won't take anything north of seven with them. 643, 644 on the betting board. Omaha is going to be in the red face off against South Dakota. South Dakota between a three and a half and a four point favor with your total between 145 and 145 and a half. And with Omaha, I set them as a five and a half point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Omaha. They have been able to do a little bit of a better job with their defense, but man, it is still leaving something to be desired. And for that matter, both of these teams, they are not efficient on the defensive side of things. Nebraska Omaha, 340th of the country. It just points a lot on a per possession basis. You're probably wondering how that's improving from last year. They were in the bottom three in all of college basketball last year. So, I mean, you could take whatever you could get with them. And then for our good friends in South Dakota, in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, they're a little bit better than they were last year. But 329th with this regard. I mean, both of these teams leaving a lot to be desired on that front, but with Oma, you really need to get a little bit more out of your headline scores as you've got a pair of guys in Frankie Fiddler along with Marquis Sutton. They've been able to combine for between about 24 to 24 and a half points per contest. Meanwhile, for South Dakota, AJ Plyswood has been able to shoot well above 40% from three-point range. You've got to love the fact that he, along with Paul Bruns, have been able to combine for about 20 points per game. Bruns comes in from North Dakota. He's been able to make a little bit of an impact 
for this team. And then you've got Tazos Camateros. He's been able to chip in there in that pocket about six rebounds per game. Damani Hayes, he's six foot four. He's actually been your main rebounder with right around seven rebounds per game. But that's it with Camateros. He's been able to chip in there in that pocket about 11 points per game. And then Cruz Peru Hunt has been your main scorer, 13 half points, 38% three-point shooter for a South Dakota team that they do turn the ball over 13 times per game while being a bottom one team in terms of possessions per game. But they do shoot 39% from three-point range. Luke Jungers, seven points, shoots 42% from three for Oma, but Oma 14 turnovers a game. They only shoot about 33.5% from three. To the credit of Oma, they do shoot 78.5% at the free throw line, but they really don't have a lot down low. Fiddler and his six rebounds per game, that leads the way. And for Nebraska, Oma, he just had very sketchy results with them. They've now given up 74-plus points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, for South Dakota, I mean, the offense has not been there recently. It was 64 points or fewer in each of the last four games. But going against Oma, I think that this is a very good get-right spot for them, especially on their home floor. I did set my total at 143.5. Both of these teams have been playing at a much, much slower pace than a season ago, and both of these offenses are right now in the toilet. Both of these teams have failed to get past 70 points in their last four games, so I'm going to be looking at the under and with South Dakota. I do think that they win from the perimeter, and I do think that they still have a little bit more down low. So I said South Dakota as a 5.5-point favorite, laying the number and taking the under. 645-646 on the main board. Notre Dame is going to be playing us Boston College. Boston College is a 5-point underdog, and your total on this game is between 134 and 134 and a half. Got to wonder how much the Mike Bray motivational him stepping down at the end of the season is going to play into this one. I really didn't take it into account too much, but that said, I still did land on Notre Dame being a six-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. I do think that you get a little bit more of a spirited effort out of a Notre Dame team that is 3-15-1 against the spread. They and Loyola Chicago are pretty much tied for the second-worst cover rate in all of college basketball. Only Tulsa has been worse for Notre Dame. It's just been all about the defense. Last time they played against Boston College, that was on the road. They lost by a count of 70-60 to and for the Notre Dame bunch, they have given up at least 70 points in six straight games. And for that matter, they have given up at least 70 points in, I believe, now nine out of their last 10. The lone exception is when they went up against a Jacksonville team that's in the bottom five in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Nate Lashevsky, I think, should still have a solid game in this one. 13.5 points, 7.5 boards, has been able to shoot about 38% from three-point range. Last time they played against Boston College, he had just six points. I do expect him to play a little bit better in this spot in that game for Notre Dame. They went 10 of 29 from three-point range. Boston College won that game on their own floor 70-63 to against Notre Dame despite shooting just 2 of 12 from 3. The big reason why Jaden Zachary, Makai Ash, and Langford they were able to combine for 30 points in that game and they had just gotten back Quinton Post who had 10 points, 9 rebounds in that game and Quinton Post has been able to make a big impact for this Boston College team. Was missing for the first half of the season. He has now been able to see action in 6 games, 12 points, 5 boards. He's able to pop 3 points, shoot some at a 25% clip in. For Boston College, it cannot be understated that they shoot 27.5% from 3-point range. This is an Notre Dame team that they're in the bottom 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It's a Boston College team that they're better, but it's not like this Boston College team has been batting down the hatches themselves. 211th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and in a road-slash-neutral court environment, giving up 15.6 points more per 100 possessions. And it is a Boston College team that they're right around 250th in terms of possessions per game. Is a Notre Dame team that they're still playing at a sales pace. 340th in the country with that regard at Ash and Langford, right around 12 points, two assists per game for, for Boston College. Very stagnant 
in terms of their offense. I do think that they have a chance to be able to approach what they were able to do last time around. That you saw 133 points scored in the first game. I think that you see the exact same amount. You've got two defenses that are really bad, but you've got two teams that play at just such a slow tempo. It's a Boston College team that they have scored 72 points or fewer in every one of their games this calendar year for Notre Dame. They haven't been able to get to at least 70 points in each other last three games, but one of those games required overtime. They haven't really exceeded 73 points in any of these. I could see a complete reversal. Boston College won the first matchup by kind of 70-63. I could see that flip in this game. I set Notre Dame as a six-point favorite, so I'm willing to lay the four and a half to five that I'm seeing with them. I did set my total at 133, which is the total that landed on in the last game. So set my total there with it being 134 to 134 and a half, diving under, and I'm willing to lay the number with Notre Dame. 647-648 on the bank board. Texas A&M hits the road to face off against Kentucky. Big Blue Nation is a four and a half to a five point favorite. And your total on scheme, it is between 138 and 139. And for Kentucky, I did set them as a seven point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Now, for Texas A&M, they've actually been able to play some very solid basketball out in SEC play. But I feel like they've been the beneficiaries of just some good shooting luck in general for them. On offense, it's a bad shooting luck of their opponents. I do think that Kentucky is going to come out motivated and win the battle on the glass with Oscar Shiba. He's now back to leading all of college basketball in terms of rebounds per game. 17.3 points, 13.8 rebounds. We could look at what we saw in the second half against Georgia as a turning point. They were trailing by 8 at the half. They then completely dominate the second half of that game and the team has been better without Savi Wheeler out there on the floor, which is insane because Wheeler gives these 6 assists, 9 points per game. She's 38.5% from 3 power range. Really doesn't turn the ball over a lot, but he doesn't give you anything on defense. You've got Kassan Walls, who does a good job of being able to dole out the ball. 11.5 points, 3.7 assists. She's 42% from 3. Just a better defender in general than Wheeler. Jacob Toppin, along with Austin Reeves. They combine for 23 points per game, and Reeves, he shoots 39% from the outside. Good designated shooter for this team. CJ Frederick has been good in the backcourt for this team as well. And for Texas A&M, they do a good job of rebounding by committee as you've got Julian Marble, Tyrese Radford, Henry Coleman, Dexter Dennis, all giving you between 4.2 and 5.8 rebounds per game. They combine for about 21 rebounds between the four of them. And between the four of them, they give you about 40 points per game, but none of these guys shoot above 30.5% for three. Wade Taylor, the fourth, shoots 37% for the outside, three and a half assists, 15 points per game. And Manny Obaseki is able to shoot 42% for three with his seven points per game, but for Texas A&M. Just a lot of random pieces in general for them. They've went on a seven-game win streak, and the defense has been very supreme, giving up 64 points or fewer in now each out of their last five games, and they have given up 67 points or fewer in eight straight. I do think that they have been a little bit fortunate on this run. They have not had to face off against really anyone down low, quite like Oscar Sheway. If there is someone that's comparable, it is Colin Castleton, and Castleton still got his in that game when they played a few weeks ago, and it is a Texas A&M team that they're a little bit of a work in progress on the offensive side of things. Kentucky, they're a little bit of a work in progress on the defensive side of things, so it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that Kentucky going to be a buster a little bit more with their offense. I set my total at a 139. I do think that this is a game that comes down to late game following. I'm going to be looking at the over, and with Kentucky, made them a 7-point favorite. I think that they were finally able to have that turning point against Georgia, willing to lay the number, and I'm going to be taking a look at this little over. This is going to be my DK Nation pick. 649-650 on the betting board. Arizona is going to be playing us at UCLA. UCLA between a pick to a one-point favorite. Total is 150 and a half. Opened up at 151 and a half, and 
Despite the fact that this has zipped to 150.5, my DKNH pick, it is going to be on the under. I set my total at 143.5, and the big reason why is because you've got an Arizona team that all of a sudden has given up 70 points or fewer in seven out of their last eight home games, and they go up against the UCLA team that they've given up 66 points or fewer in, I'm not even kidding here, 14 straight games. This UCLA team is number five in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do a good job of taking control of the ball, and they're in the top 20 in terms of being able to generate turnovers for UCLA. 9.9 turnovers per game, but 8.8 steals per game by Miakas, Jalen Clark. They combine for about 30.5 points, a little bit over four steals, four and a half assists per game. Clark shoots 34% from three-point range. Tiger Campbell, mid-33-point shooter with 14 points per game. And now you've got Adam Bona, who's really bonifying himself down low. He's been able to get the team two-plus blocks in seven out of the last nine games. He has been terrific for this team. Now, they have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Amari Bailey. I believe that Bailey has been dealing with a bit of a concussion, but... I did still set Arizona as a two and a half point favorite, and the big reason why the big men down low, Umar Balo, Azula Sabellas, the only duo in all of college basketball with both of them getting nine plus rebounds apiece. They combined for 18.4 rebounds, 36.3 points, 2.5 blocks per contest, and develops does shoot 45% from three point range. You do have a Arizona team that they turn the ball over 14.3 times per game, so I do think that we're going to see plenty of wasted possessions in this game, but that said, I do take a look at this spot, and I also do think that Cordy Ramey is going to do a solid job shooting 41% from three, 10.5 points per game. Kirk Risa, six assists, a three turnovers per game. We know that UCLA, first time around, they were able to really take it to him. Last season, I think that he's going to feel a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and I do think that in the end, Arizona is going to be able to crank this one out on their own floor. It is an Arizona team that has scored 70 points or fewer in five out of their last seven games, but now they've been able to win a little bit more low-scoring games. They've been able to really come to the forefront there. And for UCLA, they have given up 58 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, 62 points or fewer in all five of them. So I do think that this is honestly going to be a good defensive showcase. I think Arizona finds a way with their men down low to be able to get the job done at home. So it is a circumstance where my DK Nation write-up, it is going to be on the under. And for Arizona, going to be looking at them as a pick-em slash at Moneyline underdog. As it is 651-652 on the betting board. Virginia It's going to be on the road facing off against Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a underdog of 3 to 3.5 points. Your draw on this game is aimed between 135.5 and 137.5. And for Virginia, I did set them in this ordeal as a favorite of 4 points. So, one to lay 3 to 3.5 with Virginia. They've been still a relatively solid defense. It's just been a case in which they've been playing a lot of overs because their offense has been so gosh darn prolific. It is a Virginia team that ranks 44th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And they go up against Wake Forest team that is relatively mid-tempo. But for Wake Forest... They're currently 207th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for Virginia. I think that they're just going to have too much efficiency from Kia Clark, along with Reese Beekman, a combined 11 assists. They give you about 21.4 points per contest. Beekman shooting 47.5% for three. Armand Franklin, top scorer, shoots 41% from the outside, 12 points per game. You don't have a single guy for Virginia that gives you north of 4.8 rebounds per game. That'd be Jane Gardner with 10.5 points, 4.8 rebounds per game, but you have 
pretty much six different guys that give you at least 2.7 rebounds per game. So they do a good job of being able to rebound by committee. Wake Forest does that as well. You've got Cameron Ildreth, a 6'4 combo player who's been very solid for the team. 13 points, 6 half boards, 3 assists. He only shoots about 30% from 3. Tabari, Monsanto, Tyree Appleby. They combine to shoot about 41% from the outside. Appleby, he's eating good in the neighborhood. He does it all. 1.8 steals, 18 points, 6 assists, 3.1 rebounds. Monsanto, 12 points per game. Austin Carr, 6 foot, 10-ish combo player, 12.6 boards. Able to shoot about 35% from 3-point range. For Wake Forest, they can be a little bit streaky with regards to their outside shooting, but boy, have they been streaking of late. 79-plus points in each of their last five games. They've also given up at least 72 points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you do have a Virginia team that, though the defense isn't necessarily quite what we're expecting to see out of them, they still have not allowed more than 70 points in a game ever since they played against Baylor, and that's really the only time that they allowed more than 70 points in a game all season long. So I do think that the Virginia defense, it is still very prolific. I do think that Wake Forest, they're going to tighten up a little bit more in terms of their defense, and I think that it's just going to be helped out by the fact that you're just not going to get a lot of possessions in this game. So I did set my total at a 132, a circumstance in which I'm going to be willing to take this little under. And with Virginia, I did make them a favorite of four points, so one to lay between three and three and a half with them. 653, 654 on the betting board. It is UMKC in the red face off against North Dakota State. North Dakota State is between a four and a five point favorite. And your total on this game, it is any between 133 and 134. And with UMKC, I set them as a three and a half point underdog. So I'm going to be willing to take these points with UMKC. They certainly have been a little bit all over the place this season, but you know that the defense is going to be very manipulative because with Marvin Menzies, he just throws at you a bunch of different looks on defense. It started out very, very sloppy. They're right around the middle of the country in terms of defensive efficiency as a result. But you take a look at what they've been able to do recently, and they've given up 60 points or fewer in now three out of their last five games. One of those games in which they did not was against Oral Roberts. And for North Dakota State, they're getting back to their roots of playing solid defense. Prior to them playing against Oral Roberts, because Oral Roberts is just the ultimate stopper in this conference. Good luck playing any defense against them. They had given up 60 points or fewer in each other previous five games. And for North Dakota State, they're going to have a size advantage down low as you got a pair of guys in Grant Nelson along with Andrew Morgan. They're between 6'10 and 6'11. Nelson, 16 points, 8 boards. And then Morgan chips in there, 10.5 points, 6 rebounds per contest with Nelson. Also gives you a block and a half per game. North Dakota State shoots 33.5% from three. And the big thing for North Dakota State, they're getting back to their roots of playing slowly. They were a top 100 tempo team first month and a half or so of the season. And now they're back to being about 160th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, they really slowed themselves down. And, and it's all the better for them. They are still, though, lacking quite a bit out in the backcourt. And they only shoot 68% of the free throw line. you got to have your trepidations if it is a little bit of a nip and tuck game. Meanwhile, for Kansas City, they have a deal with an injury to Allen David and Becca Jr., who has been able to give the team nine points, eight boards, a block, a seal per game. So they're going to be looking a little bit more down low to Jeff Ngandu without having Becca Jr. in the fold. He has been able to give the team 38 rebounds in the last three games along with three blocks. So he's done a good job of filling that role. Shamari Allen along three, Quandis Mitchell. These are your two main scores for UMKC. And 
I mean, really, past these guys, you don't have a single other player that's healthy in this game that's giving you north of six points per game. So you're going to need them to fire on all cylinders as these two have been able to combine for about 36 points per contest. Ellen shoots 37% from three-point range. Yeah, they combine for six turnovers per game, but they also combine for three steals, four and a half assists per game. It is a UMKC team that, even without having Mbeka Jr. in the fold, they've still been able to do a solid job with their defense. The only question has been the offense, which has been all over the place all season long. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a grimy game. I think that perhaps we've went just right in the neighborhood that it should be. We're between 133 and 134. I set my total at a 133 and a half. I personally would rather have a 134 under rather than a 133 over. I will see how this marinates in the AM because if this goes down to like a 132, certainly I'd be looking at an over. 135, I'd be looking at an under, but at current numbers, I would be taking a 134 under. And with the UMKC, set them as a three and a half point underdog. So we'll take the between four and five that I'm seeing right now. 655, 656 on the betting board. Coastal Carolina, they're going to be playing us through South Alabama. South Alabama is a underdog of one and a half points. At some spots, I'm seeing them as much as a one point favorite in others. And in other places, we're finding them as a pick And your total on this game, in between 141. For Coastal Carolina, they just leave too much to be desired on defense for me to trust in them. So, made South Alabama three-point favorite. Willing to take them as a pick slash a very, very slight favorite. I'm seeing it circa one and a half points. I'll probably just wind up taking the one and a half because I do think that when it becomes time that we get money lines, it's just going to be pretty much minus 110. Maybe I'd be able to get minus 105, but the point and a half that I'm able to get right now, more valuable than the five cents of juice that I'd be able to save on that money line. So this is actually one of those rare ordeals where I'll just take the one and a half with South Alabama because I do think that South Alabama gets the job done behind Kevin Samuel, who's been able to do a great job down low. You don't want him shooting free throws because he shoots right around like 30% of the free throw line, but nine and a half boards, two plus blocks per contest, began his career at TCU, love his overall game, and for South Alabama in general, it is a team that they do have their woes at the free throw shooting line. They shoot 66.5%, the charity stripe 31.5% from three, but Greg Parham gives you 10 points. He's a okay 35% three-point shooter. And Isaiah Moore, who comes in from Franklin Pierce, he's been able to do a terrific job with 17.8 points per game. Alluded to it a little bit earlier, but South Alabama has the far better defense in this one, 160th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. And for Coastal Carolina, coming off an overtime win against Appalachian State, so they're a little bit tired to start out with, and they are 334th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. They do have a double-double machine in Isam Mustafa 13.2 points 10.2 rebounds per game and they do now back in the fold Antonio Day but he hasn't really helped out with this defense. He's been able to chip in there four assists, about 12 points per game in his 11 games. But Coastal Carolina only shooting about 32% per lead. They do shoot 78% at the free throw line. They do have Jamaru Brown, who's been able to do a solid job with 15.3 points per game. But the problem is Jamaru Brown currently out of the fold for this team. So that means that the backcourt is a little bit lighter. You've got Linton Brown, who's been able to give you 9.5 points per game. Does shoot 38% from three. And Josh Uduje is coming off of scoring 26 points against Appalachian State. It's going to combine 28 points in the previous three games and 30 points in the last four combined. So I think that that was a little bit of a flash in the pan for the South Alabama team. It's been a little bit hot and cold for them recently, but defense has still been relatively solid. They give up 79 and 76 points, respectively to Southern Miss and also Louisiana. But prior to that, they were doing a good job giving up fewer than 70 points in each of their previous six games. I do think that they're going to be able to get back to those roots a little bit more against the Coastal Carolina team that is in the bottom half of college basketball in terms of tempo. 
did set my total as a result at a 134. I think that South Alabama makes this game slow and grimy. So, looking at the under, it's a South Alabama. It's a three-point favorite, but like I said, in the circumstance I've got available to me, I'm just going to take that one and a half because I think when money lines are available, I am not going to be able to get that sort of juice. I think that it would be more around to pick them. So, I'll just take the one and a half I'm seeing right now. 657, 658 on the betting board. Harvard is going to be playing us Cornell. Cornell is anywhere between a one to a two point favorite. I'm seeing them in a pick em in some spots as well. Total is 145.5 to 146. With Cornell, I set them as a three and a half point favorite. Gladly going to take what I'm seeing right now at Circa with them being a pick em because I don't think that that's going to be lasting for very long. You've got a Cornell team that has been just a complete and utter rocket ship on offense. Defense does certainly leave something to be desired, and for Harvard, it's the exact opposite. Harvard has been a terrible offensive team. Meanwhile, they rank 40th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And when it comes to Cornell, it's all about the backcourt. When it comes to Harvard, it's all about the frontcourt. With Harvard, you've got Chris Ledlam down low, 18.8 points, 8.9 rebounds. She does shoot about 30% from three-point range, but 1.6 steals, a block per contest. He has been rock solid for the team. But also keep in mind, he played just 16 minutes in the team's last game against Dartmouth. I'm pretty sure that this was just due to foul trouble, but something that's a little bit alarming there. Meanwhile, for Cornell, you've got Greg Dolan doling it out. 13 points, four boards, four assists, shoots 52% from three Cornell's hole, shooting 37.5% from the outside, and Cornell... They go pretty much nine deep with their rotation as you've got a pair of other guys and Chris Mannon coupled up with Nazir Williams who will be able to combine for about 22.5 points, seven boards, three and a half seals per game. And Williams shoots 36.5% from three points. You've got so many good contributors for the team. Meanwhile, for Harvard, they shoot 29% from three, 64% the free throw line with 14 turnovers per game despite the fact that they're in the bottom half of college basketball. In terms of total possessions per game, you've got a Cornell team that has anything but in the bottom half of college basketball with this regard as Cornell currently clocking in at 35th in and with Harvard, you're just going to need to get a little bit more out of someone like a Lucas Sakota. You've been able to get 7.5 points per game out of Sam Silverstein, 7.3 out of Sakota. Both of these guys shoot about 30% from three-point range. You've been able to get, have about 3.5 assists, 7 points per game out of Evan Nelson, but just not enough in the spot. You've got more versatility with Cornell. Cornell certainly leaving something to be desired on defense. 75-plus points rendered in each of their last three games, but this offense is absolutely awesome, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a little bit of a better job on defense than this one against a Harvard team that it's called what it is. They're just not generating any offense themselves. I do think that this game gets slowed down, but Cornell still gets the job done. I set my total at 143 and a half diving under, and with Cornell, gladly going to take that pickup price with them, but willing to lay really up to three with them. We've got 659, 660 on the betting board. William and Mary, America's favorite tag team, playing us to North Carolina A&T. A&T is between a one and a half and a two-point underdog. Donald's game is saying between 141 and a half and 142. You get two members in William and Mary, and you have to lay two points. That seems relatively fair to me, but that said, I'm going to take a look at North Carolina A&T instead. I said A&T is one and a half point favorite, so going to be taking a look at them as a money line underdog for North Carolina A&T. Maybe they'll shoot in the mid-30s from three-part range, and they're going to have the best pure scorer in this game, and that'd be Cam Woods. Came back up from the junior college level, was a double-figure scorer at Troy two years ago, and now he's been able to chip in their 19.3 points, 
four boards, three assists, shooting 38.8% from three in. This guy is on absolute fuego right now. He has been able to give you at least 19 points in five out of the last six contests. He is coupled up with someone that comes in from UC Irvine, helping out down low in Austin Johnson, six points, six boards. That gives them a little bit of rough and tumble down low. And then you've got Marcus Watson, Demetrius Horton. They combine for about 25 points, 10 rebounds with Horton shooting 45% from three-point range. And here's who is able to do some solid work for William & Mary, and that would be Anders Nelson. Comes in from St. Thomas, 11 points, nearly 5 assists. She's 41.7% from three, and William & Mary's whole. They're shooting 35.5% from the outside. You do have Noah Collier. Comes in from Pittsburgh, 9 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. He's been rock solid there. Ben White has been able to give you 4.5 rebounds per game. Other than these two guys, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 3 rebounds per game. William & Mary, they're in the bottom 30 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They're in the bottom 45 in terms of points allowed on a purpose possession basis, North Carolina a and a little bit more of a mid-tempo team, and it's not like A&T is playing tremendous defense themselves. They're in 20th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but it's been better recently, giving up 71 points or fewer in four of the last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a William & Mary bunch that, despite their slow style, they've allowed three out of their last five opponents to exceed 75. I think that A&T wins the battle down low. I like Cam Woods being the top scorer in this game, so I made A&T a one-and-a-half point favor, taking them as a money line underdog, and with this little did set it out at 135 and a half. William & Mary won the slowest teams at all of college basketball, and a team that they have failed to get to 60 points in two out of their last four games. So, looking at the under and the money line of A&T, 661, 662 on the betting board. Princeton plays those at Dartmouth. Dartmouth is an underdog of 12 and a half to 13 points. Your total on scheme between 137 and 138, and with Dartmouth. I set them as a underdog of 13 points at 12 and a half. It's a maximum delay with Princeton, but I am willing to lay 12 and a half with Princeton. A very much improved defensive team in Princeton that has a very nice point forward in Tucson of Omen. He stands right around six foot eight. He's now bearing about 30% of his threes, so leaving a little bit of something to be desired there. But 13 points, 6.2 rebounds, 4.4 assists per game. He has been rock solid. Princeton, not quite the same three-point shooting team that they were a season ago. And they still do have some free throw shooting woes. They only shoot about 68.8% at the free throw line. But for this Princeton team, they now are clocking in at 54th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Luckily enough, they're actually giving up right around 5.7 points more per one or possessions at home rather than on the road. But you got Ryan Langboard along with Matt Alico combined for 23 points, 8.5 rebounds. Alico shoots 42% from three-part range. And on the flip side for Dartmouth, you do have Ryan Cornish who's able to give you 12 points per game. And with Dartmouth, they're now right around 100th in terms of possessions per game. They're right around 168th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But they turn the ball over 15 times per game. And have just one player that averages more than four rebounds per game. Dame Edokun, 11.5 points, seven rebounds per game. I do like his overall game, but that's it. You've got Tucson Neskovic, who's also been able to provide about 10.5 points, 3.5 boards. She's 46.5% from three, but he's all over the place with his scoring. Last five games, he has given you 0, 24, 10, 8, and 5 points. You just don't know what to expect out of him night in and night out. And that's his Dartmouth team as a whole. Dartmouth can come out there on any given night and give you an 80 spot like they did against Yale a few weeks ago. And then they can give you a 63-point turd like they did against Cornell the game before that. Meanwhile, you've got a Princeton team that honestly has been relatively consistent. They have scored between 68 and 75 points in each of their last five games. Defense has been rock solid, giving up 68 points or fewer. And now five out of the last six games. I do think that Princeton is going to be able to do a solid job with their defense. With Dartmouth, they're one of the least efficient offenses in all of college basketball. They're going to get pounded on the glass. Some I told on 133. I like the way that Princeton has been playing defense. I'm looking at the under end. 
willing to lay up to 12 and a half with Princeton as well. 663, 664 on the betting board. Providence is going to be playing against DePaul. DePaul is a 10 and a half to an 11 and a half point underdog with your total between 146 and 147 and a half with DePaul. I set them as a 12 point underdog, willing to lay the 11 to 11 and a half that I'm seeing with Providence. Providence doing a great job of having good facilitation with Jared Bynum. He has not been able to shoot the way that he did from three-point range a season ago, but with that said, he still has been able to do a very solid job dishing out right around four and a half assists, a fewer than two turnovers per game. That's paramount for a Providence team that they've cranked up their tempo a little bit more this year as compared to past seasons. Typically, Providence has a little bit more of a slow team. They're now 84th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They're going up against a Paul team that, once again, they're a little bit of a faster team, more around 75th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And for DePaul, they were able to rise up. They gave up just 73 points in their last game against Xavier, but they're still 237th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Providence, not quite the defense that they've been in the past, 87th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but should still win the battle down low. Ed Crossfall, Bryce Hopkins, they've been able to combine for 16.4 rebounds per game, and they combine for 29.5 points per game. Hopkins, she's 37% for threes, and 6 foot seven, a little bit of a combo player, and then on the flip side for DePaul, Umaja Gibson has been able to do a good job going out five assists, 15 and a half points per game. He and Javon Johnson combined to shoot a little bit over 40% for three. Johnson has been able to give you 15 points, 4.7 boards per game. Errol Penn has also been able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game. And they finally, finally have Caleb Murphy out there. Comes in from South Florida, had eight points in 24 minutes in his season debut against Xavier. And you can tell that he was able to bear down on defense. He's one of the better defenders that was out there in the transfer portal. Now, they're dealing with an injury to Jalen Terry, though, and that is going to cause for a little bit of shuffling with the DePaul lineup. And for DePaul, I mean, I would give them a little bit of credit on defense. 74 points are fewer surrendered in four of their last five games, but last time they played against Providence, and that was at home. They've lost that game 74 to 59. Other than Murphy, pretty much all your normal players were out there on the floor as for DePaul. They went 4 of 19 from three-point range. They turned the ball over 19 times for contest. It's been an issue for them. They've been able to generate turnovers. They had 19 in that game as well, but they also just left Providence wide open on some good looks, and I do think the Providence is going to be able to cover them up once again. I do think that we get more scoring in this game. I don't think we're going to be seeing 38 combined turnovers like we did time number one. I did set my total at a 144. I do think that Caleb Murphy is going to be able to provide a little bit more defense moving forward for DePaul, but I do think the Providence is going to be able to win by double figures like we saw the first time around. Willing to lay up to 11.5 with Providence. Set my total at 144. So, looking at the Friars and the under 665, 666 on the betting board, it is Texas Tech on the road facing off against Kansas State. Kansas State is a 4.5 to a 5.5 point favorite with your total between 145 and 145.5. And with Kansas State, set them as a 5.5 point favorite. Willing to lay up to 5 with them, mostly seeing 5s, as a matter of fact, on this game. And with Kansas State, they've done just such a significant job with Jerome Tang being able to take over this program and getting two guys to really become superstars. And Marquise Noel along with Keontae Johnson. Johnson and Noel combined for 35 points. Johnson, seven boards, 1.3 seals on 39.5% three-point shooting. Noel, the main point guard, 2.3 seals, 8.5 assists. Shoots 37% from the outside. David Angusen down low has been able to give you five boards. You gotta love the way that you've seen Naquan Tomlin come along for the ride. Six for ten combo player, 11 points, six half boards, 1.2 seals, 1.2 blocks per contest. And they go up against the Texas Tech team that, despite the hiccups that we've been seeing in Big 12 play, and it has been a rough go of it for them 
in Big 12 play. This is still a team that ranks 35th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Got a Kansas State team that is right along those lines as well as Kansas State. They rank 37th themselves. Both of these teams play at more of a brisk pace, but they don't necessarily play at a breakneck pace. Texas Tech, 92nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Kansas State, we're on 43rd, so they've been speeding up quite a bit, but for Texas at Kevin O'Banner, I do think he's going to be able to keep them relatively lively in this game. 15.6 boards, shoots 33% for three as a six foot eight combo player. You got Davion Harmon doling out three and a half assists, 2.1 steals, 12 points per game. And I do like the way that you've been able to have, along with um, Jalen Tyson, dipping in their 10 points, six boards, 1.4 steals per game. Texas Tech does a good job of ripping the ball away, but those 14 and a half turnovers compared to Kansas State, having more like 13 and a half at Kansas State, playing at a little bit of a faster pace. That really does it for me, the octagon of doom. It doesn't get it same for no reason for Texas Tech. I will say, even though they've lost each other last six games, they've really only lost two of these games by north of seven points. I do think that this is going to be another game in which it's going to be relatively tight. Kansas State has been able to pull out quite a few of these, and Kansas State has done it in a wide variety of ways. Over the last five games, they have given up 82 points twice, 57 points, 95, and 103. So it has been all over the place with them. I do think that things are going to be reined in a little bit more in this circumstance. I set my total at a 145 and a half. Here at 145, it's really my maximum to go over on, but I'm going to be willing to go over with Kansas State. Want to lay up to five with them. 667, 668 on the betting board. I would say it's a red face off against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is between a one-point favorite to a one-point underdog, and we're seeing some pickup prices as well. Totals between 123 and 124, and for Iowa State, did set them as a two-point favorite. Going to be one, take them, pick them, money line underdog, one-point favorite. I'm going to see how this marinates overnight, but that said, I'm going to be willing to take Iowa State in the spot just because with Iowa State, top 10 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Oklahoma State is in the top 20 as well. These are two really good defenses, so that leads you to the offenses. For one, Iowa State does a better job of being able to generate turnovers than Oklahoma State. Iowa State actually top three in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, but on top of that, the offense. They shoot 35.8% from three-point range. Jerron Holmes, Gabe Kelcher, they combined for 26 points, shooting 36% from three with 3.2 steals per game between the two of them. Oshuna Shuni doesn't have great numbers. Eight and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game, but he's been really good down the line. He only gets six points per game out of team on lip speed, but chips in there, five assists, three rebounds, two steals. He just makes winning plays for this team. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma State, Musa Cisse returned for the last game against Oklahoma. He played two minutes, so I figure that he's either going to be out of the fold or he's going to be so limited that he doesn't make an impact on this game. Bryce Thompson, Avery Anderson, they will make an impact. They've been able to combine for about 22.5 points per contest. Thompson shoots 40% from three, but as a whole, Oklahoma State, they shoot 32% from three. They turn the ball over 14.5 times per game. Caleb Boone, he chips in their 5.5 rebounds per game, and both of these teams, they don't necessarily play at any sort of a super fast pace, but at the same time, they're not slugs either. Especially Oklahoma State is right around 165th in terms of possessions per game. Iowa State, a little bit slower. They're closer to about 270th, 275th in terms of total possessions per game. That said, I do think that Iowa State could be able to win out in this spot, and I could very easily see there being some late game felling. Both of these teams are very solid on defense, but we are starting to see that Iowa State offense being a rise up as well. For Iowa State, they have allowed north of 70 points just really twice all season long, but for Iowa State, they've also scored at least 69 points in three other last four games. 
Meanwhile, you do have an Oklahoma State defense that they've been able to do a good job all season long, giving up 65 points or fewer and four of their last five games. But honestly, 65 points, that's just enough to be able to get you an over if they get to right around 62, 63 themselves. So it is a total that I did set at a 127. I'm willing to go over on the slow total. And with Iowa State made them the two-point favorite, so taking them as a very slight favorite, slash pick-em, slash a very, very slight money line underdog. 669, 670 on the betting board. Penn State is going to be playing us to Nebraska. Nebraska is an underdog of between 8.5 and 9 points with your total between 131 and 132 and with Penn State set them as a 9 point favorite this opened up at 7.5 so we're seeing quite a bit of a line movement but even with the move 8.5 still willing to lay it with Penn State. Penn State has just been so efficient with their offense they are leaving a little bit of something to be desired down low and Derek Walker should be able to have a relatively solid game in this one for Nebraska, he's been able to chip in there all season long, right around 13 and a half points in that pocket, about eight rebounds per game. And then you do have Juwan Gary, who comes in from Alabama, nine and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. But with Nebraska, even though they got the job done against Ohio State a couple days ago, wasn't due to their offense. Offense outside of the top 240 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, shooting 30% from three, 60.4% at the free throw line. So at least something to be desired. Keshi Saminga along with Sam Griesel. They've been able to combine for about 21.3 points per game. Griesel, four boards, 1.2 seals, five and a half rebounds per game. So he's been able to do some nice things for this team. Emmanuel Vandemel chips in there right around nine points per contest as well. And you do take a look at this Penn State team. And Jalen Pickett, in my opinion, needs some recognition for All-American. He has been that good this year. 17.5 points, 7.7 rebounds, 7.3 assists on 1.9 turnovers per game. What more can a guy do to get on that All-America watch list? You've got Andrew Funk and Seth Lundy. They bring the funk. They combine for 26 points while both shoot north of 41.5% from three-point range. Penn State as a whole, they're a top 15 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage at 39.5% with 8.7 turnovers per game. They're a team that they rank right around 250th in terms of total possessions per game. Nebraska is in that fold as well, and you could use a little bit more down low. You've been able to have Kiba Njai be able to give you four points, three and a half rebounds per game as a six foot ten, little bit of a combo player, but that's that for Penn State. Even with them not having a lot of size, I think that they should do a good job staying in front of a Nebraska team that they just haven't been able to generate a lot of points. Sands that overtime game that we saw against Minnesota in which they scored 67 points in regulation in that one. They just have not really been able to break that 70-point plateau too much other than that game that they played against Queens at sea. As a matter of fact, that the game that they played against Queens, the only game that they have broken 70 points in regulation in since they played against Boston College. So, it is a circumstance where I I did make Penn State a nine-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Made my total 133 in this spot. I do think that there's a potential of some late game falling, and I just think that flat out Penn State is going to be really efficient on offense. So looking at the over, and I'm willing to lay up to eight and a half with Penn State. It's 671, 672 on the betting board. Western Michigan plays us Akron. Akron's between a six and a half to a seven-point favorite, and your total between 139 and 139 and a half. And with Akron, I did set them as a seven and a half point favorite. So I am going to be willing to lay the number. This is an Akron bunch that has the best two players out there on the floor, in my opinion, as you've been able to get really good production out of Enrique Freeman down low. He's able to give you a double-double, about 14 points, 10.5 rebounds per game, and then Xavier Castaneda, who comes in from South Florida, has been a tremendous scorer. With 19 points per game, chips in their 3.5 assists, 4.4 rebounds, shooting 39% from 3-point range, and has really cut down on the turnovers as well. We combined 6 turnovers in the last 4 contests, going up against a Western Michigan team that is in the bottom 30, nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession base this Western Michigan. Also in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game. Akron, they're a bottom one team in terms of possessions per game as well, but 
Lamar Norman Jr., Longtree Maddox should be able to give this Western Michigan team some offense. Norman Jr., 18.5 points, 37.5% three-point shooter with three assists per game. And Trey Maddox, he was banged up towards the beginning part of the season, 11.5 points per game. He's been able to do a solid job of being able to give the team double figures in now five out of the last six games that he has played in. And then Marquise Hastings is able to average 10 rebounds, 7.5 points per game. Tight in his right is also able to chip in there right around five boards per game as well. But Western Michigan going to be dominated down the line. Just take a look at this Western Michigan defense. It is the epitome of sadness. They have given up at least 79 points in now five out of their last six games. They were able to hold in there and gave up just 71 points in their last outing, but man, it has not been too terrific for Western Michigan. Meanwhile, you've got an Akron squad that has given up 70 points or fewer in each out of their games in January, five in total. And for that matter, the last time Akron Really gave up north of 70 points aside from that game against Bradley. You have to go back to the Jackson State game. So I think we have up 70 points or fewer in pretty much seven out of their last eight games. It is a good old situation of something's got to give. And I do think that Western Michigan going to have a tough time getting points up on the board against Akron. And both of these teams do play at a slower style. So I do think that less possessions bodes better for the under. I set my total at 135 and a half diving under. And with Akron, made them a seven and a half point favorite. So going to be willing to lay the six after seven that we're seeing. 673, 674 on the betting board. Bahamas is going to be playing as Hampton. Hampton is a two to one and a half point underdog. Your total is between 138 and a half and 139 and a half with Bahamas. I set them as a two-point favorite. I'm willing to lay the one and a half that I'm seeing and absolutely nothing more. It is a Monmouth team that has not been good all season long. It is a Hampton team that has not been good all season long. These are a pair of teams that rank in the bottom 30 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Both of these teams in the bottom 75 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but for Monmouth, I think you've honestly got a little bit more depth with this, this team. You've got Miles Foster leading the way in points and rebounds, 12 points, 6.5 rebounds per game, but that's that. Miles Ruth, Jack Clark, they combined for 16 points, 4 assists, 3 steals per game. You've been able to get a little bit more recently out of Andrew Ball. He's coming off of a 16-point game that he had against Charleston. That's something that is beneficial for this team, and when it comes to Hampton, you pretty much have three guys out there on the floor. Jordan Nesbitt is able to chip in their 14 points, six half boards. He and Russell Dean both shoot about 31% from three. Dean, your main facilitator, four assists, 3.7 rebounds, 14 points per game. And then Marquise Godwin, 12 and a half points on 38, 8.8% three-point shooting. Nobody else gives you north of six points or four rebounds per game. So that is not too terrific for this Hampton team. Both of these teams have been all over the place in terms of their offense and their defense. I think that you're going to see inefficient offense. I think you're going to see inefficient defense. The hallmark of Monmouth is generating right around eight steals per game. I do think that they're going to make this a little bit more of a defense-oriented battle. They have scored 58 points or fewer in each other last six games. Meanwhile, you've got a Hampton team that they've been sort of the opposite as they've given up at least 79 points in each other last three games. Meanwhile, they too have scored 67 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. Both of these teams leaving so much to be desired. But I do think that in the end, home court going to reign supreme in this one, in my opinion. I set Hampton as a two-point underdog, so one half or less, one away with Monmouth. I think both of these teams going to have their trouble scoring. Set my total at 135, so also looking under. 675, 676 on the winning board. St. Louis, they're going to be playing with LaSalle. LaSalle is exploring a cover as between a 14 to a 14.5 point underdog. 
Total is between 145.5, seeing as low as a 145 as well. And I set my number at 13.5. Here at 14+, plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points with LaSalle, who it's been a rough year for Frey and Dunphy and company, but also with St. Louis, even though they've been looking to come into their own a little bit more recently, it's been a topsy-turvy season for them. You've got a St. Louis squad that they're only generating about 4.5 steals per game, and St. Louis squad that has been leaving a lot to be desired on defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a Billiken squad that currently they are ranked outside of the top 180. And with LaSalle, well, they haven't been able to do a whole heck of a lot more themselves. As a matter of fact, they are 216th in the country with this regard. But Khalil Brantley has been able to do more in the backcourt for LaSalle. 14.4 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, 1.6 steals per game for LaSalle team that they shoot 32.5% for 3-point range. The uh, Dramas in Fusani and Hassan Drame, they're only giving you about a combined 16 points, 10 rebounds per game. Neither of these guys shooting above 30% from three-point range. But Jamari Brickus, he's been able to chip in their two and a half assists, 1.2 steals, 44% three-point shooting with his 10 points per game. You've had Josh Nickelberry chip in their 10 and a half points per game as well. And then you've got the nation's leader in assists on the flip side for St. Louis in Yuri Collins. The steals have dropped off a little bit with them. He's only shooting 29% from three for a St. Louis team that I thought was going to shoot much better than 34 0.2% from three-point range. Gibson Jimerson, 13 points, 36.5% three-point shooting, considering he doesn't rebound, he doesn't assist, he doesn't generate seals. That's honestly not great. You've had Javante Perkins along with Javon Pickett. They've been able to combine for about 22 points per game. Pickett chips in their five and a half rebounds per game. And Francis Okoro, his eight rebounds down low has been solid, but Fred Shathatch Jr., him with right around six points per game. Sincere Parker, five and a half points per contest. You need a little bit more out of the ancillary pieces. St. Louis has more depth, but for LaSalle, they've been able to do a good job of being able to get games played a little bit more at their tempo, and it is a LaSalle team that they've been able to do a little bit better with their offense recently. At least 67 points, and now three other last five games. It is a Billiken squad that they're starting to tighten up a bit more on defense, giving up fewer than 63 points in three other their last four games and the offense still has been a constant 75 plus points in four of their last five games. I think we're going up a little bit too lofty with this number with St. Louis. They should be able to win the battle down low, but at the same time, LaSalle's guards are playing a little bit better, and you've had Yuri Collins deal with a little bit of an illness as well, so I had to snip off just a little bit for that. So, 14 or more, I'm going to be willing to take the points with LaSalle. Did set my total at 143.5 as well with recent form of St. Louis, so going to be taking a look at the under to go along with the points. 677, 678 on the betting board. You've got Georgia Southern playing us to Georgia State. Georgia State is a 3.5 to a 4-point underdog with your total between 128 and 128.5. With Georgia State, I set them as a 3-point underdog, so willing to take the points with them. With Georgia State, they've left a lot to be desired in terms of a 3-point shooting, making about 30% as a collective, but Jonas Hayes, who comes over from Xavier, you brought with him Dewan Odom, and he's been able to do a very solid job in the backcourt of this team. He's been coming off the bench the last few games, so he was missing from the fold in the team's last game prior to that. He had came off the bench for 16 points, 11 assists in the win against Coastal Carolina about a week ago, but in the game that he missed against Old Dominion, team lost that game by kind of 70-58, to 58, but a lot of that was just because they just weren't able to shoot from three, and 
They've had that issue all season long as you got a Georgia State team that you do still have, even with having out of the full Duan Odom, Brendan Tucker has been able to give you 13 points per game. Comes over from Charleston where he shot 38.5% from three-part range last season. Shooting just 31% this season, but he's been able to come on recently. He's been able to give the team a double-figure amount of points in each out of the last six contests. You've got quite a bit down low in Gene Hudson. Hudson, he's coming off of 12 points, 8 rebounds, and that's relatively his average for the season. Then I do like what you're able to get out of Evan Johnson as well. Was a little bit slow to start this season, but now he's been able to pick it up 8 plus points so far in the team's last 5 contests. He's also had a combined 10 assists to 1 turnover in the last 2 games as well. Meanwhile for Georgia Southern, this team also has a very difficult time shooting it from 3-point range at 28.8% from 3 and 66% at the free fly. And if this comes down to late game felling, you can't feel too good about that. Carlos Curry, he does give you 7 boards, right around 7.5 points per game, and then you're just mixing and matching with guards at this point. Caden Archie, Kamari Brown, throw in there, Taryn Moore. All these guys give between about 7.5 and, and 10 points per game, and none of them shoot it well from 3. Jalen Finch, 10.5 points, 3.5 boards. On right around 35.5% 3-point shooting, and both of these teams doing a relatively solid job on defense. Georgia Southern, they're playing very slowly. They're in the... Bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. Georgia State a little bit closer to being a mid-tempo team, but Georgia State 93rd in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. You've got a Georgia Southern team that's more around 220th, though. Home and road, they've got pretty much the same split. So, a circumstance where I made Georgia State the three-point underdog. So, willing to take three and a half for four, even with Odom. Dealing with a little bit of an injury. And I do think that this is going to be a yucky, slow, low-scoring game. So, a circumstance where looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with Georgia State. 679, 680 on the betting board. It is Arkansas State playing us at Marshall. Marshall's between a 10 to an 11.5 point road favorite. And your total between 140.5 and 141.5 with Arkansas State. They've been playing at a bottom 30 tempo all season long. Meanwhile, you've got a Marshall team that is playing at a top 45 tempo in terms of total possessions per game. So, good old situation of something's got to give. And I did set this at a 140 and a half. I'm going to be looking under because you've seen Marshall be able to do a better job on defense this year. They're now ranked in the top 65 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And with Marshall, made them a 10 and a half point favorite. So, here at 11 to 11 and a half, I think that we're starting to get a little bit too lofty. Though, I do think that you're going to be able to still get a good performance out of this Marshall team. With Marshall, you got Micah Hengelotten, who is going to be able to control things down low. He's been able to give this team right around 11 rebounds per game in the top 10 nationally. In terms of rebounds per game, he's going to be matched up with Omar El-Sheikh, who for this Arkansas State team is able to give you 11 points, 9.5 rebounds per game. He's been able to do a rock-solid job there. Arkansas State overall has been able to shoot about 34.5% from three-point range. So Malcolm Farrington, who is really able to be one of the top scorers out of conference. He has had a goose egg in four of the last five games. They decide to give him minutes once again against Louisiana and go figure, he had 13 points, so he might be able to get back to the form that we were seeing a little bit earlier in the season. Caleb Fields, he's your main facilitator for Arkansas State. Only shoots about 30% from three, but 4.7 assists, 11.8 points per contest, so he's been able to do a solid job there. Meanwhile, you've got a Marshall team that they've got a nice backcourt duo in Andrew Taylor and KV on Tinsey. They combine to be able to give you 40 points 10 rebounds, 10.6 assists. You've got Kinsey shooting about 33.5% from three. Taylor, 34.7% from the outside. And then you've had Camden Kerfman come in from VMI, shoot 42% from three. So, like what I'm seeing out of him, it's a Marshall team that they have given up 67 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. They've still been able to get past the 75 point plateau 
in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got an Arkansas State team that, well, the offense has not been there. They have scored 60 points or fewer in now five out of their last seven games and four out of their last five overall. But I do think that Arkansas State going to do a good job with their slow, grimy play of being able to hold in their Arkansas State once again. One of those teams in which just because you play slowly doesn't mean that you play tremendous defense. They're currently ranked right around 333rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they've actually been giving up 10 points per 100 possessions fewer when they've been on the road than at home. I do think that this split is going to iron itself out just a little bit. I did set this line at 10.5, so getting 11 or more going to be one to take the points with Arkansas State. and made my total 140.5, so going to be one to dive under. 681, 682 on the betting board. James Madison hits the road face off against Southern Miss. Southern Miss is between a one-point favorite to a one-point underdog. So it's between 146.5 and 147.5 and with Southern Miss, I did set them as a underdog of two points. I'm going to be willing to ride with James Madison. James Madison coming off of a massive overtime come from behind win over Troy. They had really went downward when they lost those three state games to Texas State, Appalachia State, and South Alabama. They scored approximately 62 points in all those games. Now they've got Vado Morris back in the fold. And Vado Morris, he, in those two games that they have been able to win ever since that losing streak, 25 points apiece in them. It shows just how important he is for this team, in which for James Madison, you would think that one guy being out wouldn't be that critical because they play right around an eight to a nine man rotation with whole bunch of guys that give you six plus points per game. They don't have one guy that gives you anything more than 5.4 rebounds per game, but they've got five separate guys to give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. One of those holes greater than some of its parts teams that shoots 35.5% from three-point range, but that said, it clearly has been making quite a bit of an impact. And then for Southern Miss, they've been able to play some solid defense. They're in the top 60 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they have been giving up a little bit more recently, giving up 70-plus points in three their last five games. I do think that they're going to be able to do a little bit better in terms of this spot, but the problem is, even if they do a better job of giving up fewer points per possession, it's a James Madison team that ranks in the top 15 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. You've got Felipe Haas, along to Andre Pinckney. They've been able to combine for 28 points. They combine for about 37.5% three-point shooting. Austin Crowley, who comes in from Ole Miss, three assists, 2.3 steals, 18 points per game, and then guys like Mo Arnold, Donovan Ivory, and company. They do a solid job, but they still don't have quite a as much depth as James Madison looks like James Madison with getting Morris back in the fold. They're getting back to what they were towards the beginning part of the season. So I did make James Madison the two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a money line underdog slash take them as a very, very slight favorite if that's how it shakes out. But did set my total at 147. I like what I've seen on the Southern Miss team in terms of their defense. I do think that James Madison is also doing a solid job with their defense. They're a top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So even though I expect a lot of possessions in this game, I'm willing to go under on this 147 as I set my total at 146. And I'm to take James Madison as a very, very slight underdog slash favorite. 683, 684 on the betting board. Pittsburgh plays those to Florida State. Florida State between a 9 to 10 point underdog and your total is 145 to 145.5 and with Florida State set them as a 10 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the 9 to 9.5 that I'm seeing right now with Pittsburgh. This team has really been able to rise up this season with their offense. They are going to be without John Hughley for the remainder of the season but it's not like he was really doing anything to start out with so Pittsburgh not necessarily supreme down low but for Florida State a team that always has relied upon depth for them being able to have success. They don't have that this year. You do have Matthew Cleveland, who's been able to give you a double-double in eight straight games, averaging 14 points, eight boards, and 43% three-point shooting, and then 
Caleb Mills, Aaron Green Jr. They combined for 27.5 points, right around 5.5 assists, 1.5 steals for Mills, and 41% three-point shooting of Darren Green Jr. But past that, you don't necessarily get a ton. You've had a bit of an injury to Naheem McLeod, which has caused him. And when he's been out there, he hasn't been able to give you too many minutes. He's seven foot three, so that's a big loss figuratively and literally. Fed Jalen Worley being able to give you four assists per game, but not really much of a scorer. And then for Pittsburgh, you do have a pair of guys in Blake Kinson, Jamarius Burton, who have been constants with a combined 32 points, 10 and a half boards, and they combined to shoot about 36% from three point range. Greg Elliott, he's shooting nearly 40% from the outside, 10 and a half points per contest, and then Nelly Cummings. Four and a half assists, 97% free throw shooting, fewer than 2.2 turnovers per game. He's been able to do a great job on that front. And then you've been able to have right around five and a half rebounds out of Frederico. Frederico, he has come in as a six foot eleven big man and has been able to do a really good job down low for this team as well. So I look at Pittsburgh. I do think that they've got all the goods. They are a team that turns the points a lot on a per possession basis. Is leaving a little bit of something to be desired. Florida State leaving a lot to be desired. 281st in the country in terms of points slot on a per possession basis. Pittsburgh more in that neighborhood of about 96th and I do think that Pittsburgh, a mid-tempo team, going to be able to take it to Florida State in this spot. I did set Pittsburgh as a 10-point favorite. I'm willing to lay the number. Me my total, 145. So 145 and a half. That is my buy point on the under as we have seen Pittsburgh play a little bit better defense recently, giving up 65 points or fewer in three of the last five games. So looking at the under, and I'm willing to lay up to 9.5 with Pittsburgh, 685, 686 on the betting board. Western Illinois plays out to St. Thomas. St. Thomas is between a one-point favorite to a one-and-a-half-point underdog. Your total is between 147.5 and 148.5 with Western Illinois made them the two-and-a-half-point underdog. So with St. Thomas, we're going to take them as a money line underdog slash a very, very slight favorite with St. Thomas. Thomas, they're a very interesting team in that they're in the bottom 50 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. They don't do a great job on defense as they're 310th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're one of the more efficient offenses. They're going to find it all of college basketball as well, and they go up against a Western Illinois team that is looking to play a lot of positionless basketball as you've got a pair of guys in Trenton Masoner along with Alec Rosner. They're sort of guys that just do it all for this team with Masoner, 16 points, 5.5 boards, 5.5 assists. She's 34% from three. Rosner shoots 41% from the outside. A CL, 2.5 assists, 15 points per contest. And then pass that Vuk Stefanovic who comes in from St. Francis of Brooklyn, 10.5 points per game for a Western Illinois team that only turned the ball over 11.5 times per game. They're a mid-tempo team that shoots 31% from three, but Western Illinois turns 79th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And St. Thomas is going to be able to play even up on the glass despite the fact that they don't have a ton of size down low. Brooks Allen along with Anjay Lee have both been able to give you four rebounds for game. Parker Jorkland, 14.5 points, 4.5 boards. Good set sheet suffer. You've got a 37.5% three-point shooting team at St. Thomas set as a good shooter in Riley Miller. So they will shoot 43.5% from the outside, 92% at the free line. Each of your top five scores for St. Thomas shoot at least 72.3% at the free line with Miller chipping in their 14 points per game and Andrew Rode. Three and a half assists, one and a half seals, 15 points per game. It is a St. Thomas team that has looked really good in this conference. They are coming off of a pair of back-to-back losses against Oral Roberts and UMKC, but both of those came on the road. Very respectable there. And it's a Western Illinois team that all of a sudden their offense has begun to fail them. 63 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. So an interesting ordeal. I just don't think you get enough possessions for an over in this spot. Semi total 144 and a half diving under. I do think that with Western Illinois not having a lot down low, St. Thomas going to be able to get the job done. Set St. Thomas as a two and a half point favorite. So we'll take the Tommies 
as a pick'em slash a very slight favorite slash underdog. 687, 688 on the bank board. South Dakota State plays us at Denver. Denver is a underdog of 9.5 to 10 points, and your total is 145.5. And with Denver, I set them as a 10-point underdog. So 9.5 is the maximum one to lay with South Dakota State, but one to lay the 9.5. Zeke Mayo is going to be the most versatile player out there on the floor. 15.5 points, 6.5 boards, 3.2 assists. Only shoots about 31.5% from three for a bunch of shoots, 32% from three, but... South Dakota State. This comes down to late game following. They're going to be able to cover because they shoot 80% of the charity stripe, a top eight mark in all of college basketball. You've had Alex Arians do a nice job with his versatility. Eight and a half points, five boards, two and a half assists for the kid from Wisconsin. Shoots 39% from three with double figures in four of the last five games. And South Dakota State has been able to shape up with regards to turnovers. Out of conference, they were averaging right around 16 turnovers per game. In conference, it's been closer to right around 11 as just the Summit League in general doesn't create a lot of turnovers. You do have Tommy Bruner on the flip side for Denver, giving you 38.5% three-point shooting, 16 points per game. All of a sudden, Tevin Smith is back to scoring the way that he knows how. He's been able to get the team double figures in each out of the last four games. He was averaging right around 14 points per game to begin the season. Came back from injury. First five games coming back, he had scored six points or fewer, but it looks like he is back to being his normal self. And then you got Tyree Corbett, 10 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. He's going to be able to win that battle down low, and then you've been able to get right around 5.5 boards, 11.5 points per game with having Mr. Tuco Tameno be able to deliver that. As he also shoots 39% from three-point range. Both of these teams leaving something to be desired on defense, but for South Dakota State, they've honestly been a little bit better with their defense, 187th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Got a Denver team that's currently clocking in at 298th with this aspect. And when it comes to Denver, things have just been going a little bit more sideways for them on defense as they have given up 71 plus points in far of their last five games. Meanwhile, for South Dakota State, they've given up 65 points or fewer in all five of their games ever since Christmas. So they've been able to do a great job on that front end. For that matter, for South Dakota State, they have a lot more than 65 points in just one out of their last seven games. I do think that South Dakota State going to be able to tighten up the screws a little bit more in this ordeal. I did, as a result, set them as a 10-point favorite, so want to lay up to 9.5 with them. And for this total, I did set it out of 146. I do think that we're going to see things be a little bit more up and down with Denver playing no defense whatsoever. So you're at 145.5. It's a max I'm willing to go over on, but willing to go over 689, 690 on the betting board. Chattanooga plays us East Tennessee State. East Tennessee State is an underdog of 10 to 10.5 points with your total between 142 and 143. And with East Tennessee State, I did set them as a underdog of 9.5 points. So here at 10 to 10.5, it is my buy point on ETSU. Needed some form of double digits to be able to get there on there, but was able to get there on them. You've got a Chattanooga team that is currently ranked in the bottom one in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I recognize that East Tennessee State not necessarily doing the world's greatest job on defense, but you've got scores for the team and DeAndre Tipler along Jordan King. King Leister shot 43% for three. That's down to 29% this season. Tipler shoots more around 37.5% from three-point range, but these two guys, they combine for about 25 points per contest for an ETSU team. That's more around 200th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for ETSU, what I will say for them is that they are giving up right around 7.5 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road than they are at home. So that's actually good for them. Jalen Haynes, he's been able to come in, give the team 5.5 boards, 12.5 points per game after he has had Virginia Tech last season, as well as an ECSU team that shoots only about 31% from three, 66% at the free line. So they've been 
leaving a little bit of something to be desired on the offensive side of things. And that shows in which they have scored 60 points of fear and four of their last five games, aside from one eruption of 95 against the Citadel. Meanwhile, you've got a Chattanooga team that they've given up at least 75 points in each other last four games. And for that matter, last time Chattanooga gave up fewer than 70 points, you have to go all the way back to when they played against Mercer just before the turn of the new year. And that's really the only D1 team that they've held at fewer than 70 points since the beginning of the month of December. Now, Jake Stevens has been incredible. 22 points, 10 rebounds. He is 7 feet tall. She's 40% for 3 two and a half blocks per contest. He has had some just absolutely remarkable showings this year. It's a lot of fun to be able to take a look at him. The rest of the team... It does leave a little bit of something to be desired. I do like what they've been able to get out of Jamal Johnson. 13 and a half points, four and a half boards. He shoots about 38% from three. Chattanooga shoots 38% from three. This is a very efficient offense. Just an incredibly inefficient defense. Even though neither of these teams necessarily play up tempo, just with the defense that you've got on both sides, I do think that you're going to get points up on the board. I do think that Going up against Chattanooga, the perfect way for ETSU to be able to get out of their defensive funk. I set this line at 9.5, so 10 or more. Taking the points with ETSU, set my total at 145.5, so also going over 691, 692 on the betting board. South Carolina, they're going to be playing with Auburn. Auburn is a 12.5 to a 13-point favorite, and your total is 134.5. And with Auburn, I did set them as a 9.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the double figures with South Carolina. South Carolina certainly has not been able to have a great team this season, but that's at Gigi Jackson as we have a score double figures in all but two of the games thus far this season. Doing a good job leading the way with right around 15 points, six half rebounds per game for a South Carolina team. And that's all they shoot 31.5% from three, less than 40% from the floor and 63.5% at the free throw line. And both of these teams, they've really cranked down their tempo this season. Auburn, Traditionally, a super fast team, right around 150th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. South Carolina, they're now 309th. South Carolina, leaving a lot to be desired on defense. Auburn, not leaving so much to be desired on defense. Auburn, 10th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, you've got a South Carolina team that are currently 306th. But that said, for South Carolina, they are getting more out of Michi Johnson, who's been able to give you 3.5 assists, 12.5 points per game. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. And Chico Carter is able to shoot about 48.5% from three-point range going up against an Auburn squad that they do a good job of being able to cut off the three-point arc, and they do a nice job down low. G&I Broom, he is cleaning up with two and a half blocks, 1.2 steals, 12.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game, but it's an Auburn team that only shoots right around 30.5% from three-point range. Now, they've been able to get a little bit more out of Alan Flanagan recently, eight-plus points in each of the team's last five games. He was one of their main scorers right around two seasons ago, but that's that Wendell Green. He's been the main headliner for the team, 13.5 points per game. I do think for South Carolina, you're going to get a little bit more scoring in general out of some of these ancillary pieces like Jacoby Wright, who's able to give you six points per game. Hayden Brown is undersized for the SEC, but still does give you 11 points per game, but that said, it is a circumstance where I think that this number's a little bit overinflated with Auburn. I think that they're going to knock down more shots than normal, but I do think that South Carolina probably going to be looking to just up their pace a little bit compared to what we've been seeing recently. It is a South Carolina team that has been a little bit random, scoring fewer than 60 points in three of their last five games, but they've also been able to get past the 70-point plateau against Vanderbilt and Kentucky on the road, and for Auburn, they've surrendered 63 points or fewer in now three of their last four games, but I do think that South Carolina going to be looking to crank things up just a little bit more. It is a circumstance where I set my total at 135 and a half. I'm looking over with... South Carolina, anything of double digits was a take for me, so going to be taking a look at the points to go along with this total over as 
We add on over to uh, 693, 694 on the betting board, Northern Illinois on the road against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan is a two and a half to a three point favorite. Your totals between 149 and a half and 150. And for Northern Illinois, set them as a four point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Imani Bates is going to be the best player out there on the floor, and he is on the side of Eastern Michigan, and he's been able to give the team 20.5 points, 5.5 boards, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, going up against a Northern Illinois team that they have been leaving something to be desired, to say the least, on the defensive side of things, 250th in the country, points a lot on a per-possession basis, but that said, you also do take a look at this Northern Illinois team, and they do have a pair of guys that are able to combine for about 32 points per game, as Keyshawn Williams has been able to chip in their 18 points per game, Two and a half assists, shoots 35% for three. David Coit shoots 34.5% for the outside, 14.5 points per contest. So these guys have been able to do a relatively solid job. Williams most likely going to be out of the full once again, though, for this Northern Illinois team. So I had to deduct pretty much two points from them. If he'd be in, I'd be willing to back them. But now you're going to need to get more out of Caleb Thornton, who's been able to give the team three and a half assists per game, a combined 12 assists in the last two contests with a combined 34 points in this band as well. So he's been able to take on a little bit more of the lion's share of the scoring, but without him in the fold, it has been a Northern Illinois team that has been giving up points upon points. They gave up 77-plus points in two other three games without him, and for that matter, Northern Illinois has given up at least 75 points in four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got an Eastern Michigan team that they went down the tubes with their offense, 67 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, and that's really the only calling card that they've got. They don't have a lot down low. Legend Geeter gives you four and a half rebounds per game. Tyson Acuff, Noah Farrakhan, they combine for about 24 and a half points per game, and when it comes to Acuff, he's able to give you about three assists per game. Both of these teams really leaving a lot to be desired on offense. They really aren't doing a tremendous job on defense, so it is a circumstance where I did say Eastern Michigan has a four-point favorite. I do think that having Northern Illinois' top scorer in Williams out of the fold is a big deal in this one, and that means that Imani Bates could be by far the best player out there on the floor. Both of these defenses are inefficient, but Eastern Michigan has been on a rut with their offense, so this is a circumstance where I did set my total at 146, diving under with Eastern Michigan. One delay up to three and a half with them, set them as a four-point favorite. 695, 696 on the betting board. Bradley is going to be playing us at Belmont. The Bruins of Belmont are going to have things on Bruin as they are a seven to a seven and a half point underdog. Totals between 136.5 and 137. And I did set my total at 136. You've got a Bradley team that has been one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, you've got a Bruins team that's 180th in the country in terms of points a lot on a possession basis. Bradley 19th. And there's just so much better at home. Bradley is giving up 23.4 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. And the last time these two teams played, it was in Nashville, Tennessee. Belmont was able to get the job done by kind of 63 to 60. Bradley got their style, but Belmont was able to go 11 of 25 from three. And it's a Belmont team that they're shooting as a whole about 40% from three-point range. Ben Shepard has been the main guy for this, right around 19 points, five rebounds, shooting above 40% from three. And he is the only guy on the team. Gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. Evan Bronson has been able to give you about four boards per contest. Not doing a ton down low for the team. I do like Kate Tyson. He and Dan Freiberg combined to shoot above 42% from three-point range. Both of these guys have been able to combine for in that neighborhood of about 24 and a half points per game. Meanwhile, for Bradley, Malevi, Leon's rink mass. They've been able to combine for about 24 and a half points, 14 and a half rebounds per game with Leon's. Six foot nine combo players able to shoot 38% from three-point range. Bradley should be able to win the battle down low. They actually lost the rebound battle 32 to 30. 
First time these two teams matched up, but you got a lot of good depth with this team. Has been able to get about 8.5 points per game out of Connor Hickman, and I do like the way that Duke Dean has been able to run this offense. 3 assists, 11 points per contest, shooting 37.5% from 3-part range. Vali Telehaven has been able to give you 4 boards, 7.5 points, shoots 37% from 3-part range. He's been at Bradley for like 10 years, and I have not been able to say his name correctly at all, but that's it for Bradley. They had a rough go up against Drake. They gave up 86 points in that game, but past that, this team has been able to do a rock-solid job with their defense. They have scored north of 75 points in three of their last four games. I don't think that that's going to be continuing. It's a Belmont team that they come into this game super-duper hot on offense. They have scored at least 74 points in four straight games after they had scored just 45 points against Southern Illinois, and they had scored just 63 points in that game against Bradley as well. So Belmont is showing that against good defenses that like to slow the game down, like Bradley does. Bradley in the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game that they certainly can be held down with that set. This is a circumstance where I do think that Bradley gets their style once again, but this time I do think that they're going to be able to execute. They're going to be able to win the battle down low, and I do think that Bradley is going to do a nice job with their ball distribution. I did set my total at 136, diving under with Bradley. Made them an 8-point favorite, so when it willing to lay up to 7.5 with them. 697, 698 on the betting board. UT San Antonio, meet me for the Roadrunners, who play us a Florida National. Florida National has any work between a 2.5 to a 3-point favorite, and your total is 147 to 147.5 for UT San Antonio. I made them the 1.5-point favorite. We're going to be willing to ride with the Roadrunners in this spot as UT San Antonio has had their share of wins and losses recently as they got pummeled by Florida Atlantic a couple days ago, but a lot of teams are going to get pummeled by Florida Atlantic and for Florida National. It's really a two-man team at this point as Denver Jones, Arturo Dean, they've been tremendous. They've been able to combine for 31 points, right around four and a half assists, eight rebounds, and a little bit over four steals per game with Jones, shooting 42% from three-point range. You don't have anyone on this team that gives you north of 4.2 rebounds per game, and they're in the top 35 in terms of possessions per game. That's really, really hard to do. Nick Guadarrama is that guy with 7.6 points, 4.1 rebounds per game, and you don't have anyone outside of Dean and Jones giving you north of 7.6 points per game despite that tempo, too. That's an issue. You've got a UT San Antonio team that is a little bit undermanned as Jacob Germany as we deal with a little bit of an ailment. Should be good to go in this one. And that game against Florida Atlantic was a little bit limited with his minutes, but 13 points, 11 rebounds in about 22 minutes. He looks good to go there. The buggy man, John Bugs, has been able to shoot about 39.5% from three-point range. DJ Richards shoots about 38.5% from three. These two guys combined for 22 points per game. And Joseph Meter has been able to tip in their four assists per game. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point UTSA turn the ball over 14 times per game before national. They are turning the ball over right around 15 and a half times per game. Both of these teams certainly having some deficiencies on defense to say the least for national. They rank 228th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. You've got yourself a San Antonio team that is right around 325th, but UT San Antonio giving up 11.7 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. And it is a San Antonio bunch that have scored 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Got a Florida National team that's playing at breakneck pace and have given up at least 70 points in five out of their last six games. Meanwhile, they themselves have had a tough time scoring points as their game against Florida Atlantic went to overtime. So in regulation, they've been held below 70 points in four straight games. I do think that you're going to have a game that is going to be seeing a relatively decent tempo, but at the same time, with both of these offenses being so cold and both of these teams turning 
involved for so much. That's going to lead to a lot of wasted possessions. I did, as a result, make my total 144 and a half diving under, but I do think that with San Antonio, you've just got more depth with the team in general. And with Jacob Germany back at the fold, I'm willing to take UT San Antonio outright on the money line to go along with this total under. 699-700 on the betting board. UAB is going to be playing us in North Texas. The Mean Green are an underdog of three and a half to four points with your total between 130 and a half and 132. And it's a circumstance where I did make my total 133. I'm going to be one to go over now. I am expecting Jolly Walker to be out of the fold once again, which I always think it's strange when you have words of food as someone's first name. I would prefer to call him Jordan Walker, but... That said, Mr. Walker, who is currently averaging 23.8 points, 4.3 assists, shooting 40% from three. He has not played in the last few games for this team. He is currently in a walking boot. I am expecting him out. If there is anything different, I will certainly shade up UAB appropriately as according to what percentage he would be, but I'm expecting him out of the fold. That means that North Texas, they've got the best peer score out there on the floor. Tyler Perry. You've seen him on the silver screen. Now you see him on the basketball floor, 17.5 points on 45.5%. Three-point shooting, he's been able to do a great job. And then you've got Kai Hunsberry along with Abdul Usman. Both of these guys give you about 11 to 11.5 points per contest. Hunsberry is in the backcourt giving out nearly three assists per contest. Usman down low has been able to give you 6.2 rebounds per game. And then you've got Aaron Scott along with Jada Martinez. They combine for 11.5 points, 9.8 rebounds. Both shoot 36.5% from three for a North Texas team. that They're playing three possessions fewer per game than any other team in all of college basketball now. Even without Jelly Walker, it has been a UAB team that has continued to play over. They are the top over team in all of college basketball. They've been able to get past 73 points in, I believe, all but one of their games thus far this season. So UAB has been a rocket ship with that regard. You've got the Brewer brothers and Ladarius and Ty Brewer who have been able to combine for about 15 points per contest, eight rebounds. They don't necessarily shoot it well from three, but Eric Gaines has had to step up with Jelly Walker being out of the fold. And in the two games that they have been without Jelly Walker, eight assists, five steals, 37 points, six turnovers, but also nine rebounds in that time span as well. KJ Buffin is able to give you seven rebounds per game, and then you do have Free Jemison, 8.7 points, eight and a half rebounds, right around two blocks per contest. You should be able to do a solid job down low for UAB, and I do think that UAB gets the job done, but it's a North Texas team that just with their style and having the best score out there on the floor, I think that they're going to be able to keep this close. It is a circumstance where I set my number at a 133 in terms of the total. I still do like it to go over UAB. As shown, even without Jelly Walker, that they're going to be playing at a top 30 tempo in terms of possessions per game overall for the season. UAB, a top 15 team in terms of possessions per game. I do think the North Texas is going to be able to get some buckets with Perry as well. So, looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to three with the UAB. So, three and a half to four, taking the points with North Texas. 7 to 1, 7 to 2 on the betting board. Brown is going to be playing us Columbia. What can Brown do for you? Well, you need them to win by north of 12 points for them to make you money as they're a 12 to 12 and a half point favorite. And your total on this game, you're getting it in between 133 and a half and 134.5. And, and with Brown, I set them as an 11 and a half point favorite here at 12, 12 and a half. We've gone up a little bit too lofty. It is a Columbia team that is leaving quite a bit of something to be desired on the offensive side of things. On the defensive end, it's not like it's great, but you know what? 230th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It could be worse, especially when you're going up against a Brown team that is shooting darn near 60% 
at the free throw line. Now with Brown, you do have someone like Lake Aquino Lilly Jr. that's able to give you about 14 points per contest, shooting nearly 40% from three-point range. And Patrick Wojcik has been able to do a really solid job as well. He chips in there a double-figure amount of points. He shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, 6.5 rebounds per game. Nana Awusu Anane has been able to provide a lot of versatility. It's not quite what Tammany Joe was in seasons past, but down low, 7 rebounds, 10 points, right around 2.5 assists, and 1.6 steals per game. Gotta love his game. And then Geronimo Rubio de La Rosa does it all for Colombia. 2.5 assists, 12.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, shooting 38% for 3-point range, double figures in 4 out of the last 5 games. And then for Colombia, the freshman able to step up, Bryce Thompson, 7.5 points, 4 boards, and then you've got a six foot ten combo player in Senai, Ide Bedri, who's been able to give you eight and a half points, four and a half boards. Was off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the season, but now nine plus points in three of the last four games. I do think that this is going to be more of a low scoring slog. You've got a Brown team that ranks in the top 75 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, and it is a Brown team that also is not looking to play very fast. 210th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. It's a Columbia team that they play with a little bit of pace. They're right around one earth in terms of total possessions per game, but ultimately I do think that the Brown defense is going to be able to win out, and I do think that the lack of Brown shooting is going to prevent them from being able to get a cover as well. So, a circumstance where I set my number at 11.5, taking 12 or more with Columbia, and I set my total at 129.5. I'm going to be diving under 703, 704 on the betting board. St. Bonaventure is on the road facing off against Loyal Chicago. Loyal Chicago is a one-point underdog with your total between 132 and 132.5. I set Loyal Chicago as a one-point favorite. Loyal Chicago is still in search of their first win in conference as an Atlantic 10 member. I do think that they're going to be able to get it here, so... I'm going to be taking them on the money line with Loyal Chicago. It's been a bad season for them. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. 16 and a half turnovers per game. They've given up at least 75 points in all but one of their conference games thus far. Meanwhile, for St. Bonaventure, the defense has actually been there for them. They've given up 69 points or fewer in five out of their last six games, so they've been able to rise up there, and it is a St. Bonaventure team that you do have a nice little backcourt duel in Darrell Banks, the third along with Kyra Luch. They combine for 29.6 points, right around 4.5 assists and 2 seals per game out of Luch. Meanwhile, Banks, the third, shoots 38% from three-point range, but it is a St. Bonaventure team that's in the bottom one in terms of possessions per game. They turn the ball over 12.5 times per game and don't have a ton down low. Chad Benning, 5.5 rebounds, a block and a half per contest. Jan Farrell, 8.5 points, 7 rebounds per game, but... The Bonnies really don't have a lot of depth. And then Philip Olsen has been impressing me. 14.5 points, 5.5 boards, 43% three-point shooter for Loyola Chicago. Brandon Schweiger has been able to shoot 39% from three-point range for Loyola. And Marquise Kennedy, we're on 45.5%. These two guys combined for 19 points, 3.5 assists per game. The 16.5 turnovers per game is what's really unsightly for Loyola Chicago. And for St. Bonaventure, they generate about 7 steals per game. And it's a Loyola Chicago team that scored 64 points for fear and for their last five games, despite the fact that the defense has been all over the place. But I do think that Loyal Chicago here at home, they're going to be able to rise up a little bit more against the Bonnie team that they still have a little bit of lack of chemistry. Lost 99.9% of their scoring from a season ago. And I do think that you're going to be seeing a bit of scoring here. So my total at 133. Neither of these teams necessarily play up-tempo, but that's at Loyal Chicago letting up quite a few points. I do think that you're in for some late game falling. So looking at the over on 132.5 with Loyal Chicago made them the one-point favorite. So looking at Loyal as a money line underdog to go along with this total over 7-5, 7-6 on the betting board. Missouri State is going to be playing
playing against the Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois is an underdog of 2.5 to 3 points. Seeing straight 2 out there as well. Your total is between 120.5 and 122. And with Southern Illinois, I set them as a 1.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take Southern Illinois as a money line underdog with Southern Illinois. We've got the best player out there on the floor. His name is Marcus Domask. The kid from Wapon, Wisconsin, just does it all. He's able to chip in there. Darn near 16.5 points per contest. Six boards, 3.6 assists per contest for a Southern Illinois team that, outside of him, does not have a single guy that gives you north of 3.9 rebounds per game. You do have Lance Jones and Xavier Johnson combining for a little bit over five assists per game. Johnson, only seven points per game. He's been a disappointment coming over from George Mason, but that's at Lance Jones. 14 points per game. Got a Southern Illinois team that they only shoot about 30.5% from three-point range, but the calling card of this team is defense. Southern Illinois, after a little bit of shakiness out of conference, they've really been able to rein it in. 23rd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They go up against a Missouri State team that ranks in the bottom 25 in terms of total possessions per game. Southern Illinois, they aren't too far off of that as well. Chance Moore has been able to generate for Missouri State 12 points, four boards, shoots 37.5% for three, but for Missouri State in a nip and tuck game, they shoot 61.7% at the free line. You gotta love the versatility of Donovan Clay, who's been able to give you 10.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game, and Josh Mogbo, 6 rebounds, 7.5 points per game, 1.8 steals per game as well, but you need more out of guys like an Alston Mason, who have been able to give you right around 6.5 points per game. It is a Missouri State team that, no question about it, they're playing relatively slow, relatively grimy. Clarence Rupert has been able to step up a little bit more for Southern Illinois. He's been able to give the team 6.5 points, 4 rebounds per game. Both of these teams really have headline scores, and then from there, it's just the rest of the pieces, but that said, it feels like Southern Illinois just playing a little bit better on the defensive side of things, and that's why I do favor them in this spot, along with having the best takeover score. So, a circumstance where I set Southern Illinois as a a 1.5 point favorite, taking them on the money line as an underdog, and both of these teams not playing with a lot of tempo, both of these teams leaving a lot to be desired on offense, set my total at 119, so... Even though we've got a very low total, I'm going under to go along with Southern Illinois on the money line. 7-7, 7-8 on the bank board. Colorado State is on the road facing off against Wyoming. Wyoming, a one to one and a half point underdog. And your total is between 145 and 145 and a half. It's really hard for me to fade Wyoming at elevation. I have to do it here. I set Colorado State as a two and a half point favorite. And the reason why is it all just comes down to injuries with Wyoming. They're dealing with an injury to Hunter Maldonado, who may or may not play in this game. And if he does play, he's not 100%. Brandon Wetzel is dealing with an injury, and he's pretty much not going to be going. As between Wetzel, who's able to give you 8.5 points and 47.5% three-point shooting, and Maldonado, 13.5 points, 3.5 assists. He shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range with a ceiling after contest. That's two of your top three offensive weapons right there. Noah Reynolds has been a little bit banged up. Should be good to go in this one. He's coming off of scoring 16 points in that last game against Air Force. But, man, you just don't have a lot with this team. Down low, you've got one guy that's able to give you north of five rebounds per game. Hunter Thompson, he has not played this calendar year. You're still without Graham E.K. So, this is a Wyoming team that has all sorts of banged up. And for Colorado State, you have one of the best point guards in all of college basketball, Isaiah Stevens. He's been able to give the team 18.5 points, 6 half assists, shooting 38% from three. And for Colorado State, each of your top five scores shoot at least 37.8% from three-point range. 
each of your top five scores all shoot at least 78% at the free throw line as well. So it's very beneficial for the team. Now, they don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. As John Tonjay, 13.5 points, 4.9 rebounds per game. And then you get it right around 4.9 boards, chip in there as well. Six and a half points per game out of James Moore's. But for Colorado State, having guys like a Patrick Cartier, 13 points, six foot eight combo player that's able to pop threes. That's big. And for Colorado State, they don't turn the ball over. They only turn the ball over right around 11 times for contest. It's a Colorado State team that they play at a low to mid-tempo. Wyoming, they've really had to slow things down due to all the issues with injuries. With Colorado State, 240th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. And for Wyoming, 302nd. With Wyoming, they've actually been able to do a halfway decent job on offense considering all the injuries. Where it's really hurt them is on defense. They have given up at least 76 points in each out of their last six games. The only team that they've been able to tie down for fewer than 75 points in conference has been Fresno State, and that's because Fresno State sinks some. This is a spot where I do think that you're going to be able to get some scoring in this game. Did set my total at a 142.5. I think that we went a little bit too far northward just because the amount of possessions that you get in this game are going to be a little bit smaller. So taking a look at the under and with Colorado State. Made them a 2.5 point favorite, so one delay the 1. 7-9, on the betting board. Mercer hits the road faceoff against UNC Greensboro. Greensboro is a favorite of between 8.5 and, and 9 points. Your total is between 128 and 128.5. Set my total at 129. You do have a pair of teams that rank outside the top 200 in terms of possessions. Sessions per game at Mercer closer to three on earth, but that said, it's a UNC Greensboro team that all of a sudden has been able to play a little bit more offensive base, so I'm going to be willing to ride the recent momentum that they've been able to build, and I did set Greensboro as a nine-point favorite, so I want to lay up to eight and a half with them as well with this UNC Greensboro team. What they do a very nice job of is just getting things going with their main guys in the Langley's. You've got Keyshawn Langley, who's really been the top scorer for this team, chipping in there in the pocket of about 14.5 points per contest. Shoots from three-point range, 42.5%, 2.5 assists per game. And then Kobe Langley, four assists, nearly two steals per game, a little bit more of a defensive stopper with just five points per game. But it's a Greensboro team that all of a sudden, They've been able to get to at least 68 points in each out of the last six games. And for Mercer, even though they play slowly, they don't necessarily play too tremendously on defense. Last two games have been a little bit better, giving up 61 points or fewer to VMI along with East Tennessee State. I think that this was just a little bit more of a flash in the pan, though, because for Mercer, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 260th overall for the season. Meanwhile, you've got a UNC Greensboro team that under Mike Jones, who? Mike Jones. They've been able to do a relatively solid job on this front. 70th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, so they're giving up about 2.8 points more per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than on the road, and you do have a Mercer team that has Lewis Hurtado Jr., who's done a good job coming in from Bryant. Good, versatile guy. 4.4 boards, 4.3 assists, six foot six. a little bit of a point four with 8 points per game. You've had Kamar Robertson shoot 46.5% from 3, and Mercer as a whole, they shoot 36% from 3-point Robertson, 12 points per game. Jalen McCray 14 and a half points, 5.4 rebounds per game, but he's the only guy down low that gives you north of five rebounds per game with having guys like a Mohammed Abdul Salam. North Carolina Greensboro should be able to control this game, and I do think that UNC Greensboro, they're going to be able to continue the good offense that we've been seeing recently, willing to lay up to 8.5 with Greensboro as a result, and I did make my total 129, so looking at the over and looking at Greensboro, 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. Seamal is going to be playing with Marquette. Marquette is a 1.5 to a 2-point favorite, and your total is between 143 and 144.5, and, and with Marquette, set them as a favorite of 2 points. So here at the 1.5, which is the number I'm seeing mostly 
across Vegas. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Marquette. What is key for them is the backcourt duo that they've got in Olivier, Maximine, Prosper, along Cam Jones. These two guys are generating 30.5 points, right around 8.5 rebounds, and Jones shoots 36% from three, and the man that gets them the ball, Tyler Kolick, has been a very efficient. Eight assists at 2.4 turnovers. He shoots about 34% from three with 10.5 points, four boards himself. I really like the way that Marquette is able to generate right around, I would say, 9.5 steals per game with Marquette. They certainly have been cranking up their tempo under Shaka Flocka Flame as this team in terms of total possessions per game, 56 in all of college basketball. Seton Hall, they're a team that they really hang their hat on defense and they're neither really fast nor slow, right around 210th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Kadari Richmond, Tyree Samuel, Elomir Daz, they're able to combine for about 32 points per game. Richmond shoots 38.5% for three with 1.8 seals per game. Dawes and Samuel, they combine for a little bit over two seals per game. And Dawes, he does shoot 41% from three bar range, but seeing Dawes a whole, they shoot 68% of the free line, 30.5% from three bar range. Yeah. Their defense is certainly going to be able to win out in this spot. With Seton Hall, in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, currently they are clocking in at 38, so they've been able to do a nice job on that front. Meanwhile, Marquette, they're starting to fall out of the top 100 with this regard, but with Marquette last time, they faced off against Seton Hall. They were able to get their style, and they were able to get the W by kind of 83-79 to 79 in Milwaukee in that game. You saw Marquette go 9-25 of from three-point range, and it was all about having Oso Ogadero win the battle down low. 16 points, 10 rebounds. He's really the only guy for Marquette that gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game with 12 points, 6.3 rebounds per game. But he's been able to do a really solid job recently, giving the team a combined five blocks in the last two games as well. And I did think that he's going to be able to match up down low with Seton Hall. Casey Undefu has been able to do a solid job being able to give the team two blocks right around eight points, five and a half rebounds per game. And for seeing all, it's really collective for them. You've got essentially seven different guys that give you at least 6.6 points per game. Darn near all of these guys give you at least three and a half rebounds per game aside from really Elamir Dawes. So a circumstance where I do think that things are going to be a little bit more defense-oriented in this game. I did set my total at a 144, but I think here at 143, 143 and a half, it's just not quite high enough. We saw it happen in the first game where we got quite a bit of scoring, so looking at the overhand with Marquette, I do think that it's going to be a little bit tighter in this spot, but want to lay up to one and a half with them. I think they get Seton Hall once again. Some 13, some 14 on the betting board. Drake hits the road faceoff against Evansville. Evansville, between a 13 to a 14 point home underdog. Your total is between 133 and 134 and a half, and with Evansville. Set them as a 12 and a half point underdog. I do think that this is starting to get a little bit disrespectful on an Evansville team that, well, they haven't earned a lot of respect this season, but I do think that they should be able to cover this number because they've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Kenny Strawbridge. Strawbridge has done a nice job coming in from the SWAC and being able to elevate his play with 15 and a half points, a little bit over two assists, 1.3 steals per game for an Evansville team that does shoot 32% for three. It's a mid-tempo Evansville team that has only shot about 62.5% the free line, and it is an Evansville team that, much like what happened last season, defense has been really lacking efficiency. 277th in the country in terms of points allowed in a per-possession basis going up against a Drake team that has the best scorer in this game, Tucker DeVries. He's been able to give the team 18 points per contest, shooting just below 40% from three-point range, shipping in there. About six rebounds, 1.2 steals per game. But then past that, all these guys really know the role. Garrett Sturtz, Darnell Brody. They combine for 13.8 rebounds per game. Very different builds for these two gentlemen. As Sturtz is only six foot three, gets his nose dirty, and is able to generate a seal per contest. Shoots 46% from three. Drake is whole. They shoot 35% from the outside, 76%. 
at the charity stripe. And Drake has really been able to do a good job of being able to hold teams down with their defense in regulation because UIC in that game, they went to overtime with them. They've given up 65 points or fewer in each other the last five games. And for Evansville, a little bit of credit to them. They've been able to get past the 65-point plateau in their last two games, but they have now given up at least 75 points in four of their last five games as well. So it's a good old situation of you got weakness upon weakness in this spot. It is a circumstance where I do think that the number has gotten up a little bit too lofty. Evansville has been able to get a bit more down low. You're getting right around six rebounds per game out of Yassine Tumani, who has come in from France. He's been able to supply about 10 points per game. Gives you a seal per contest, so he's been able to help us in a little bit with Evansville. And you've got also Marvin Coleman, the second. Comes in from UNLV. Nice Swiss Army knife guy. A little bit over his seal. 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds. Shoots 35.5% from three-point range. So, a circumstance where I'm going to be one. Take the 14 with Evansville. Did some I told of 134.5. Evansville has been a bit better with their offense recently. A bit worse with their defense. So looking at the over and taking the points with Evansville. 715, 716 on the bang board. LSU plays those to Tennessee. Tennessee a 9.5 to a 10 point. Road favorite total on this game. You're finding it anywhere between 129.5 and 130. And for Tennessee, they are just pounding teams into oblivion. Number one in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I think that this total is right around what it should be. I set my total at 129.5, so at the 130, that begins to be my buy point on the under because you also do have a LSU team that is starting to slide a little bit with their defense. They're now outside the top 125 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they're a mid-tempo team. And when it comes to this Tennessee bunch, I do think that they're going to be able to can some threes. They've been dealing with a few ailments, which if it wasn't for the injuries, they'd be a double-digit favorite. They're right now dealing with Santiago Vescovi, dealing with a bit of an injury. He's been able to give the team 13 points, shooting 35% from three-part range. And same goes for Tyree Key. Key has been able to give the team nine points per contest, but shoots 36% from three. These are your two most explosive scores, in my opinion, from the outside. But though you do have Zakai Ziegler along with Olivier Kamwa, they combine for 21.5 points. Ziegler is able to give you 4.5 assists at 2.2 steals per game. Kamwa at 6'9", shoots 40% from three. And it is a bunch in Tennessee that they don't have a single player that gives you north of 5.6 rebounds per game, yet they're a top 10 team in terms of rebound rate because if you include Vescovy, he's not going to be most likely in this game. They've got pretty much seven different guys that give you at least three and a half rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for LSU, you got KJ Williams, who I think is going to be able to do a solid job in this game. 18 points, seven and a half boards, shoots 44 and a half percent from three-part range. Cam Hayes, shoots 39 percent from the outside with eight and a half points per game, but LSU has been sliding with their three-point shooting percent right around 34%. Trey Hannibal has been able to do a solid job of being able to supply right around five points, four and a half rebounds, just does a little bit of this and that. Justice Hill, three and a half assists and 1.6 turnovers per game. But we've also noticed with LSU that it's been a squad that has scored 66 points or fewer in each other last four games. So they're starting to give up a bunch of points, 67 plus in four of their last five. It's a Tennessee team that has been able to get past 70 points in four of their last five games. One exception was that loss that they took to Kentucky. They just seem to have one clunker like every three or so weeks. I don't think that that clunker is going to be in this game, but at the same time, I do think that they hold down LSU. I think we're getting up a little bit too lofty. It is an LSU team riding a five-game losing streak, but they've been relatively close in a few of these games. Last two games against Auburn and Alabama, less than savory, but I do think that with Tennessee being a little bit streaky and being a little bit banged up, that LSU is able to keep this within 10 points. Set my number nine and a half, so 10 is my buy point on LSU, so looking at 
the 10 with LSU and semi tall 129.5, so 130 or higher. Taking a look at this little under 717, 718 on the bank board, Northern Arizona plays us East Washington. East Washington, a four point favorite with your total between 146.5 and 147.5, semi number at 145. So, going to be looking at this little under and with Eastern Washington, made them a four point favorite as well. This is a number that we saw open up a little bit closer to three and a half, and at a three and a half, that would be my buy point on Eastern Washington, who's been able to do a good job ever since the beginning part of the season. Things were less than savory for them. Big reason why things have been able to get back online. Steele Ventures, their top scorer from a season ago, he's proving why. He's been able to give the team 15.5 points per contest. Really doesn't give you a lot in terms of facilitation, but shoots 95.5% the free throw line, 37% from three-point range. He has been able to do an absolutely awesome job recently of helping this team get back online. And for East Washington, they do a good job of being able to rebound by committee. You've got someone in Ethan Price who's been able to give you 10 points, 4.5 rebounds, shoots 40% from three-point range. The Jacksonville transfer in Tyrese Davis, 10.5 points, 3.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists, shoots 41% from three-point range. Angelo Algieri, 5.5 boards, 6'6 combo player with 12 points per game, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. And then you get about 6.5 rebounds per game out of Casey Jones as well. Meanwhile, for Northern Arizona, You've got a couple main headliners and then not a lot of depth. As Jalen Cohen has been able to do it all with 17 half points, three and a half boards, three assists. She's 38% from three for a Northern Arizona team that's in the bottom 75 nationally in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. But you have Carson Tout, who gives you three assists, nine points, eight rebounds as a six foot eight. Little bit of a do it all sort of player, and then you know, on top of that, have Xavier Fuller tripping in there 11 and a half points per contest, gives you a steal. Nick Maines at six foot eight, he shoots 96% the free throw line, 34% for three with eight points, five and a half rebounds per game. But past that, you need a little bit more out of some of these guys, like a Oakland Ford who's only been able to give you five points per game. Which that sounds like something that would be used in like the Olympics. Oakland Ford, very interesting name, but he's watching currently 193rd in the country in terms points a lot on a per possession basis but with that said this is also a northern arizona team that they're a mid-tempo team eastern washington is a mid-tempo team as well i do think that this is going to be a game that holds under a semi-total at 145 because we have been noticing that it's been a northern arizona bunch has been a little bit all over the place with regards to their offense if you look at in regulation because their montana game went to overtime they have failed to get to 70 points in four of their last six games in eastern washington has been able to hold up a little bit more recently as well I set my total at a 145, so going to be diving under. And in this spot, said Eastern Washington has a four-point favorite, so three and a half or less. Going to be willing to lay with Eastern Washington, four and a half or more. My buy point on Northern Arizona, 719, 720 on the betting board. Elon is going to be playing us at Towson. Towson is a 10 to 11-point favorite, and your total is between 132 and a half and 133 and a half. With Towson, I did set them as a nine-point favorite, so here at 10, it is my buy point on Elon. Elon has been a gross, grody team that all season long has had a tough time getting things going on offense, but they're going up against the Towson bunch that they've been leaving a whole heck of a lot of something to be desired. Towson, not necessarily going to be a team that wins by differential because they're a team that ranks in the bottom 35 in terms of total possessions per game. Now with Elon, 317th in the country. In terms of points on a per possession basis, Towson, they're still rock solid at 113th, but coming into the season, you just expected a little bit more out of them, and the offense seems a little bit disjointed. You've had Cam Olden be dealing with injury for quite a bit this season. He's now back to full for the team. He's able to give you 14 points, 6 half boards, 4.5 assists, but also 3.9 turnovers per game in his first game back against North Carolina a 
He had four points and three assists in 24 minutes. He didn't necessarily look so great. He has supplied at least four turnovers in now six out of the last seven games that he's played in as well. For a talented team that doesn't play games with a lot of possessions, that's a little bit worrisome. Meanwhile, for Elon, Sean Halloran has been able to come in, give the team 12.5 points, 4.4 assists, 2.3 steals on 92% free throw shooting and 32% three-point shooting. Now, Elon, they only shoot about 30% from three-point range, but Zach Irvin coupled with also... Uh, Max McKinnon have been able to combine for about 22.5 points per contest. McKinnon gives you 5.3 boards, a steal per contest. Um, but able to get a little bit of production there for Elon. Just 2-17 and 17 straight up, 7-10 and 10 against the spread. It's not necessarily been so great. They have been held to 66 points or fewer and far the last five games. But with the numbers getting inflated, they've been able to cover a few numbers recently. And for Towson, defense has been really getting back online. They have given up fewer than 67 points in four out of their last five games. And as a matter of fact, 55 or fewer in three out of the last five. This is a squad that has only been able to exceed 70 points once in that time span, though. And I do think that when you get up to double figures, just a little bit too much here. I do think that this is going to be a slow control game. Semi-total 127 diving under. And with Elon, 9.5 for more will and take the points. 721, 722 on the betting board. Baylor, it's a road face off against Oklahoma. Oklahoma, a 1-1.5 point underdog with your total between 142.5 and 143.5. I set my total at 134.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under. It is a Baylor team that they've been pretty efficient on offense at Baylor. And seen a fall off with their defense. 113th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis going up against the Oklahoma bunch that they have been playing super slow. They're adapting that Porter Mosier style and they're in the bottom 30 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Once again, just because you're slow doesn't mean you're necessarily tremendous on defense. Oklahoma, 101st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. That said, I do think that both of these teams are going to get to some defensive roots, and I do think that Oklahoma is going to be able to hold in there, but in the end, I do have Baylor as a two-and-a-half point favorite just because of this year guard play. Grant Sherfield has been tremendous for this Oklahoma team. He's been one of the better three-point shooters in the Big 12. 17.5 points, 3.5 assists, making 44% of his triples, but I shot 37.5% or worse from three-point range in each of the last five games after a good start to the season. He's seeing a little bit of fall off, and Keontae George, I think he's going to be able to take over this game. He is shooting 38% from three on the road, 36% overall for the season with 17.5 points, 4.8 boards, 3.5 assists per contest, 22-plus points in four of the last five games, five-plus rebounds in every one of these contests as well, not turning the ball over as much, and that's the key for Baylor. 13 turnovers per game with them being a little bit more of a mid-tempo team. They need to take care of the ball LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, they're combining for a little bit over 30 points. You get Flagler going for 1.6 steals, 5.5 assists per game, and Flagler shoots 45% from 3. Cryer more in that pocket of about 40% from 3-point range. Both of these guys have been solid. And for Flagler, it's not like he's necessarily been scoring a ton recently. 13 points or fewer in 3 of the last 5 games. He's been still doing a good job of facilitating, though. 4-plus assists. In each of the last five games, five plus assists in four of those contests as well. And you just don't get that with Oklahoma. With Oklahoma, you do have a pair of guys in Tanner and Jacob Groves that do a solid job of being brothers that combine for 19.5 points per game. Tanner Groves, 7.3 rebounds per game. Jacob Groves, 41% three-point shooter as a six foot nine, little bit of a combo player. You do have someone like Sam Godwin who's come in from Wofford, five and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game, but it's an Oklahoma team that looks to play 
very slow, very reserved. It is an Oklahoma team that, to their detriment, they have now given up at least 70 points in each other last three games. That was against Kansas, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State, though. Meanwhile, you've got a Baylor bunch that they've been all over the place with their defense. They have given up at least 70 points in four of their last five games, but I do think that here at the Lloyd Noble Center, things do get slowed down just a little bit more, and I do think that Baylor, they're going to be looking to get back to more defensive roots, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of being able to execute them. So I did set Baylor as a two-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number. Baylor has a little bit of a size discrepancy down the full thumb, but really the lone guy that's able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game, but Oklahoma doesn't have a ton of that either, so we'll take Baylor as a very slight favorite to go along with this total under 723, 724 on the betting board. You see Riverside plays us Hawaii. Hawaii is a one point underdog, totals between 130 and a half and 131 and a half. So Hawaii as a two-point underdog, I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. The big reason why I'm looking at UC Riverside in this spot, they've got back the full Zion pulling in. He's been pulling in there right around 19 points per contest. He had been missing for quite a few games. Getting him back, I think, is such an X-factor against an Hawaii team that they are still one of the top 30 teams in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They are outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game as well, so they play super-duper slow. But take a look at Hawaii. When they're away from the island, they're giving up 16.4 points more per 100 possessions rather than when they are at home. Now with Hawaii, you still have Noel Coleman. He's been able to do a solid job. 14.5 points, 1.3 steals. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. Wise hole. They shoot 32.5% from three with Bernardo De Silva and Kameka Hapa combining for 14.3 rebounds. 22.5 points. And Hapa at 6'10 is able to shoot 38% from three-point range. But with Hawaii, we saw them get barbecue, giving up 79 points to UC Irvine. And for Hawaii, they've now given up at least 70 points in three out of their last four games. That's a little bit concerning. It's a Riverside team that they're now a more mid-tempo team after last few seasons. They were very much playing fast, but that said, they've been able to shore up their defense as well. Their game against Cal Poly went to overtime, and they gave up 12 points in overtime to Cal Poly. So, if you look in regulation and regulation only, 68 points or fewer surrendered in all but one of their games since the turn of the new year. And with Riverside, you've got nice supporting pieces around Paul and Lake of Flynn Camera and Lachlan Albright. They've been able to combine for 22 points. 11.5 rebounds per game. Cameron shoots 38.5% for three. And Riverside is whole. They shoot 36.5% from distance. They do turn the ball over 13 times per game, but Riverside proven that they're able to get back to their defensive sort of style from past years, and they're able to do a solid job with that. I do think that this is going to be a slowed-down game. I think Hawaii gets their style, but I do think that in the end, with Riverside having Zion pulling back the fold, that they're going to be able to pull on in this win. I did set Riverside as a two-point favorite. Won't lay the one, and with this total, set it at a 127, so also diving under. 725, 726 on the betting board. Little Rock plays those to Tennessee State. Tennessee State is a one to a two-point favorite, and your total on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between 151 and 152 and a half, and in this spot, I did set Little Rock as a favorite of one and a half points. I'm going to be willing to take them as a money line underdog. The bigger reason why is because I do think that Marion Gardner, who's been able to give this team 13 points, a little bit over nine rebounds per game, is going to be the best player out there on the floor. Now, with Tennessee State, they do have Junior Clay, who's been able to do a very solid job for this group. He's been able to chip in their 17 and a half points, four and a half boards, four assists, shoots in the high 30s from three-point range, and Zion Griffin is a double-figure scorer. He's able to shoot in the high 30s from three-point range, and Tennessee State as a whole. They do shoot in that neighborhood about 35-36% 
from three-point range, but you do take a look at what you're able to get out of this Little Rock team, and it is a lot of guys that they just sort of glue together, and they sort of know their role. You've got someone in Josh Jefferson who's a bit of a designated shooter, making 38.5% of his threes, 10 points per contest. You've been able to have D'Antoni Gordon tipping their 5.5 boards, 11 points per game for Little Rock. They only shoot about 32% from three-point range, and both of these teams leaving a lot to be desired. Both of these teams rank at the top 60 in terms of total possessions per game. Little Rock, they're in 35th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Tennessee State, they are more around 223rd, ironically enough, for Tennessee State. They've been actually giving up fewer points on a per-possession basis on the road rather than at home. I do think that that is going to iron out a little bit more because you do have a Tennessee State squad that has given up north of 70 points in five out of their last six games. Got a Little Rock team that honestly hasn't been as bad with their defense. It doesn't sound like a ton, but... They've now given up 74 points or fewer in four of their five games since the turn of the new year. Last time these two teams squared off, Tennessee State just completely pummeled Little Rock. 94 to 69 was the final as Tennessee State went 14 of 25 from three. They're a solid three-point shooting team. Marcus Fitzgerald had 24 points in that game and overall for the season. He's able to give you 14 half points, a little bit over three assists per contest, and on top of that, you've been able to get quite a bit of something as well moving forward out of Cameron Brown, someone who was not in the fold in this game, and he's been able to give the team double figures. But that said, you do take a look at the Tennessee State squad, and they did have 19 turnovers compared to 14 of Little Rock in that one. I do think that Little Rock is going to be able to have a little bit more down low. Nigel John has been a little bit of a buster Rooney ever since coming over from the junior college level, but I do think that Little Rock gets their revenge, does a better job of being able to guard the arc in a game that I still think is going to be rather high scoring, much like we saw the first time around. Did set my total at a 153.5. Looking over of Little Rock, I think they get their revenge, set them as one and a half point favorite, so taking Little Rock as a money line underdog. 727-728 on the betting board. Southern Indiana is on the road facing off against SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville is a favorite of five and a half to six points, and your total on this game is between 144 and 145, and with Edwardsville, I did set them as a favorite of six points. I'm going to be willing to lay up to five and a half. With Edwardsville, they're up to the top 130 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Southern Indiana, they're in the bottom 100 with this regard. You've got a Southern Indiana team that is in the top 50 in terms of possessions per game, and they do have Jacob Polakovic, who's been number four in all of college basketball in terms of rebounds per game. He's able to give this team 11.7 points, 11.6 rebounds for a Southern Indiana team that is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country at 39.5%. At defense, though, it's just leaving a lot to be desired, and for Edwardsville, I do think that they're going to do a nice job down low with Dejon Pruitt, chipping in their 12 points, eight rebounds per game. You've got the Wright brothers and Shamar and Lamar Wright both doing a solid job with the combined 20 points, 8 rebounds. Shamar Wright shoots 39.5% for 3 with a steal and half and 2.3 assists per game. Lamar Wright, he's shooting 49% from the outside. And then you've got a pair of guys in Rayshon Taylor, coupled with DeMarco Minor, who've been able to combine for 26.3 points. Taylor is able to give you 1.3 steals per game, Minor 1.5. They combine for nearly 6 assists per contest. And for Edwardsville, they've been able to do a good job of just manhandling this conference, giving up 67 points or fewer in each other their last four contests. Meanwhile, we got a Southern Indiana team that has given up fewer than 70 points each of their last four games, and they have been able to get past 74 points in four of their last five. That said, I do think that for Edwardsville, after they lost some more at State a couple days ago, they are going to be able to get up off the mat. I think that they're going to be able to do a better job on defense in this spot, and I do think that they are going to be able to do a good job of being able to match Polakovic Shumlo with their just team rebounding, and got to love the way that the Wright brothers have been able to shoot it from three-point range. I think that Edwardsville is going to be looking to get a little bit more up-tempo in this game. 
and you got a Southern Indiana team that's one of the worst at being able to guard the arc in the country. So I did set my total at 148. Looking over, I'm counting out a little bit of late game falling with this over as well. And for Edwardsville, set them as a six-point favorite, so we'll want to lay up to five and a half with them. 729, 730 on the banging board. Lindenwood plays us more at State. Ward State is a three to three and a half point favorite with your total between 135 and a half and 137. And for Lindenwood, I did set them as a underdog of four points. So want to lay the three to three and a half that we're seeing with Ward State. Ward State gonna have the best player out there on the floor, Mark Freeman, who's been able to give this team 14.8 points, three and a half assists, shooting 39.2 percent from three point range, and has contributed at least 15 points in each of the last five games, four plus assists in four of those contests as well. And so we will give you seven steals in the last two games as well. This is a Lindenwood team that they just have been terrible on defense outside of the top 250 in terms of points a lot under per possession basis or more on 75th in terms of possessions per game. It is a more at state team that they themselves are a bottom 80 defense. They have been playing a little bit more controlled. More at state is outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, though I will say for Lindenwood, top heavy team. You've got four separate guys that give you between 11.1 and 13.8 points per game. Chris Childs being the main of them, 13.8 points per contest. And then you've got Keenan Cole along with Kevin Caldwell Jr. and Cam Burrell. They've been able to combine for about 35.5 points per contest. you got Cole shooting 50% from three. Small sample size. And all four of your top scores average between 3.8 and 5.7 rebounds per game. So they do a solid job there. But past that, you really don't have any depth with this Lindenwood team. Meanwhile, for more at State, Alex Grove should be able to win the battle down low. 7.3 rebounds, 11.8 points per game. More at State as a whole. They shoot about 34% from three-point range. Got a pair of guys in Jake Wolf along with Dylan Thelwell. They combine for 20 points. They both shoot 30.8% from three-point range, combined for a little bit over five assists per game. They've been without Jalen Hawkins for darn near the entirety of the season, but a little bit of team rebounding with Khalil Thomas, coupled with LJ Bryant, giving you eight rebounds per game. I do think that Morris State going to be able to control the glass, and I do think that having the best facilitator out there on the court going to bode well for Morris State. You do have a Morris State team that now a lot, at least 79 points in three of their last five games. And for Lindenwood, their offense has been all over the place, scoring 65 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. So interesting circumstance on this total. I set mine at a 135. So you're at 136.5 to 137 diving under. And want to lay the three with Marad State, 731-732 on the bank board. Eastern Illinois It's a red face off against UT Martin. UT Martin is a favorite of nine to nine and a half points with your total between 142 and 142.5. Set my number at eight with UT Martin. So going to be willing to take nine with Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois has bumped up their tempo. They're back in the top one in terms of possessions per game. Offense, not efficient, and they're right around 250th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got a UT Martin team that has been dealing with some ailments. I'll get into that in a minute, but 226th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. For Eastern Illinois, one guy is able to give you double figures, and that'd be Keenan Hodges. you be able to chip in their 13.8 points per contest, and scored 19-plus in each of the last three games, shooting 37% from three-point range. Yakima Rose, Caleb Donaldson, they combined for about 18 points per game, and they've been able to shoot a combined about 26% from three. That has been very grody. They do generate, Eastern Illinois does, nine seals per game, but also 14 turnovers per game, and they don't have a single guy that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for UT Martin, they were dealing with a little bit of an injury to KJ Simon. He's back full. That's he and Parker Seward combined for 32 points, shooting a combined about 34%. From three-part range, but they've been dealing with a few injuries down low. Chris Nix is able to give you six points, right around six rebounds per game. But K.K. Curry, main rebounder for this team, 6.2 rebounds per game. He missed the team's last game, so 
as a bit of an issue for this UT Martin team. They've also been able to get some good production out of Jordan Sears. Sears has been able to shoot about 35.5% from three, 12 points per contest. I do like what he's able to bring to the table for this team as well, but they're also now dealing with a little bit of an ailment as well to Jalen Myers, who's been able to give you five points, four rebounds per game. There's a chance that he could be good to go in this one. Last two games that he has played in, they come on 15 rebounds in those two, but for Eastern Illinois, been a team has been a little bit all over the place with their production. 62 points or fewer in three out of the last five games, but their last two, they've been able to get to 70, so that's a good sign. Meanwhile, for UT Burn, it's been a squad that has been very much zigzagging in terms of their totals as they've been able to get to the 80-point plateau in now two out of their last four games, and for that matter, three out of their last five. With that said, they were also held to 66 points against Southern Indiana, so a situation of something's got to give. I did set my total at 144. You got an Eastern Illinois team actually playing a little bit of defense, but their offense leaves something to be desired, and for UT Martin, no defense at all, but a relatively solid offense, so I'm going to be looking at the overhand with UT or Martin with their injuries. Could only make them an 8-point favorite, so looking to take the 9 with Eastern Illinois. Some 33, some 34 on the betting board. Louisiana hits the road face up against Texas State. Texas State between a 2.5 to a 3.5 point underdog with your total between 138 and half at 140 and I made Louisiana just a two-point favorite, so I'm going to be looking to take the points with Texas State. Texas State certainly has been an up-and-down team all season long, but I like what Mason Harrell's able to do for a Texas State team that ranks in the bottom 40 in terms of possessions per game. Harrell's been able to chip in their 16 points, two assists, shooting in the mid-30s from three-part range. Now, he was limited to just 15 minutes in the team's last game against Marshall. Should be good to go in this one, but I'm checking in on his head. It's just in case. Meanwhile, it's been a Texas State team. I mean, they've been dealing with just all sorts of injuries, but a big reason why I am a little bit more enamored by them in this spot is because Nigel Caesar was able to play in that game against Marshall. He wasn't able to give you a lot of minutes, but he's been dealing with ailments all season long. When he's been out there, he's been able to give you 7.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game, so that's an encouraging sign for this team along with Tyrell Morgan. Being able to chip in their six boards, he's been able to give you about 8.5 points per game as well. It's a Texas State team in which a hole is greater than some of its parts, being able to generate a little bit over 7 steals per contest with Texas State. Just because they play slowly doesn't mean that they're good on defense. They rank right around 140th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got a Louisiana team that is currently ranking 332nd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. That has been less than savory for them. And when it comes to Louisiana, you do have one just explosive score that is able to give you a whole bunch of production in Jordan Brown. 20 points, 7.8 rebounds, doesn't shoot it well from three-point range, but a former McDonald's All-American that makes a big impact, four-plus assists in three of the last four games. Meanwhile, for Louisiana, it's been Themas Folks who's been able to help this team really be able to shoot it well from three. They shoot 40% as a collective, Folks. Six-half assists, does turn the ball over three times per game, but... He helps out with guys like a Cantrell Garnett, who shoots 49% from three. Get open looks. He's been able to chip in there eight points per game. Greg Williams Jr. has been able to shoot 46% from three, 12 points per contest. And for Louisiana, certainly has been a little bit over the place for them, giving up 70-plus points each other last four games. But currently, they're riding a five-game win streak because they've scored at least 75 in every one of them. Meanwhile, you've got a Texas State squad that has allowed 62 points of fear in part of the last five games, with the lone exception being against a very up-tempo Marshall team. I do think that Texas State 
going to do a good job of taking the air out of the ball in this game. And I do think that the overall toughness of Texas State is going to be able to keep them in this game. Semi-12 at 136 diving under at Louisiana. Going to set them as a two-point favorite. So here at three or more, taking the points with Texas State. Some 35, some 36 on the main board. Louisiana Tech is going to be playing us to Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee is an underdog of anywhere between three and a half and four points. Seeing it's 3 out there as well. Total same between 137 half and 138 and a half. And with Middle Tennessee, I set them as a three and a half point underdog. So the random three that I'm seeing out there is going to be my buy point on Louisiana Tech. And I would rather lay a three rather than take a four just because with Middle Tennessee, they've been a really good cover team. I just fear that the air is going to come out of the balloon because they don't necessarily do one thing great. It is a Louisiana Tech team that they still rank at the top 100 in terms of possessions per game. They rank 183rd in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Middle Tennessee, they're more of a mid-tempo team. But for Middle Tennessee, they're right around like 121st in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They don't necessarily have a headline score. They've got six guys that give you between 6.6 and 12.3 points per contest. And... All these guys, they really give you north of 3.8 rebounds per game for their top five scores. Nobody, though, gives you more than the 5.5 rebounds per game of DeAndre Dishman, who does give you 12 points per game, 2.5 assists, but that's a collective. Middle Tennessee, 14 turnovers per game, 31.7% three-point shooting team, 67% free throw shooting team. They generate eight steals per game, which isn't bad, but it's just sort of like, what do you really have here? And for Louisiana Tech, you've got nothing down low with this team. Nobody gives you north of five rebounds per game, but Isaiah Crawford has done a good job being able to chip in there. 2.2 steals, 4.8 rebounds, 13 points per contest. He shoots 43% from three. You know what Louisiana Tech does. They give you 8.7 steals per game with Kobe Williams leading things with 4.5 assists, 2.3 steals, 18.5 points per game. And then you've also been able to have Keston Willis along Travon Magnum. Both shoot between 38 and 38.5% from three. Willis has been able to chip in there 12.5 points per game. And Magnum, who comes in from a Radford. He's been able to chip in there eight points per contest. Has been very all over the place recently. His last five games, he has given you nine, ten, zero, zero, and ten points. So, and it's been interesting to take a look at the save least. And for Louisiana Tech, it's been a fascinating team to watch all season long. Offense has been very up and down. They have been able to get past the 70-point plateau in three of the last five games. And they have scored 65 points or fewer in the other two as well. So it has been very random on that front. Meanwhile, you've got a Middle Tennessee squad that have been quite random as well as in their last five games. They have scored 72, 51, 71, 74, and 62 points. So you got a pair of teams that they're all over the place. I did set this number at a 137 half with the total, 138. My buy point on the under, Louisiana Tech has been playing much more slowly recently. And for Louisiana Tech, I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done in this ordeal. I would rather lay three with them rather than take four with Middle Tennessee as Middle Tennessee shoots right around 72.5% at the free throw line in a late game following situation. So looking at the under and looking at Louisiana Tech laying the three. Some 37, some 38 on the bang board. Troy is going to be playing us with Louisiana Monroe. Monroe is an underdog between 10.5 and 11 points, and your total is between 135 and 135.5. With Monroe, set them as an 11-point underdog. 10.5 is max. I'm going to be one to lay with Troy, but I'm going to be one to lay with Troy. Troy has done a good job as a top 125 defense in all of college basketball. Louisiana Monroe, they're in the bottom runner with this regard. And Louisiana Monroe, you do have a guy that I like it, Tariq LaCour. 14 points, 4.2 boards, 3.5 assists per game. And it's coming off of a nice 19.6 assist sizzler with no turnovers 
in the win against Georgia Southern, but who's going to be able to help him out? You've got a Louisiana Monroe team that has not a lot of rebounding as Nika Mitchell-Vilici. He has been a gentleman that has been able to give the team 10 points per contest, but has been out of the fold for much of the season. So that means that Victor Bufuto, Thomas Hullowell, who have been able to combine for 14 rebounds and for Bufuto, 2.5 blocks per game, have really had to hold it down down low. Limited on offense, solid in terms of being able to hit the glass. Meanwhile, you've got a Troy team that you just got a whole lot of solid on this team as You've got essentially four separate guys that give you between 10.4 and 12.1 points per game. Christian Eugene being the main of them, who gives you three assists, steal per contest, and 41% three-point shooting. But you had two steals, right around six rebounds per game. Uh, Nelson Phillips as well. Doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three, but what you do also have for the team is guys like a Kiefer Punter, who gives you nine points, four boards, two assists, lots of stat sheet suffers. They've brought back Darius McNeil, who's in like his 20th year of college basketball. I have no idea how this guy saw his eligibility, but he has been able to return to the fold and has been able to give this team a little bit over 2.5 assists per game as well. So he helps out with regards to facilitation. It is a Detroit team has really been able to hold up at the point of attack recently. They did give up 89 points to James Madison in an overtime game that they lost, but prior to that, they have given up 58 points or fewer in each of their previous three games. Meanwhile, for Louisiana Monroe, been a team that has been all over the place with their offense, 66 points or fewer in three of their last five games. I do think that Troy is going to be able to put the clamps down on defense against a Monroe team that really isn't too up-tempo. So that might tell 135, so you're at 135 and a half diving under, and with Troy willing to lay up to 10 and a half with them, 739, 740 on the betting board. North Carolina plays us at NC State. NC State is an underdog of five and a half to six points with your total between 153 and a half and 154. North Carolina, I could only set them as a three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with NC State. NC State has now ascended to being a top 65 defense in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. North Carolina still outside the top 140, though. Armando Baycoat has been able to do a nice job for this team. 17.5 points, 11 boards per contest. We've got a North Carolina team that still shoots just 32% from three-point range. They've left a lot to be desired on that front end. With North Carolina, you know that they're going to look to get their up-tempo pace. As they're 38th in the country in terms of total possessions, Wayne, NC State never shy about playing slowly. They're number 70 in the country with that regard, but you need to get just a little bit of better three-point shooting out of Caleb Love. He's still shooting just 37% from three. R.J. Davis, now more around 36% three-point shooting as Love and Davis combined for 32.6 points, about 8.5 rebounds, 6.4 assists, 2.6 steals per game. Pete Nance, 10.5 points, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, but need to get more out of guys like Puff Johnson, Jalen Washington. It's been a very top-heavy UNC team really for the last few years. Meanwhile, for NC State, they're dealing with a little bit of an injury to Jack Clark, who's been able to chip in there seven boards, nine and a half points per game. But you still do have the duo of Turquavian Smith along Jarkel Joyner. They're combining for 35 and a half points, eight boards. They're giving you a little bit over eight assists per game with both shooting between 34 and 35% from three-point range. Casey Marcel has shot 44% from the outside with 13 points per game. These three guys, they combine to also be able to give you 4.3 steals per game. So that's been a big reason why they've been so solid on defense. And they only turn the ball over 10 and a half times per game. North Carolina said a good job of being able to take care of the ball themselves, but they turn the ball over a little bit over 11 times per game as well. And it's an NC State team that has given up fewer than 70 points in three of their last four games. And the lone exception was a game that they 
played in overtime against Miami with. So that has been good for them. North Carolina, they have given up 65 points or fewer in each of the last four games, but that was against Boston College, Louisville, Virginia, and Notre Dame. So I do take that with a little bit more of a grain of salt. I do think that we're going to see a little bit more of an up-tempo game, but I think with the improved defense of NC State, it's going to be able to keep them in there. I do think that it's going to be a rather frenetic game, but that said, I do think that the on-ball defense that you're going to be seeing out of NC State is going to be able to keep this total just barely under. I set my total at 153, diving under with North Carolina. Could only make them a three-point favorite. DJ Burns has done a good job since taking over for Dusan Barosic down low for NC State. So taking a look at the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 741, 742 on the betting board. Southeast Missouri State is going to be playing on at Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech is an underdog of 5.5 to 6 points, and your total on this game is between 148 and 148.5. And a circumstance where I made my total 146, diving under Tennessee Tech, one of the more low-tempo teams in this conference, going up against Southeast Missouri State, who are in the top 35 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. But that said, with Tennessee Tech, could I set them as a five-point underdog? So being able to get six, I'm going to be willing to take these points. With Southeast Missouri State, you've got the best rebounder in this game in Kobe Clark. He's done a good job since coming over from Georgetown. He's been able to chip in there about nine rebounds per game, only gives you about seven and a half points per game. And then you do have Philip Russell along with Chris Harris. They do a good job in the backcourt of Southeast Missouri State combining for about 31 points per contest. Russell, four and a half assists per game. Both of these guys shoot between 35 and 35 and a half percent from three with 2.7 steals per game between the two of them. And then Israel Barnes is a nice number three score when he is out there with 11 points per game. Should be good to go in this one. He was a little bit banged up, but ever since he has come back from injury, he has scored six points or fewer in three of the last four games. So that's a bit of an issue for Southeast Missouri State. Meanwhile, you've got a Tennessee Tech squad that they're currently riding a five-game win streak. They've been able to do a really good job with their defense, giving up north of 70 points just once in regulation in their last five games. Actually, north of 71 points, I should say, because they had the one in overtime game in that spam. But we do have Jalen Sabri couple with Javis Harvey. They've been able to combine for about 26 points per game. Sabri is the only guy on this roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game with six and a half, but chips in there at steal. Shoots 40% from three-point range. And Tennessee Tech is shooting about 35.5% from the outside. They are leaving a little bit of something to be desired on the defensive side of things, even with this recent run, 290th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But you do have a Southeast Missouri State team that maybe a little bit all over the place with regards to their ball control, turning it over 14 times per game. It is a Southeast Missouri State team that, in terms of their offense, been very random. In their last five games, they have scored 82, 74, 94, 91, and 60 points. So they have been very up and down with that aspect as well. And with Tennessee Tech in their most recent run, they've been able to control the tempo in these games. I do think that they're going to be able to do so here. I do think that Southeast Missouri State, they've got a little bit more talent. They're going to be able to get the job done outright. But in this spot, I set my number at five. So being able to get five and a half to six, I'm going to be taking a look at the points and set my total at 146. So I do think that Tennessee Tech gets their tempo looking at the under along with the points. 743, 744 on the betting board. Miami of Ohio hits the road face off against Bowling Green. Bowling Green opened up as a four and a half point favorite. Now we've seen this drop as I'm doing this anywhere between three and a half and four and your total on this game is there between 156 and 157 and for Bowling Green I set them as a five and a half point favorite so I will gladly take the discount with Bowling Green. You know that they're going to be looking to play up tempo. This is a squad that last year they were in the top 10 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. I don't know if we're going to quite see a total that reaches 170 like we saw with Toledo versus Buffalo. That was absolutely insane as I set my total at 157 half. So 
here at 156, 156F. I'm going to be willing to go over, but for Bowling Green, I do think that you're going to have Leon Ayers the third be able to take over this game. 17.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists. She's 36% from three, 90 plus points in four of the last five games, and he's had just seven turnovers in this fan as well, so he's done a good job taking care of the ball for Miami of Ohio. You had a nice duel in Morgan Safford along with Makai Larry. They combined for 32.4 points. Safford is your top rebounder with six boards per game. They combined for 2.7 seals, and they both shoot about 36% from three in Miami of Ohio. 79.5% free throw shooting team that's in the top 15 in all of college basketball, but Bowling Green should be able to win the battle down low because you do have Rashawn E.G. and Chandler Turner combining for about 12 rebounds per game. Chandler Turner gives you about 9 points per contest. A.G. more in that pocket, about 11 points per game. It's a Bowling Green team that's collective. They shoot 74.5% at the free throw line, 34.5% for three, despite the fact that they play up-tempo. They only turn the ball over 11 times per game, and for Bowling Green, Defense certainly leaving something to be desired. They are 307th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Somehow, some way, Miami of Ohio is even worse, 342nd. We've just seen it with Travis Steele teams. When it comes to the middle-slash-back half of the season, they always go straight down the toilet pool. I have no faith whatsoever, despite the fact that Miami of Ohio is significantly smaller than Xavier, that this team is going to be able to ascend. And as a matter of fact, with Miami of Ohio, they have now lost four out of their last five games, giving up 75-plus points at each other previous three contests. Meanwhile, you've got a Bowling Green team that has given up at least 79 points in three out of their last four games, with the lone exception being 74 to a super slow Akron team. So I don't think that you were going to be seeing a lot of defense in this game. Set my total at 157.5 going over. I do think that just the overall play, especially with Samari Curtis being able to chip in their four and a half assists per game, that is going to be able to get Bowling Green to the window. So want to lay with Bowling Green and taking a look at this total over 745, 746 on the betting board. UT Rio Grande Valley is going to be on the road facing off against Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State is a favorite of 16 to 16 and a half points with your total between 149 and 149 and a half. I do think that Sam Houston State should be a relatively sizable favorite, but really make them a 14-point favorite. I'm going to be looking to take the points with UT Rio Grande Valley. Grand Valley, number one team in the country in terms of possessions per game, going up against the Sam Houston State squad that is outside the top 200 with that regard, and a Sam Houston State team that is in the top 45 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, Justin Johnson going to be putting that defense to the test. He is a 6'6 combo player for Grand Valley, 14 points, 5 boards, shoots about 32% from 3, chips in their seal per game, but 25-plus points in each of the last three contests. Grand Valley has been dealing with a few injuries with some like an Aaron Freeman who's been able to chip in there about five or so rebounds per game down low. Deal with an injury, but Dima Zador, he still gives you 10 points, five and a half boards. It's a Grand Valley team that shoots 34.5% from three, 16 and a half turnovers for games, a little bit unsightly. And for Sam Houston State, gotta love what you've been able to get out of Quad Grant. 14 points, 3.9 boards, 3.9 assists, 2.3 seals per game. Former D2 All-American that shoots 37.5% from three. And as all, you've got a Sam Houston State team that shoots 39.5% from the outside and just rebounding by committee with this team. You've got one guy for Sam Houston State that contributes more than four rebounds per game, and that'd be Javon May. He's been able to give you five points, about 4.8 rebounds per game, but you've got seven separate guys that give you at least 3.1 rebounds per game. They're able to go 10 deep when they feel like it. It's a Sam Houston State squad that they shoot so well as a collective. They do turn the ball for 13 and a half times per game, but this team just absolutely puts the clamps down on you. And for UT Rio Grande Valley, is a squad that they've given up at least 75 points in each of their last four contests. Sam Houston State has allowed north of 70 points in regulation because they played a few overtime games just three times 
all season long, so it is a good old case of something's got to give. I do think that this number is getting just a little bit too unsightly, but I did set this total at a 150. I do think that Grand Valley is one of those few teams in which they're able to speed you up even though you want to play slowly like UT Arlington had not scored more than 70 points all season long before playing against Grand Valley a couple days ago. They got to 85 in that game, so there should be points added in this game, which is why I did set my total at 150. I'm going to be willing to go over and say me safe. I really like this team. They've been able to make it quite a bit of money at 8-6-1 against the spread, but could only make them a 14-point favorite. Feels like they got a little bit overinflated here. So, taking a look at the 16-plus and this total over. 747-748 on the betting board. Murray State is going to be playing us to Indiana State. Indiana State is a 1-8 2-point favorite. And your total between 147.5 and 148.5 is an Indiana State team that does rank in the top 45 in terms of total possessions per game, but despite not having a true big man, Indiana State top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. For that reason, I did make them a 2.5-point favorite in this spot. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number. Murray State, they're right around 200th in terms of possessions per game, 200th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis with having a little bit of a fall-off with Jamari Smith, who began the season really, really well coming up from the D2 level, was playing at Queens NC a season ago, but he's giving you single digits in six out of the last nine games, so that has been a bit of an issue for this Murray State team. Meanwhile, on the flip side for Indiana State, Kavisier McCauley, former D2 All-American over at Lincoln Memorial. For his current coach, Josh Schertz, he's been the main guy for this team, tipping in their 16.5 points per game, right around 5.5 boards. He's 35.5% from three. Indiana State as a whole, they shoot 75% of the free throw line, 32.5% from three, but really good balanced contributions. Outside of McCauley, you've got eight different guys. They give you at least 5.5 points per game. You really don't have anyone that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game aside from Cam Henry, who also gives you 3.8 assists and 1.4 steals per game, but just a team that really knows their role, really knows how to buckle down Indiana State. It's been a little bit up and down with their results as they had that loss to Northern Illinois right around Christmas time, and it has been a squad that has been held down on offense recently as they've scored 67 points or fewer in all their three games in their current losing streak, but even with them, being on a losing streak, they've still just surrendered north of 70 points once in their last six games. Meanwhile, you got a Murray State team that all of a sudden they have given up north of 75 points in three of their last four games. So it's been a team going in complete and under opposite directions for Murray State. They do have the best peer rebounder in this game in DJ Burns, seven rebounds, about eight and a half points per game. And then you've been able to have Jacoby Wood do a good job doling out four and a half assists to go along with four and a half boards. 12.5 points per game. Rob Perry, he's able to give you 15 points per game. Shooting from three-point range, about 38% for a Murray State team that only shoot about 31.7% from the outside. Both of these teams do a nice job of not turning the ball over. Neither of these teams necessarily do a great job of being able to get second and third chances, though, as well. So, a lot of one-and-done possessions, in my opinion. So, my total at 144.5. I think that Indiana State can reign supreme with their defense. Willing to lay up to two with Indiana State and looking at this total under 749-750 on the betting board. Western Carolina hits the red face off against Samford. Same I am for it. And between a 9.5 to a 10-point favorite. And your total between 143.5 and 144. And with Sam I Amford, I did set them as an 8-point favorite. So here at between 9.5 and 10, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Western Carolina. Western Carolina has a little bit of a tendency to 
beat up on really bad competition, then has a little bit of a tough time with better competition. And for Sanford, they were really having a tough time when Quez Glover was out of the fold to begin with. But now they are really cooking with some gas. They're on a seven-game win streak. But I do sort of question Sanford at this point because Bucky Ball, Bucky McMillan, the coach of this team, typically, it seems, are driven on being able to generate seals. And they still have A.J. Stanton McCrary, who's been able to give you about 1.7 seals per game. But they're not doing as much of that this season. They're playing a little bit more of a mid-tempo game with Jermaine Marshall and Logan Dye, a pair of guys that stand between six foot seven and six foot nine, who have been able to give you about 26 points per contest in the neighborhood, of about 12 rebounds, and Dye has been able to shoot 42% from three, really heading things up for them. Meanwhile, with Western Carolina, who I think is going to be able to keep them in this game, the duo of Trey Jackson along with Fontravius Wolbright. Wolbright just does it all. Tips in there, 4.4 assists, 7.5 rebounds, 14 points per game. He's been able to give the team 20-plus points each out of the last three games. And then Jackson, who comes in from Iowa State, he's been able to contribute 13.5 points, shooting 43% from three. Western Carolina's old. They shoot 35% from the outside. Tyshawn Claude should be the best pure rebounder in this game, 15 points in half rebounds per game. A little bit of a top-heavy Western Carolina team. They really can't dive into their bench too much, which is why they've been playing at a little bit of a slower pace themselves. But for Western Carolina, they've done a good job I'll be able to crank up their defense as well. They've given up 71 points or fewer, and now six out of their last seven games, 72 points or fewer for that regard. And actually, they've given up 72 points or fewer, and now eight out of their last nine games. So I will give a little bit more credit where it is due with them for Western Carolina. I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job holding in this game with their backcourt. Sanford is going to be able to win that battle down low, despite the fact that Tyshawn Claude is going to be able to do a solid job down low for Western Carolina. And you take a look at this Sanford team. They've given up 68 points or fewer in three of their last five games. They're winning a lot of these games by close margins. They haven't really been able to pull away in a whole boatload of these games. They've had a lot of wins by 10 points or fewer. As a matter of fact, four of their last five have been of that variety. So I set my number at eight. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Western Carolina in this ordeal and also going to be diving under semi-total 142. 751, 752 on the betting board. It is Penn, and they're going to be on the road facing up against Yale. Yale is a favorite of between 6.5 and 7 points. Toronto's game is between 142.5 and 143.5. We have seen Yale start to act up a little bit more on defense, but I do think that they're going to be able to get back to that rock-solid defense than we were seeing a little bit earlier on in the season. I did set my total at a 139.5. I'm willing to dive under and with Yale. Could only make them a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Penn, despite the fact that I do think that Yale is going to be a little bit better on the defensive side of things because with Penn, what I think is going to be able to keep them in this game when the top scorers in all of college basketball, Jordan Dingle, he and Clark Slayshirt have been able to combine for 39 and a half points per game. Dingle giving you 23.4 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot above 85% of the free throw line. They combine to shoot about 33% from three point range with 2.3 seals per game, but. Dingle just does a good job of being able to get his offense in darn near every game. You take a look at Jordan Dingle, and I do not believe that he's been held below 14 points all season long. He has just been a wagon for this team. Penn is going to be lacking a little bit of something down low as you've only got one guy that really gives you north of five rebounds per game, and Nick Spinoso has been able to chip in there eight points, five and a half boards, three and a half assists per game, and it's Penn team as old. They shoot 75% of the free line, 12.9 turnovers per game while still being a relatively up-tempo team. Now, with Penn, they are the opposite of Yale in that they're not necessarily the strongest defensive team to earn 52nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got a Yale team that they are 25th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But you take a look at Yale, and they're giving up 12.8 points more per one-earned possessions 
in their last three games rather than the entirety of the season. And for Yale, they do a good job of being a rebound by committee. You don't necessarily have that one strong rebounder as Matt Noling, EJ Jarvis, they combine for 10 rebounds per game. Noling has been able to give you 15 points per game, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. And then you've got John Polonikas, who's been able to give you 10 points in the backcourt, shooting 36% from three-point range. I really do like the 48% three-point shooting of August Mahoney, and he is no Mahoney when it comes to free-throw shooting at 94.5% for Yale. The results recently have been very much less than sightly, as they have now given up at least 70 points in three of their last four games. It's been very intriguing to take a look at because the offense has been a little bit better, scoring at least 75 points in three of their last four games. I do think that they're going to buckle down a little bit more in this game, though, against a Penn team that they're noted a little bit more for their offense, 71 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. It's an ordeal where I set my total at a 139.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under with Yale. They don't necessarily have that go-to score at the back half of a game. Penn does. I do think that Jordan Dingle keeps them live in this game, so won't take anything north of six with Penn, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. 753-754 on the betting board. IPFW Fort Wayne is going to be on the road facing off against Northern Kentucky. The Norths are between a three to a three and a half point favorite, and your total is between 129.5 and 130.5. Dealing with the Northern Kentucky team that's in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game. IPFW, their top 100 team. The IPFW, I will say, they've been able to improve their defense a little bit, but I do think that you get some late game fouling in this spot, and we've been noticing Northern Kentucky cranking up their scoring a little bit more, so didn't make my total 134. I'm going to be willing to go over. It's a Northern Kentucky team that has Marquise Warwick, who's been able to do a really solid job, giving you 19 points per contest for a backcourt that involves Sam Vincent, who as a sophomore has been one of the best stealers in all of college basketball. By that, I mean he gives you 2.5 steals per game to go along 2.8 assists, 10 points per contest. Warwick also gives you 2.8 assists per game, while Warwick also does shoot 39% from three. For Northern Kentucky, 65% free throw shooting team as a collective, but they get a lot of second chances. Chris Brandon, 6.5 points, 9.4 rebounds per game, but over three of those rebounds, they're on the offensive glass. Meanwhile, you've got a Northern Kentucky team that they've been able to get past the 70-point plateau in three of the last four games. So that has been rather impressive. you got an IPFW team that all of a sudden they've been able to get to 70-plus points in far of their last five games after they were playing a little bit more defense-oriented and just have weapons upon weapons for Fort Wayne. Last year, they shot as a collective north of 38% from three. Now it's right around 35% from three. They had a cold start to the season. They're starting to crank it up right now, though, as you got Jared Goffrey along with Bobby Plantis. They've been able to combine for 20.5 points, 10 rebounds. you got Goffrey shooting 32% from three, but shooting over 40% from distance over the last three days. Plantis at 6'8", shoots 97% of the free throw line, 41.5% from three-point range. Damian Chung-Kyu, Quentin Morton-Robinson, Deontay Billups, I'll give you between 8.5 and 9.5 points per game with Chung-Kyu, give you 3.7 assists at 2.2 turnovers per game. And for Northern Kentucky, they should be able to get some swipes in this game, but Ari Kapati being able to chip in there a little bit over eight rebounds per game, should be able to keep IPFW relatively solid on the glass. It's a Northern Kentucky team that you got to fear in a late game following situation. They're going to miss their free throws and not be able to cover this game. It is a big reason why I set my number at two. I'm going to be willing to take three plus here with IPFW. Also made my total 134. I do think that this is going to be close enough for late game following and I like the way that the IPFW offense has been performing of late. So looking at the over and looking to take three plus here with IPFW. 755, 756 on the betting board. Utah State plays out to San Jose State. San Jose State is in between an 11 and 11.5 point underdog in your total between 140 and 140 and a half. 
with Utah State. I did make them a favorite of 12 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. You've got a Utah State team that's number one in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage, making a little bit over 42% of their triples. And kind of on the flip side, a San Jose State team that is looking to play very slow and very controlled for this San Jose State team. They're in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. They're a middle-of-the-road team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. So you're able to say the same for Utah State. Sage Schulbert has done a solid job down low for San Jose State. 9.75 boards. She's 43% for three. And then Omari Moore, set feet suffer for the San Jose State team. 15.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, 4.8 assists. He shoots about 33% from the outside, but San Jose State also shoots 65% at the free throw line. They don't do a great job of being able to cut off the three-point arc, and that's exactly where Utah State is able to hurt you as you've got Steve Ashworth along with Taylor Funk. They bring the Funk. A combined 30 points. Funk is able to give you six rebounds per game. Ashworth shoots 49% from three. Funk more on 42% from the outside. And Utah State, a top 100 team in terms of possessions per game. Then he turned the ball over 12 and a half times per game. Max Shoga, how about him being able to stuff every column of the stat sheet? Four and a half assists, 4.8 rebounds, 12 points per game. 36% three-point shooter down low. Daniel Aiken should be able to win the battle against Abrima Diallo with seven and a half rebounds per game. Diallo is able to give you a block and a half and a right around five and a half rebounds per game for San Jose State, but with San Jose State, it's been a really rough run for them on offense as they have scored 60 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. Meanwhile, I've got a Utah State bunch that they just continue to get past 70. They were held down a little bit against Boise State. Boise State, one of your top defenses in all of college basketball, but it is a Utah State team that they've been held below 70 pretty much two times all season long. I do think that this is going to be a game in which we're going to be seeing quite a bit of offense with San Jose State being slow, but rather inefficient on defense. I do think that you just don't get enough possessions to be able to get this total over, but I do think that Utah State is still going to get their 70-plus. Somebody told 138. Going to be diving under on 140 to 140 and a half. And with the Utah State, set them as a 12-point favorite. 11 and a half, the max I'm willing to lay here. 757, 758 on the betting board. It is UC Davis playing against Cal Poly. Cal Poly is a 9-point underdog with your total between 135 and 136 and a half. And with Cal Poly, I did set them as an underdog of 10 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Cal Poly. They honestly started out the year not too shabby. And it is a Cal Poly team that we all know their style. It is super slow, super grimy. They're in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. That UC Davis team, they're in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game, but I will say about four possessions fewer per game in their last five games rather than the entirety of the season. But for UC Davis, they've got three guys that are able to really run things for them. Elijah Pepper is the top of them. He's been generating 19 points, six boards, four assists, 1.4 steals per game. And then you've got Ty Johnson and Christian Anigwe. They combine for 28.2 points, 10.5 boards. Anigwe at 6'9". She's 42% from three. Johnson more on 37% from three with 1.7 steals per game. Is a little bit of a top-heavy UC Davis team, which I do think is part of the reason why they've been throttling down a little bit more in terms of their tempo. Then you've got a Cal Poly team that I mentioned it. They're relatively slow, but they've given up at least 70 points in each other last three games. Offense has left a whole heck of a lot of something to be desired. They have scored 64 points or fewer in seven out of the last nine games, and one of those games went to overtime. So, yeah, that's been relatively rough. You've got a pair of guys in Trevin Taylor along with Alamami Karama who are able to combine for 21.5 points, 10 boards. They both shoot approximately 34.6% from three, but Cal Poly, despite their slow style, 14.4 turnovers per game, and they only shoot about 30.5% from three-point range. That is relative doomsday for them. They go up against a UC Davis team that 
you know what? They're not bad on defense. They're 139th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're giving up about a half a point more per 100 possessions, ironically enough, at home rather than on the road. Cal Poly, they're down to about 180th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up nine more points per 100 possessions in their last four games than they did towards the beginning part of the season. So that has been less than savory for them. Chance Hunter is able to chip in there right around eight points per game, but they were hoping for a little bit more out of him. It is a circumstance where it feels like Cal Poly, after a relatively okay start to the season, things are starting to really double down for them. It is a circumstance where I did make my total a relatively low one at 135, so you're at 136, 136 half, with UC Davis playing a little bit more slowly, looking at the under, but Davis was willing to make them a 10-point favorite, so one to lay the nine. This will be the last game that I hit before we go to a break, 759, 760 on the board. It is Fresno State playing us at UNLV. UNLV between a three to a four-point favorite, and your totals between 129 and a half and 130 and a half, and with UNLV, I did set them as a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number for UNLV. They have just one win right now in Mountain West play, but that said, they've been playing a very front-loaded schedule, and they're going up against the Fresno State team. That Fresno State is in the bottom 35 in terms of total possessions per game, but they're leaving a little bit of something to be desired on defense. Fresno State, they're 130th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, despite the fact that UNLV given up far more points. They're 66th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Fresno State, they've been really relying upon Isaiah Moore for a little bit of everything. He's certainly not Orlando Robinson. 12 points, 8 boards. So shoot 38% from 3, but Fresno State as a whole, they shoot 28.8% from the outside. Jamaro Baker has been able to give you 2.5 assists right around 12 points per game, and has been able to give the team 13 plus points in each of the last four games that he has played in. Problem is, for Jamaro Baker, he's now back out of the full, which means that Donovan Yap is going to need to probably see a lot of minutes as he's been a little bit banged up. You've got Jordan Campbell who's able to give you about 6.5 points per game, but if you take a look at Fresno State in the last game that they had played against Air Force, they had essentially seven healthy bodies out there. Some of those guys not even on scholarship. Meanwhile, for UNLV, yeah, the record is 12-6, and six and they have went, I believe now, just 1-5 in conference, but most of these losses have been tight ones. Single-digit losses against Utah State, San Diego State, and Colorado State, and the Colorado State game was extended by pretty much a half-court heave that sent into overtime. You got EJ Harkless along with Luis Rodriguez. Both of these guys really good at just giving you a production in pretty much every column of the stat sheet. They combined for 29.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 4 steals. You got Rodriguez shooting 32% per three, and then Keyshawn Gilbert shoots 42.5% from the outside, 12.5 points per game. Someone like a Jackie Johnson the third is still able to give you 6.5 points as a solid three-point shooter. And then Jordan McCabe in their last game after he had been very silent for quite a while, 17 points in 31 minutes against Utah State. UNLV has so many ways to be able to find scoring, and I do think that they're going to take it to a Fresno State team that has been very strange all season long. UNLV in the top 75 in terms of possessions per game, but still playing some solid defense. And for Fresno State, they've had a rough time getting it going on offense, but I do think that this is going to be a game involving some late game fouling. So that's why I did set my total at a 130.5. Willing to go over, and with UNLV, made them a 4.5 point favorite, so willing to lay up to 4 with them. Now we're going to hit my first break here on Coast to Coast Hoops, and coming but next, we resume with Virginia Tech and Clemson here on Coast Coast Eats for myself, David Peterson, now part of the Music Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. With myself, Greg Eubskews, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Probably didn't go quick enough in part one, I'll be honest with you. That was 
Well, over three hours of game breakdowns, and we were through 80 games, and we got about 75 left. So we're going to crank up the tempo here as we continue on looking at every single side in total on the board for today as we continue to hit some bank shots. Today's slate is especially large, so that just means more trips to the window. Hoops is dishing out a second half of bank shots. Some 61, some 62 on the betting board. It is Virginia Tech. They are going to be on the road facing off against Clemson. Clemson is a favorite of one and a half to two points in your total on this game. It is anywhere between 140 and a half and 142. And with Clemson, I made them the one point underdog. I'm going to be taking a look at Virginia outright on the money line with Virginia Tech. I do think that they've got enough talent to be able to get this done because Justin Butts has great versatility and is going to be able to match up with the likes of Hunter Tyson. He's been able to contribute 13.5 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, shooting 41.5% from 3 power range, and Grant Pasile, 6'9 combo player that shoots 38.5% from distance, 14 points, 5.5 boards, Sean Padula, 4.3 assists and 2 turnovers per game. Good versatility there for a Virginia Tech team that I recognize that they're outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but fewer than 10 turnovers per contest, that's rock solid. And I think that this is just a bad matchup in general for Clemson. Clemson does have under Tyson, 15.8 points, 10 boards, shooting 41.5% from three. And as a collective, Clemson shooting 37.5% from three. You've had a chance under chip in their 14 points, 4.3 assists. Brevin Galloway along with P.J. Hall combined for 24.5 points. And Hall now giving you right around five boards per contest at 6'10". He's able to bury 39.5 percent of his threes and combined for 48 points in the last two games but that said with Virginia Tech I do think that they do a solid job in this spot last time these two teams played Virginia Tech lost on their own floor by kind of 68 to 65 in a game in which Clemson shot 9 of 23 from three-point range you saw in that contest Virginia Tech really do a good job of being able to get a bunch of second chances. They won the offensive rebound battle by kind of 12 to 2. If they do that once again in this spot and they also win the turnover battle, things should be a little bit different. I do think that the shots were just going for Clemson the first time around. I think that Virginia Tech gets their revenge set. Virginia Tech as the one point favorite, taking them as a money line underdog. Did set my total at 137. I'm on par with what we saw in the first game. You've got a Clemson team that's right around 200 in terms of total possessions per game, leaving a little bit of something to be desired on defense. But both of these Seems okay, defensive team. Set by total 137 diving under, and I am looking at Virginia Tech. All right, on the money line, 763, 764 on the betting board. Southern Utah, it's a road face off against Seattle. Seattle is a one and a half to a two point favorite, and your total is between 150 and a half and 151. Got a Southern Utah team that ranks in the top 15 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, and they're facing off against the Seattle unit that I do think is going to be able to do a relatively solid job in this spot. Set them as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number with the Seattle team. They rank more around 90th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and both of these teams, neither great nor terrible in terms of their defense, and Seattle is going to have the best score out there on the floor. That would be Cam Tyson, who's been able to give you 20 points, four and a half rebounds, shoots 35% from three-point range in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Got a Southern Utah team that currently is clocking in at 198th, and for Seattle, they're right around 92nd after last season. They were actually a top 55 team with this regard. Riley Grigsby has been all over the place this year. 12 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Looks like he's getting back to his old form. 8-plus rebounds in each of the last three games. 12-plus points 
each of the last four after he really hit sort of a ditch, for lack of a better term, towards the months of December and into very early January. You've also been able to get down low Emeka Odeni along with Brandon Sheffield, being able to give you about 10.5 rebounds per game. That's going to be big against a Southern Utah team in which they've got Mason Fawcett and Harrison Butler, both giving you between about 5.5 to 6.5 rebounds per game along Jason Spurgeon, who gives you 10 points, 5.5 boards. Fawcett does shoot 39% from three-pointers with a seal and a half per game in Southern Utah. They generate 8.5 seals per game. They also turn the ball over 14 times per game. TV on Jones, 19.5 points, steal and a half, shooting 41% from three. Good headline score along Drake Allen, who's able to give you three and a half boards, three and a half assists, 10 points per game, shooting 43.5% from three point range. Southern Utah has been able to get out, get their pace in a lot of games. So they have been held to 67 points or fewer in two out of their last four games. They've given up at least 72 points in three out of their last five. Meanwhile, for Seattle. They have given up 66 points or fewer in four of their last five games. That includes the game against UT Rio Grande Valley, who's number one in the country in terms of possessions per game. I do think that Seattle going to be able to do a rock-solid job with their defense. I did set my total at 150 and a half. I do think that there's going to be quite a few possessions, but right now we're seeing 151 out there. 151, the minimum that I'm willing to take the under on, but I'm willing to take the under. And for Seattle, I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job with their backcourt, and I think that they're going to be able to hold up on the glass, set them as a two and a half point favorite. So, laying the small number with Seattle and the under. 765, 766 on the betting board. Alabama is going to be playing on the road against Missouri. Missouri is a five and a half to a six point home underdog. Your total opened up at 165. Now it's between 161 and a half and 163. Man, that opener had me looking at the under, but that said, at current numbers, now that we've seen this drop down, I'm going to be on the over. I set my total at a 164, which I thought was being super duper aggressive. And for Missouri, it is a top 30 team in terms of possessions per game. Alabama is a top five team in terms of possessions per game. Now, I will say for Alabama, top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis this season. Missouri, they're more around two on earth, but I do think that Missouri is going to be able to hold in there. You've got so many guys that you're able to rely upon as it looks like they've got now Isaiah Mosley back in the fold. He played 19 minutes in that game against Arkansas at eight points, two seals in that time span. And for Missouri, just one of those teams in which you've got a whole bunch of guys firing all cylinders. If you include Mosley in the fold, right now you've got seven different guys that give you at least 7.9 points per game. You only have one guy that gives you north of 4.7 rebounds per game, but all these guys do a great job as a collective. And I don't remember ever seeing quite as many guys as you've got with Missouri State averaging over an assist and a half per game. They've got pretty much like nine guys. It's absolutely insane. They're shooting 35% from three. You've had Nick Honor be the main distributor for the team. Three and a half assists, two seals, nine points per contest. And then if you're taking a look at your main scorers in Des Moines Hoge along with Kobe Brown, they've been able to combine for a little bit over 30 points per game, shooting about 39% from three-part range. Meanwhile, for Alabama, they will control the game down low. Brandon Miller along with Noah Clowney combined for 18 and a half rebounds per game. Clowney only about nine and a half points per game, but Brandon Miller shoots 46% from three of 20 points per game. Mark Sears shoots 40% from the outside, 14.5 points per game, 2.7 assists per game, and Alabama's whole. They've been able to shoot 35% from three-point range, and it's been wild to take a look at this team all season long, as you do have someone like a Jaden Bradley, who's been able to do a good job of teaming up with Javon Quinterly for a little bit over seven assists per game. I do think that this is going to be a fun one. Alabama, 14th, as a matter of fact, 
terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 10 more points per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. I think Alabama is going to be approaching well over 80, but I do think that Missouri, with all of their firepower, they're going to be able to do the same. We have seen Missouri be held below 70 points in three of their last five games. They have been playing against slower teams on for Alabama. 78 plus points in each other last five games. So I told as a result at a 164. So I'm looking at the overhand with Missouri. I set them as an underdog in this ordeal of four points. So being able to get five plus, going to be taking the points with Missouri on their own floor to go along with this total over 767, 768 on the betting board. West Virginia plays us to Texas, and Texas is a pick up to a one point underdog in your total on scheme between 145 and a half and 146. I did set West Virginia as one and a half point favorite. We'll take them as a pick em slash a one point favorite with Texas. It's been a very up and down year for them. They still rank in the top 35 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But I mean, it's just wild to think that a few uh, days ago, they gave up north of 110 points at Kansas State. That was a harebrained game to kick off Big 12 play in out of West Virginia team that they were winless prior to them hosting TCU in Big 12 play a few days ago, but I mean, the offense has been there for them. 74 plus points in each other last three games now. They have also surrendered at least 75 points in three other last four games as well, but West Virginia was right there in a lot of those games. Meanwhile, you've got a Texas team that's won three other last four games, but they have still given up 70 plus points in four out of their last five games. This is just not the team that you were expecting. Marcus Carr has been able to give them 17 points per contest, has been able to do a nice job in terms of inning 41% of his threes as well. Texas as a whole, they shoot about 33% from distance. They do generate right around eight seals per game, but Timmy Allen is the only guy that gives you north of 5.1 rebounds per game. He and Neil Mitchell get by for 10.6 rebounds per game. Nobody else on the team gives you north of 3.6 boards per contest. West Virginia's biggest issue is that you don't necessarily have that dominant big man as you got Trey Mitchell and Jimmy Bell, who have been able to combine for 12 rebounds per game. Mitchell, along with Eric Stevenson, both give you 13.2 points per game, and they combine to shoot 37.5 and 39.5% from three-point range. But West Virginia, they take care of the ball with 12.2 turnovers a game. They shoot 35.5% from three. And Morgantown, just in general, is a tough place to play. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, West Virginia certainly leaving something to be desired there at right around 100th. But I do think that both of these teams playing at rather brisk tempos. You've got a West Virginia team that they're right around 120th in terms of possessions per game. Texas has really cranked it up at 60th. I do think that they're going to be able to get some points up on the board, but that said, I do think that West Virginia going to be able to rise up in this ordeal and be able to get it done outright on their own floor. Some may tell at 145 and a half. 146 is my buy point on the under, so starting to look at the under at 146 and with West Virginia, want to lay up to one with them. 769, 770 on the betting board. Portland is going to be playing us to Pepperdine. Pepperdine is between a 3.5 to a 4-point underdog with your total between 160.5 and 161.5. For Pepperdine, I set them as a 5-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay with Portland. With Portland, it's been a little bit of a rough go for them recently, but... I do think that they're going to be able to get up off the mat in this ordeal against a Pepperdine team that turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. They have been really leaving something to be desired for both of these teams. They're ranked in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game for Pepperdine. They have been giving up 80-plus seemingly on the regular as they're 244th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. Portland, they are 293rd, though. I think we've went up a little bit too far with this total. I set my total at a 157 with Portland. They have been a little bit all over the place with all the injuries that they've had as Mike Meadows is back out of the fold for this team. They were dealing with an injury to Moses Wood, but he's back in the fold. 14.5 points, 6.2 boards, shooting 39.5% from three, 19 plus points at each of the last three games. Out of him, you 
also do have Tyler Robertson, who's been able to do a nice job with his versatility. Five and a half assists, 5.2 rebounds, 14 and a half points per game. And then Christian Shojlin with good size at right around six foot eight, shoots 40% for three, 13 points, five rebounds per game. And for Pepperdine, you do have to like what you get out of Javon Porter. He's the brother of Michael Porter of the uh, Nuggets, and he's been able to chip in there 11 points, six half rebounds per game, shooting 34.5% from three. And Pepperdine's as well, they're shooting 37.5% from the outside, but they do turn the ball over 14 times per game. Maxwell Lewis, 19 points, five and a half boards. Good versatility out of film. Mike Mitchell gives you nearly five assists, ten and a half points per game, but you need more out of guys like a Jan Zidek. They've been able to only get about four and a half points per game out of Jalen Petrie, who's been hot and cold to say the least recently this season. And for Portland, even though they are a little bit banged up, they do have a little bit of versatility, and it seems like they're starting to get back to their old form, having won two out of their last three games. So it is a Portland team that has scored at least 75 points in each of their last three games after scoring 43 and 58, respectively, the previous two games. And for Pepperdine, they're coming off of a 44-point cooler against St. Mary's after they had given up 80-plus points in their previous four games. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that this is going to be a higher-scoring game, but I think that we've run a little bit too far with Pepperdine. Not doing a great job on the glass. I think that that's where Portland is able to win this game. Set my number at 5, so I'm willing to lay the 4 that I'm seeing right now with Portland. Set my total at 157, so here at north of 160, also going to be diving under. 771, 772 on the betting board. It is a Long Beach State, and they're going to be on the road facing off against UC San Diego. UC San Diego is a 3.5 to a 4.5 point home underdog. Your total is between 146 and 147.5 with Long Beach State. I did set them as a favorite of four points. In this ordeal, I would rather lay the three and a half than take the four and a half. Just feels like UC San Diego has been cursed towards the end of these games. Whatever they've been fighting themselves on the line of three, it feels like bad things happen for this team. And you do take a look at UC San Diego, and you've got one alpha dog score in Bryce Pope. I like he's been able to contribute about 18 and a half points per game. Someone that is able to let it fly from three-point range for a San Diego team that they only shoot right around 30.7% from three. He shoots more around 34% from the outside. Contributes 1.3 steals per game. And then down the Emmanuel Shaminga, Francis Noah Corey have been able to combine for 13 and a half rebounds and 17.8 points per game. On the flip side, you've got a Long Beach State team that the three-point shooting has not been there for them. Joel Murray, Marcus Siones, they combine for 27.8 points per game, but they both combine to shoot about 25% from three-point range with Murray contributing 3.8 assists, 1.6 steals per game, but the Trayers should be able to help this team take hold as you've got Lasani and Abadur Trayer. They've been able to combine for 20.7 points, a little bit over 18 rebounds per game, and you get about a block out of these two teams two guys combined. You've been able to also get right around nine points per game out of A.J. George. He's been able to do a solid job of contributing along with Jaden Jones, who's been able to give you right around eight and a half points per contest. Jones was out of the fold for quite a while, but he is back. He's been able to give the team eight plus points in three out of the team's last five games and is coming off of having three blocks in the previous contest as well. With Jones being back in the fold, it makes me a little bit more inclined to lay the three with Long Beach State rather than take a four with UC San Diego. It is a Long Beach State team that has been all over the place with their defense as they have been playing at one of the most rapid tempos in all of college basketball. Top 30 in terms of possessions per game, UC San Diego. They're outside of the top 275 in terms of possessions per game. And for UC San Diego, 71 points or fewer in all but two of their games thus far this season. I do think that things are going to be bottled up a little bit more in this ordeal as they've been honestly able to play some okay defense. 
giving up 74 points or fewer in five out of their last six games. So, circumstance-wise, I my total 140, diving under with Long Beach State. Willing to lay the three and a half that I'm seeing with them before I would be taking the four and a half with UC San Diego. 773, 774 on the betting board. Illinois State playing against Valparaiso. Valparaiso is a 6-2 7-point underdog with your total between 133 and a half and 134. I said Illinois State is a five-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Valparaiso. No doubt about it. You need a little bit of help with the three-point shooting as they're shooting about 30% as collected, but they've got two main guys that I think are going to be able to keep them in this game, and they'd be Kobe King along with Ben Cricky. Cricky has done a nice job down low, 17.8 points, 5.8 rebounds per game. Rough three-point shooter, but he is able to do a nice job with the Zomball defense as well. And then Kobe King, 17.2 points, 3.5 boards. He has been shot just 26% from three. Valparaiso as a whole, 29.9%. From the outside, you are able to get nearly five assists and eight points per game out of Nick Edwards. And then down low, you've had about five rebounds per game out of Jerome Palm as well. Flip side for Illinois State, you just had a lot of guys be able to contribute, but you haven't necessarily had that one guy take hold of really the point guard spot. Darius Perford is the only guy that gives you north of two assists per game as he, Seneca Knight, Kendall Lewis combined for 31 points per contest. They combined to be able to give you about five assists per game and they give you a little bit over three seals per contest, but it's also an Illinois State team that they shoot about 31.5% for three. Malachi Poindexter along with Liam McChesney have combined to shoot about 44% for three. These two guys combined for about 17 points per game, but you haven't necessarily been able to have a lot of flow with this Illinois State team. One of the better free throw shooting teams in all of college basketball, but also a pair of teams that they've left a little bit of something to be desired on defense, despite the fact that their offense has not been too terrific either. Valparaiso, 259th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Illinois State, 175th, with Illinois State giving up 1.4 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. So a circumstance where I made my number five. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Valparaiso. Made my total 133. Right now we're seeing 133 and a half, so it is my buy point on the under. 775, 776 on the betting board. It is UT Arlington. They third to face off against Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian is a six to six half point favorite. Seeing three five and a half out there as well. 135 and a half to 136 and a half is your total. And with Abilene Christian, made them a six half point favorite. Mostly seeing sixes, so want to lay that. Certainly would rather have a five and a half, but still do like this number with Abilene Christian. I do not like the way that they have been playing recently, but they're playing against a UT Arlington team that, they, for the first time all season long, when they played against UT Rio Grande Valley, were able to get past the 70-point plateau. So they are facing off against a offense that leaves quite a bit of something to be desired with Arlington. They do a good job of being able to just slow you down. They play at a bottom 40 pace in terms of total possessions per game, and I do think that this is going to be a rather grimy game with Abilene Christian right around 200th in the country in terms of total possessions per game and also points allowed on a per-possession basis as they do a good job of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. You've only got one guy that gives you more than 10.5 points per game and one guy that gives you north of 3.5 rebounds per game. But if you take a look at Zabling Christian team in their top five scores, each one of them gives you 3.2 to 3.3 points per game, aside from Tobias Cameron, who gives you 4.7 boards and 2.5 assists per game. Meanwhile, Emmanuel Allen, he gives you 11.8 points per game. Among their other top five scores, they all give you between 8.5 and 10.5 points per game. And Cameron does shoot 49% for three. Epeline Christian as a whole, they shoot 34.5% from the outside. They generate 9.5 seals per game, but in all-or-nothing defense. Meanwhile, for UT Arlington... 
They play their super-duper slow style, but it's not like they necessarily play the world's greatest defense as they're currently ranked 218th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. To their credit, they give up 3.1 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road than at home, but they've only got one double-digit score. Shamar Wilson, 10.5 points, 8.5 boards, shooting 40% for three. Arlington as a whole, though, they shoot 29.8% for three, 65% the free-throw line. Aaron Cash, who comes in from Texas A&M, 7 points, 4.5 rebounds per game, and I will say, one of their top five scores for Arlington. you got four of them, giving you at least four rebounds per game, but they don't necessarily do a great job of forcing a lot of seals. You take a look at this UT Arlington team, and there have been some holes in this defense, giving up at least 72 points in four of their last five games. It's an Ambling Christian squad that, well, you want to talk about holes in the defense. They've given up north of 72 points in each other last four games. I do think that both teams are going to buckle down a little bit more with that regard, and I do think that a UT Arlington team that has gotten past 70 points just once all season long, they're going to renew the fact that they don't necessarily do a great job on offense. I did set my total at a 134.5. I'm diving under with Abilene Christian. We'll want to lay up to six with them. 777, 778 on the betting board. Western Kentucky is going to be playing out to Charlotte. Charlotte between a 2 to a 3-point underdog with your total between 129 and 130. And for Western Kentucky, set them as a 2-point favorite. 2.5 or more is my buy point on Charlotte. A Charlotte team that ranks in the bottom 30 in terms of possessions per game. And they're a top 100 defense. So maybe they will do a nice job of being able to sort of meld that together and you got a Western Kentucky team that they've got a lot of individual talent. They're a mid-tempo team that they have been leaving something to be desired on the defensive side of things as they're now 191st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis despite the fact that their big man in Jamarian Sharp, giant of the earth at 7'1", leads all of college basketball with 4.3 blocks per game, chips in there, 6.6 points, 7.1 rebounds per game as well. Luke Frampton shot 46% from 34. A Western Kentucky team that is shooting 38.5% from three-point range. They've been dealing with off and on in Injuries all season long to Deontay Allen, but should be good to go on this one. Coming off of scoring 10 points in 10 minutes in the team's previous game, that's a good sign. And then you've got Derry vs. McKnight giving you 17 points, 5 boards, 4.3 assists, 2 steals. Good set sheet suffer as he, Emmanuel Acott, Jarius Hamilton, all shoot between 35.8 and 38.5% from 3. Those are your top 3 scores with Acott and Hamilton, both combining for about 21 points per game, but... Ali Khalifa. He is a six foot eleven, nice combo player that does it all with ten and a half points, seven boards, three assists. Doesn't shoot it great from three at thirty percent, but Charlotte as a whole, they shoot thirty eight percent from distance. He helps with spacing as Lucille Patterson, nine points, three point three assists, thirty nine percent three point shooting is rock solid, and Bryce Williams top score of twelve points per game. He's been able to shoot forty four percent from the outside. It's a Charlotte team that time and time again, they just bring it on defense. They have lost four out of their last five games, but they've given up 62 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Western Kentucky team that they have given up at least 74 points in three out of their last four games, despite the fact that they've won three out of their last five. So, hey, something's got to give scenario. I think that Western Kentucky gets the win outright, but I think that this is going to be another nip and tuck game. I did set my total at 126. Charlotte has gotten their style all season long, looking at the under and looking to take north of two with Charlotte. So two and a half or more by buy point with them. 779, 780 on the betting board. Old Dominion going to be playing us to Appalachian State. App State is a four to four and a half point underdog with your total between 130 and 131. And with Appalachian State, I did make them an underdog of six points. I'm going to be one to lay it with Old Dominion. Old Dominion has been able to do a good job of themselves having a bottom 65 pace in all of college basketball. And if you have Mackay Long, be very versatile with 10 and a half points, seven boards, she's nearly 40% from three-point range, and then you've got Chauncey Jenkins, who's been able to do a good job giving you 13 points per game. Tyreek Scott Grayson, more on 15 points per game. Both of these guys are mid-30s three-point shooters. 
Flip side for Appalachian State. They're now right around 250th in terms of possessions per game. That's a little bit faster than what they've been in past years. The hallmark of Appalachian State has been really not beating themselves, making sure that they take care of the ball. They've got Tyree Boykin and Donovan Gregory combining for 24 points. They do have Gregory turning the ball for three times per game, but 11.9 turnovers per game, not too bad. They shoot 33.5% for three as a collective. C.J. Humley, 6'10 combo player, has been able to give you 9.6 boards. Shoots about 32% from three-point range. Other than Hundley, though, you don't have really anyone other than also a gentleman in Justin Abson who gives you five rebounds per game that give you north of 4.2 rebounds per contest. So that's a little bit of an issue against an Old Dominion team that they could be at a little bit more down low, especially with Ben Stanley after he had a really good start to the season, having a complete fall off ever since then. And they've been able to get right around five rebounds per game out of Derrico Smith, who's been able to come on a little bit more recently. I do think that that'll be just enough for Old Dominion to be able to get the win and cover in this spot against an Appalachian State team that coming off of a rough overtime loss against Coastal Carolina prior to that. They'd given up 67 points of fear in each other previous four games. Got an Old Dominion team that they've been able to hold up at the point of attack in terms of their defense. They did play an overtime game against Georgia Southern. If you look in regulation, they've given up 70 points or fewer pretty much all but five of their games. So, in circumstance where I set this line at six, I'm going to be willing to lay with Old Dominion. Pair of low and slow teams up by 12 at 128, so diving under 781, 782 on the betting board. Robert Morris sits the road to face off against UW Green Bay. Green Bay is anywhere between an 8.5 to a 9.5 point underdog. This opened up at 7.5. Jordan's game is anywhere between 135 and 136. And rightfully so that this moved. I made this number 10. I'm willing to lay it with Robert Morris. I gave this one out for the VEASAN contest. And with Robert Morris, they have been able to do a relatively solid job with Enoch Cheeks being the main headliner for this team against the UW Green Bay team that they could use anyone whatsoever to be able to bail them out. Enoch Cheeks, 17.2 points, 4.8 boards, 3 assists, shoots 44% from 3-point range, 1.2 blocks, 1.7 seals per contest, so he does it all for this team. Khalil Spear from Bucknell has come in, 8 rebounds, 14.5 points per game. You've also got a north of 40% 3-point shooter in Josh Corbin, who has been able to give the team 11.5 points per game. Michael Green gives you 5 assists per game, and for UW Green Bay. Cade Meyer and his four rebounds per game right now leading the way. UW Green Bay in the bottom 40 nationally in terms of both offensive and defensive efficiency. UW Green Bay is a team that plays relatively slowly. 299th in the country in terms of possessions per game. That plays right into the hands of Robert Morris as Robert Morris who earned 65th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, no doubt about it. It's not like Robert Morris is necessarily the 85 Bears with their defense. They're 224th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but I mean, other than Zay Blake, who's able to give you 10 points, 3 assists, 1.2 seals, and does shoot 46% from 3. You have no offensive threats for the same Gabe Meyer, 11 points per game. Been able to get about 10.5 points per game out of Clarence Cummings, the second, who has been able to give the team 9 plus points at each of the last 5 games, but for UW Green Bay, I mean, man, this team just keeps losing games by double figures. They very nearly got the cover against Youngstown State, but they did not because they've now given up 74-plus points in each of their last five games. And for Robert Morris, defense has been waning for them as well. They've given up at least 69 points in each of their last five games. This should be a game that gets both of these defenses right back online, though. Both of these teams having a tough time scoring. UW Green Bay, the significantly worse time scoring. Semi-total at 126. I expect a low-possession game looking at the under end. Robert Morris, one 
to lay up to 9.5 without South Dakota as a 10 point favorite. 783, 784 on the betting board. Youngstown State is going to be on the road facing off against UW Milwaukee. UW Milwaukee is a underdog of any between 3.5 and 4 points in your total loss game and between 154 on 154.5 with UW Milwaukee. South Dakota as a 2.5 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points with UW Milwaukee. They're starting to get that one headline score in BJ Freeman. 14.5 points, 5 boards, an assist and a half, shooting 36.5% from 3 and UW Milwaukee is a collective. They shoot 36% from three. Among their top seven scores, six of them shoot at least 36.6% from three-point range. Markeith Browning, the second, has been able to give you four and a half boards, 2.7 assists per game for UW Milwaukee. But with their top five scores, they all give you between 4.4 and 4.9 rebounds per game. Good balance there. Youngstown State they entered into this road swing with the Wisconsin schools, number one in all of college basketball. In terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Now, outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, you've got a UW-Milwaukee team in the top 50. In terms of total possessions per game, Youngstown State, they're in the top 100 with regards to possessions per game. And UW-Milwaukee leaving something to be desired themselves on defense, so it's getting better. 125th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Dwayne Coyle shoots 52% from three for Youngstown State. Main score with 17 points, 1.6 steals. Five assists per game. Youngstown State, they do generate eight steals per contest with Adrian Nelson being able to give you 12 points, nine and a half rebounds per game. Had that nice tip and buzzer beater to be able to cover against UW Green Bay. Malik Green has been able to generate 14.5 points, seven boards. Brandon Rush, who comes in from Fairleigh Dickinson, is a 43% three point shooter with about 14 points per game. So good tools here for Youngstown State. A bunch has been able to get to at least 78 points in every single game this calendar year. Meanwhile, for UW Green Bay, in terms of games that have wrapped up in regulation, they've given up 70 or fewer in five in their last six games. The game that they played against Wright State went to overtime. So I do think that it's an interesting circumstance with UW-Green Bay. They're improving a little bit on defense, but they've also scored at least 74 points in each of their last four games with having so much efficiency with the Youngstown State. I did set my total at 156F, looking at the over with UW-Milwaukee. Made them just a two and a half point underdog. So looking at the points, 785, 786 on the betting board, right safe. They hope to be the right side against Cleveland. Say Cleveland safe. It's a road three to three and a half point underdog. Totals between 143 and 143 and a half. With Cleveland State, they are still a bottom 35 team in terms of possessions per game. Things have been getting a little bit airbrained on them, and this is a right state team that they're in the top 40 in terms of possessions per game. So something's got to give. I do think the Cleveland State, after that 57 to 56 game against Northern Kentucky, getting back to their roots after they had scored north of 70 points each other previous three games. So it is a circumstance where I do think that it's going to be a little bit easier for Cleveland State to slow things down rather than Wright State to be able to speed things up. Semi-total 139, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And with Wright State, was willing to make them a five-point favorite. I do think that Brandon Noel going to be a tough guard for this Cleveland State team. He's a six foot eight combo player that gives you eight boards, 14 points per game. She's 40% from three-point range for a Wright State team that shoots over 50% from four, 34% from three. The 13 turnovers per game with their tempo, not too bad. Trey Kelvin, 18.5 points, 4.5 assists per game is big. And for Cleveland State, they don't necessarily have that guy at at the end of a game, they're able to look to for a bucket. Tristan Iranura is your main scorer, 13.5 points, 6 boards, a block, a steal per game, but Cleveland State is old. They shoot 29.8% from 3. Iranua shoots 29.8% from 3, and Drew Lauder is really the only guy in the roster that gives you meaningful minutes that shoots about 32.5% from 3. 9.5 points per game out of him. You do have Deshaun Parker, coupled with Tate Williams, 
They combined for 20.5 points per contest. Williams, 6 rebounds, 1.5 steals per game. And Parker, 4.4 assists per contest. Cleveland State only turns the ball for 10.7 times per game, but I do think their right state has a better top-end pieces, and I do think that they do a better job of rebounding by committee. So I did set right state as a 5-point favorite. We'll delay the number, made by total 139. So also looking at the under 787, 788 on the betting board. St. Mary's is going to be playing us to Santa Clara. Santa Clara is an underdog of between 11.5 and 12 points. And your total on this game... They were between 134.5 and 135, and with St. Mary's, I made them the 12.5 point favorite. So, seeing an 11.5 out there, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Santa Clara. Braden Pudzmetsky is going to be back in the fold. He's been able to give this team 18.5 points per game, and honestly, he's playing himself into most likely being a pro and getting drafted. He has been that good, but his first go-around back against BYU a few days ago, he looked very solid in that game as... He was able to chip in their 17 points as overall for the season, averaging 18.5 points, 8.5 boards, 3.5 assists, shooting 40% from three-point range. That's good versatility. And for Santa Clara as a whole, they've been able to shoot about 35% from three-point range. You've got Carlos Stewart, who gives you 15.5 points per game. Keyshawn Justice, four boards, three assists, 13.5 points as a foot 8 combo player. Parker Braun, Jada Bediaco, they combine for about 12.5 rebounds per game, but they say Mary's team is just absolutely no joke at all. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are 6th in the country. They're going up against a Santa Clara team that, well, they are not 6th in the country. They are currently clocking in more in the neighborhood of 130th, and for Santa Clara, they always are a team that's looking to play up-tempo. They are not going to be able to get that up-tempo style. We have seen so many teams in the WCC, like Pepperdine, like Portland, tried to do that. No dice for any of them. St. Mary's in the bottom 25 in terms of possessions per game, and they're just so sound. They shoot 37.5% from three-point range. Ada Mahaney is able to give you 14.5 points a seal per contest. Mitchell Saxon, 8.5 rebounds, 12.5 points per game. Alex Dusas, 12 points, 43% three-point shooter. Kyle Bowen shoots 48% from distance. Two assists, a steal, six and a half points, eight rebounds per game. Logan Johnson, 12 points, five boards, three assists, one and a half steals per game. All these guys just do an amazing job firing all cylinders. St. Mary's, they've just been covering all these games that they have been thrown at them each other last four games. They've been a double-figure favorite when they have been at home. The road game against San Francisco was a little bit of an exception, but they've won every one of them by at least 14 points. They just continue to jump truck teams. I recognize the Santa Clara, one of the better teams out there in the WCC. That said, St. Mary's, they've been able to take on all comers and be able to take them down. They have scored at least 73 points each other last five games. They have given up 64 points or fewer in each other last five games. I think that that continues here. Semi total 134.5. 135 is my buy point on the under. And with St. Mary's, one delay up to 12 of them. 789, 790 on the bidding board. It is BYU. They throw to face off against San Francisco. The Dons are a one to two point favorite, and your total is between 145.5 and 146. And with San Francisco, made them the two point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number. You've got a BYU team that has been able to rise up and rank in the top 40 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, the 15.8 turnovers per game are going to be costly in this spot. They do have a guy that I like in Fusani Treyer, 8 boards, 12.5 points per game, and they shoot as a collective about 34% from 3-point range with having Dallin Hall and Jackson Robinson chip in there a little bit more recently with a combined 15.5 points, 5.6 assists per game. They've been getting the ball out of the hands of Rudy Williams, who has 3.2 assists and 3 turnovers per game. He just has not done a good job of being efficient at the point guard spot. Meanwhile, for San Francisco, the backcourt of Tyrell Ghost Roberts and Khalil Shabazz has been able to combine for about 29.5 points per contest. Roberts shoots 41% from three. Shabazz, 
more on 32% from the outside. And then you got Marcus Williams. He chips in there six and a half points, right around three assists per game while shooting 40% from three-point range. And recently, it's been the rise of Isaiah Hawthorne to help take a little bit of the pressure off of Zay Meeks, who comes in for Bucknell. Meeks, right around 12 points, five and a half boards, been 33-point shooter. That's helped out six plus points out of Isaiah Hawthorne in four of the last five games. Shoots 38% from three as a six-foot-eight combo player. And then you have Vladimir Morkowski, Sasha Gilgobreo, both of these guys stand north of 7 feet tall. They combine for 10 points per game. That gives San Francisco all the goods that they need in this game against BYU. BYU's defense, after they surrendered 70 points or fewer in 7 out of their last 8 games, 75 plus points surrendered in each other last three. Meanwhile, you've got a San Francisco bunch that had given up at least 70 plus points in four straight games prior to holding down Pacific. It's been an offense that has still been rock solid, scoring at least 72 points in four of their last five games. So good old situation. Something's got to give. I do think that BYU gets back to their defensive roots, but San Francisco, a top 125 team in terms of defensive efficiency, gets it done. One to lay up to two with San Francisco. Semi-total 144 is also diving under. 791, 792 on the betting board. It is Washington on the road facing off against Utah. Utah is a favorite of between 7.5 and 8 points with your total between 139 and 140. And with Washington, I made them a 9.5 point underdog. I'm going to be one late with Utah. Utah, a top 20 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And I think that Brandon Carlson just going to be too much for Washington to overcome without Friday Kepdog. We have seen this Washington team just go straight down the toilet. Good news is they've got Noah Williams back at the fold. He gave the team 22 points in their game against Cal, but he's an incredibly streaky shooter that has given the team right around 8.5 points per game. Keon Brooks has been good for Washington. 17 points, 7 boards, 1.2 blocks per contest. Only guy on the team as they will give you at least 7 points per game, though. Cole Bajima. 9.9 points, 4.4 boards, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. Key on Metafield, 2.5 assists, 8.5 points per game. He's also a mid-33-point shooter, but it's a Utah team. That they're also in the top 30 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, shooting 34.7% from three. I mentioned Carlson earlier, 16.5 points, 7.5 boards, 43.5% three-point shooter. His brother in Ben Carlson is able to give you about five rebounds per game. Gabe Madsen, 12 points per game, shooting 37%. From three-point range, and for Utah, they're just a little bit of a different juggernaut when they are at home. It is a Utah team that they've been able to do 60 points or fewer in three of their last four games, but defense has continued to be a main concept for them. Utah has really given up north of 71 points pretty much two times in the last two months, so they've been able to do a really good job of holding teams with that regard. This is a Washington team that they've now been able to win three straight games. That said, you do take a look at this Washington team and they have failed to get past 70 points in regulation because we've seen some overtime for them in six out of their last nine games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a control game. Utah mid-tempo team, Washington mid-tempo team, set by total at 135 and a half, diving under with Utah, one to lay up to nine with them, 793, 794 on the betting board. Idaho, it's run face-off against Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado is a five-point favorite. I'm seeing five and a half out there as well. Totals between 152 and 153 and a half. With Northern Colorado, I did make them a favorite of four points. So here at five, I'm going to be willing to take the points. With Ido, Ido, a bottom 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And it's also an Ido team that they play at a relatively slow tempo. They're actually outside of the top 250 in terms of possessions per game. They've actually been really efficient on offense. Isaac Jones, 19 points, right around 7.5 rebounds per game. He doesn't shoot it well from three, but he gives you a block per contest as a six foot nine combo player. And then you've got Devontae Moffitt, who's been able to chip in there 18.5 points, 5.2 assists per contest. He's been able to just go off 
for 25 plus points in each of the last three games as well. But for Northern Colorado, bottom 50 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, that's just way too top heavy. Dallin Coons, 16.5 points, shooting 32.5% from three point range. Delta Neck, 19.5 points, 7.5 boards, shoots 41% from three. And then Matt Johnson, the third, 3.5 assists, 34.5% three point shooter with 12 points per game. Pass that, you really don't get a lot. Riley Abercrombie, 7 points, 4 boards, not associated with Fitch. That's been not so great. Even with Taron Frank out of the fold, it's an Ido team that you still have guys like a Yusef Salah, Nigel Burris, giving you between about eight to nine and a half points per game. They shoot it well as a collective from three. At Ido does thirty-five and a half percent from the outside with just eleven turnovers per game. Northern Colorado a little bit closer to thirteen turnovers per game. And for Ido, the offense has been really rolling, seventy-four plus points in four of the last five games. You got a Northern Colorado team that they've been a little bit all over the place with regards to their offense. They have scored seventy-four points or fewer. In four out of their last five games, it's a defense that certainly has been one of the worst in all of college basketball. I did set my total at 150 just because you do get a relatively slow tempo with Ido. Ido's been a little bit more respectable on defense, though. That's not saying a whole heck of a lot. And for Northern Colorado, they've just been slowed down on offense in general. In Greeley, they should be able to get the job done. Northern Colorado should, but I can only set this line at four because you've got more depth with Ido. So looking at the five with Ido, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under seven nine out of one fifty seven ninety five seven ninety six on the main board. Grand Canyon going to be playing on see Utah Valley. Utah Valley is between a one and a half to a two point underdog, and your total on this game is any between one thirty seven half and one thirty nine. And for Utah Valley, I did set them as a underdog of two and a half points. So. This is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay the two. You got a Grand Canyon team with one of the best home courts that you're going to find in mid-major college basketball. It's like going to a rave. It's absolutely insane in Grand Canyon. A very slow, controlled team that, in terms of total possessions per game, they are 293rd now. Grand Canyon is actually coming off of just a big, giant sizzler of a scoring performance against Utah Tech. Utah Tech games have been getting very, very harebrained recently, so that's a little bit of the reason why. But I do think the things are going to be a little bit more controlled here, even with Utah Valley being a team that ranks in the top 80 in terms of possessions per game. Utah Valley, also a top 100 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Grand Canyon, a top 40 team. You've got a pair of guys with Trey Woodbury and Justin Harmon for Utah Valley. That combined for about 27.5 points. In that neighborhood, about eight assists, nine rebounds per game. They do a good job there. Utah Valley shoots 74% on the free throw line, 32.5% from three with Aziz Badogo, who's been able to give you 11.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, nearly 2.8 blocks per contest. But for Grand Canyon, even though he's not quite as much of a rim protector, Gabe McLaughlin, he gives you 8.5 rebounds per game. This team has been dealing with an injury to Ivan Odiogo, who comes in from Nebraska. He was able to give the team right around 6 rebounds per game, but that said, you still have a lot of good pieces in the backcourt for this team as you've been able to get right around 3 assists, 7.5 points per game without Josh Baker, and his facilitation has allowed Rayshon Harrison to really come into his own as he's been able to give the team 15 plus points in each of the last 9 games, averaging 16.5 points per game. Grand Canyon only shooting about 34.5% from 3-point range, but the offense has looked better recently than it really ever has. They have been able to get past 72 points in 4 out of their last 5 games. Defense has been a little bit shaky as they've given up at least 68 points in 4 of their last 5 games. I do think that they're going to get back to their defensive roots. They've still been very efficient on that side of things. And it is a Utah Valley team that they themselves give it up 67 points or fewer in 4 of their last 5 games. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to rein it in on that end. And for Grand Canyon, I do think that they get their slow and grimy style. So, a situation where I did make Grand Canyon the favorite of 2 points. So, I'm going to be willing to lay the small number. I'm willing to lay up to 2 with 
them. And with this total, I did set mine more around a 133.5. So also diving under 797, 788 on the betting board. It is Idaho State. They're going to be playing as Portland State. Portland State is a slight underdog of between one and two points. And your total is between 144.5 and 145.5. And, and with Idaho State, I made them the two-point underdog. So I'm going to be taking a look at Portland State outright on the money line. It is a Portland State punch. I ranks in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And got to love the main point guard that they've got as Cameron Parker has come in from Montana and given this team 14.5 points, 5.7 assists, shooting 38.5% from three-point range. And he's had at least seven assists in three of the team's last five games. Two turnovers or fewer in four of the last five. And then for Idaho State, Brock McKenzie has been able to do a solid job. He's able to give you 12.5 points per game for an Idaho State team that plays at a middle tempo. They're in the middle of the road in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Portland State in the bottom one in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. So that's a bit of an issue. But I don't necessarily have great scores for this Idaho State team as Jared Rodriguez, Braden Parker. They both give you between 10 to 10.5 points per game. Meanwhile, for Portland State, you have just waves upon waves. Jarrell Satterfield, along with Hunter Woods, they've been able to combine for 25 points. They both shoot 36 to 37% from three-point range. Been able to have Isaiah Kirby chip in there right around seven points per game. You don't have a lot of rebounding with this Portland State team. As a matter of fact, Satterfield and Woods, like I mentioned before, the only two guys on the roster that really give you north of four rebounds per game. But that said, this is a Portland State team that they do generate about eight sales per game. Portland State very much an up-tempo, fun team to watch as they have given up at least 70 points in pretty much four out of their last seven games. Meanwhile, it's an Idaho State team that they just have had a tough time being able to generate offense. They've scored fewer than 70 points in each of their last four games. So it is a spot where I do think that things are going to be somewhere in the middle with these tempos. I did set my total at 144. So here at 145.5, looking at the under, but with Portland State, I do think that they get the job done outright on the money line, despite being a bit outgunned down low. So looking at Portland State on the money line and this total under 799, 800 on the bidding board, it is Sulsa. They play us to Tulane. Tulane is a favorite of between 8 and 8.5 points with your total between 159 and 159.5. There's one team in all of college basketball right now that has yet to cover at least three games, and that would be Tulsa. Set them as a 7.5-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take them at 8. It certainly has been a rough year for them, and Tulane, they're looking to try to shake off the disappointment of not being able to get the job done against nationally ranked number one Houston, but for Tulane, what they are going to be able to do, a good job of taking care of the ball. They rank in the top five nationally in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis as you've got the Jalen's, Jalen Cook, Jalen Forbes combined for 37.5 points. Cook is able to give you 4.5 assists per game and Forbes to 38.5 percent for three with this Tulane team as well. Number two team in the country in terms of free throw shooting percentage at 82.5%. Don't have a lot of size on low, though. Kevin Cross, Sion James, they combine for 11 rebounds, about 25 points per game, and they both give you between 3.8 and 4 assists per game. But for Tulsa, got to like what Sam Griffin is able to do as a primary scorer. He and Bryant Sutterbongay have been able to combine for about 29 points. Sutterbongay, 9 rebounds. Griffin shoots about 32% for 3. Brandon Benson shooting 47% from the outside with 10.5 points per game. Tim Dalger, 4.5 rebounds per game. Has been solid as well for Tulsa. It's been less than savory for them recently, but they've been closer in their game, so they have not been covering. This is a squad that they have lost 
their last three games by four points or fewer. Last time they played against Tulane, it was on the road. It was a 93-77 final where Tulane went 12-26 of from three-point range. They just completely exploded. And in that game, Tulsa actually did win the rebound battle by about four. So I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game on their home floor. It has been a less than savory season for Tulsa. But Aaron Cockle is a good coach. And I think that this number has just gotten up a little bit too lofty. It is a number that I set at a 7.5. Eight or more will and take the points with Tulsa. Did set my total at 153.5. You do have a Tulane team that ranks in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game. It's a Tulsa team that has been a little bit all over the place with their offense. I do think that for Tulane, things are going to be a little bit more tied back for them, especially with having a little bit of a lack of depth. So, going to be looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Tulsa, 801-802 on the betting board. Florida, it's road face-off against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a favorite of 2-2.5 two two points with your total between 128 and 128.5, and I did set my total at 123. I'm going to be diving under. Florida's actually been able to really improve with their defense, and Mississippi State all season long has been one of your top teams in all of college basketball, defending number seven in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Meanwhile, you got a Florida team that they rank 28th, and Florida, they actually do a relatively solid job in terms of their defensive efficiency in a road and neutral court environment. For both of these teams, they do a nice job fitting the glass. Colin Castleton is the main man for Florida as he's been able to chip in their two and a half blocks, seven rebounds, 15 points per game. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Mississippi State squad and they do it with a pair of guys in DJ Jeffries along Tolu Smith who have been able to combine for about 14 rebounds per game. Smith, your lone double figure score of 14 points per game as Mississippi State only shooting about 28.5% from 3, 61.5% the free throw line, but they generate 10 seals per game in terms of turnovers for a per possession basis, one of the best teams in all of college basketball. Going up against the Florida team that is mid-tempo, they turn the ball over about 12 times per game, so they're not too bad on that front. Big thing for Florida is that among their top four scores, just one guy shoots above 30% from three-point range. I'd be Will Richard making 40% of his three, 10 points, four rebounds per game, and then Past that, you've been able to have Trey Bonham shoot about 36% for three, eight and a half points. You get three assists per game out of Kyle Lofton with his nine points for Mississippi State. You've had Deshaun Davis really be able to step up in the backcourt with eight points. He shoots 40% for three, one of the few guys for this Mississippi State team that's able to do so. I think that things are going to be relatively tied back in this one for Mississippi State. They have allowed north of 70 points just twice all season long. They allowed Tennessee to be able to get to at least 70 in two of their games, but that said, this is also a Mississippi State team that has scored 64 points or fewer in each other last five games. Meanwhile, you got a Florida squad that has scored 67 points or fewer in four of their last six contests. So I did set my total at 123. I think that you get a low possession, slow game looking at the under. And with Mississippi State, I made them a three-point favorite in this sort of deal. Defense is certainly where they're going to be looking to win this game. So willing to lay up to two and a half with them. 8-0-3, 8-0-4 on the betting board. Montana's going to be playing us Montana State. Montana State between a pick'em duel, one-point favorite with your total between 134 and 135. And with Montana State, set them as a two-point favorite. So find them as a one-point favorite slash pick'em. Willing to take them either way. It is a Montana State squad that has your prior bell. Doing a great job as one of the more main defenders in all of mid-major college basketball is He's done a great job being able to chip in there about 13 points, 6 rebounds per game against the Montana team that 
They rank in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game. Josh Bannon has become Mr. Do-It-All for the team at 6'8". He's able to give you 16 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, shooting 41% from 3-point range. As all Montana shoots about 78% of the free throw and 35.5% from 3-point range. The free throw shooting percentage. One of the best marks in all of college basketball. You've had Aiden Moody come in from Southern Utah with 14 points per game. He's been able to do a nice job. And then you got someone like Deshaun Thomas who's been able to give you 12.5 points. Five and a half rebounds per game, but you do take a look at the flip side for Montana State and Raekwon Battle. It's turned into a nice number one score with 16 points per contest, not necessarily shooting it well from three point inches. Montana State, they shoot 34% from three. Battle only shoots about 30% from three, but I like Darius Brown the second. He's a big reason why I do like this Montana State team as a whole. Nine points, 4.4 boards, 4.8 assists, 1.7 steals on 1.6 turnovers per game. Great also board chipping in their four boards and in half points per game should be enough. For Montana State to be able to get the job done, Montana State has been able to do a solid job recently. They lose that game to Idaho, but that said, this is still a squad that has given up fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games. And for Montana, the offense has had its woes recently as they, in regulation, have scored 65 points or fewer in three of their last five games. And I will say, for them in regulation as well, in terms of the defense, they have given up fewer than 60 points in four out of their last five games. So, a situation where I meet Montana State, more around a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number, and in terms of the total set it at a 132, you've got a pair of teams out looking to play a high-possession game. So, looking at the under and Montana State, 805-806 on the banking board, Florida Atlantic. It's a road face-off against UTEP. UTEP between a 5.5 to a 6-point underdog, and your total between 132.5 and 133.5. I meet Florida Atlantic a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number Florida Atlantic has been the number one cover team in all of college basketball, and a big reason why is that you've just got so much balance. You don't have that one guy that's going to go out there and average like 20 points per game or anything like that, but you've got a guy, a lot of guys like A.J. Martin, John L. Davis, Michael Forrest that all combined for about 39, 38 points between the three of them. You've got John L. Davis shooting 41% from three. Martin is able to give you 1.3 steals, 5 boards, 13 points per contest. Davis chips in there 5 boards as well. And then Michael Forrest, 10 points, 3 boards, 2 assists, mid-33 point shooter. And then Vladislav Golden is a 7-footer that gives you 6.2 boards, nearly a block per contest. Florida Atlantic in the top 55 in terms of both offensive and defensive efficiency. A mid-tempo team that is going to be going up against the UTEP squad that they've done a good job on defense and they've done a very poor job on offense. UTEP turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're currently ranked 72nd in the country and they're giving up 21 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road as you've got Tay Hardy and Shamar Givens that combined for 23 points. Givens has been able to give you about five assists and Hardy and Givens combined for 3.2 steals per game, but I've also got a UTEP team that they turn the ball for 15 and a half times per game. They are an up-tempo team in the top 125 in terms of possessions per game, but they shoot 60% at the free throw line, 28.2% from three-point range. That's not going to cut it in this spot. You've got a Florida Atlantic team that, in regulation, because they have played a few overtime games, but in regulation, they have given up north of 73 points just really once this year. Against St. Thomas of Florida, they gave up 74 points, but they were able to score 97 points themselves, and they're able to play whatever style you want to. If you you want to play fast, they'll put up nearly 100 like they did against Eastern Michigan. If you want to play slow, they will beat you at that style as well like they did to North Texas twice this year. 
did set my total at 130. I do think that they're going to find a way to be able to break this UTEP pressure, but I think that UTEP just going to have a really tough time putting the ball in the basket, as it is a UTEP team that, to their credit, may have given up 60 points of fear in four of their last five games. I do think that things are going to be tied down a little bit more, but UTEP really doesn't have a lot down there. You've got Calvin Solomon, who's been able to give you six rebounds. Does a good job chipping in their seven and a half points, nearly two steals per game, but that said, even with Florian Lank committing a few more turnovers than normal, they're still going to be their normal, efficient selves against a UTEP team that can't hit shots, so set my number at seven, willing to lay the number with Florida Atlantic, and made my total 130, instead of having under 807-808 on the betting board, Utah Tech is going to be playing us in Mexico State. New Mexico State is a very slight underdog of two and a half points in your total on this game, They're between 146.5 and 147. I say Utah Tech is just a one and a half point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take the uh, two to two and a half that I'm seeing with New Mexico State with New Mexico State Things are not great for them right now. They're 7-12 straight up, and currently they're riding a pretty significant seven-game losing streak. They have been getting blown out by nine-plus points at a lot of these games, but it's also a Utah Tech team that has lost five straight games, and for Utah Tech, offense has been all over the place. They have scored 60 points or fewer in three of the last five games. It's a Utah Tech team that is in the bottom 125 in terms of possessions per game, but they're also a team that... In terms of defensive efficiency, they're in the bottom 125. In terms of offense, they've been solid. Cameron Gooden, along with Isaiah Pope, combined for 28 points and 40% three-point shooting. Utah Tech is a whole. They shoot 37% from the outside, but they do turn the ball over 15 times per game. It's a New Mexico State team that, throughout their history, they've always been a relatively solid team at being able to generate swipes. And they do have a pair of guards in Deshwandre, Washington, along with Xavier Pinson. They'll be able to do a solid job, giving you about 12 points apiece. Washington is able to give you seven rebounds per game. Dewan Gordon comes in from Kansas State and Missouri. He's been able to chip in there right around 10 points per game. It is a squad, though, that they shoot right around 33% from three-point range. You need a little bit more out of them, and they don't necessarily have that primary rebounder, Tanner Christensen, for Utah Tech. He's been able to give the team right around seven rebounds per game. He's able to pop a few threes, give you right around 10 points per game, but also with Utah Tech, you don't have a guy that gives you north of two and a half assists per game. So a pair of teams with a whole bunch of wards, a pair of teams that have not been playing as savory of defense as you would like, but a pair of teams that they also don't really play very up-tempo. I set my total at 143.5. As a result, I'm going to be taking a look at the under with Utah Tech. Set them as a one and a half point favorite, so we'll take two or more with New Mexico State in this pair of struggling teams. 809-810 on the betting board. Weber State is going to be playing us the Sacramento State. Sac State is a underdog of four to four and a half points with your total anywhere between 128 and 129. And with Sacramento State, I did set them as a favorite of one point. I'm going to be looking at them on the money line. Weber State has been able to have their season go into take off mode ever since they were able to get that win against Utah State, but that said, this is still a very top-heavy team in which they rely upon Dylan Jones to do a little bit of everything, and Dylan Jones has been absolutely terrific for this Weber State team as he has a six foot eight little bit of a combo player, 15 points, 10.8 rebounds, 4 assists per game, but he also turns the ball over 3.8 times per game. You had Steven Verplanken, who's able to shoot 44.5% from distance with right around 13 points per game, but past these two gentlemen, you only have one guy that gives you north of 7.5 points per game, Junior Ballard, and nobody else gives you north of 3.5 rebounds per game, which is a big giant issue against the Sacramento State team that at seven foot one, Colin McRae is going to do a nice job in the post. I think that this is just a bad matchup in general because McRae, 12 points, 9.7 rebounds at seven foot one. He's able to give out 2.7 assists per game. Cameron Wilbon, Lon G, and I Hunt have been able to combine for 6.2 assists per game. Now, it's a Sacramento State team that ranks in the bottom 100 in terms of possessions per game. They do turn the ball for 14 times per game, but they also shoot 36.5% from three with Zach Chappell, Lon Thompson, Patterson combined shooting 39% from three. Patterson, nine points per game. Chappell, 16 points per contest. 
as we've seen Sacramento State do very well on the money line as an underdog, and we're seeing Sacramento State really doing a great job of putting vice grips on teams as they have given up 65 points or fewer in each other last three games, and it's a Weber State team that they've been able to do a relatively solid job with their defense as well, giving up 68 points or fewer in each other last five games, so I think that this is going to be more of a controlled and low-scoring game, set my total at 127, diving under both of these teams in the bottom runner in terms of possessions per game, but Sacramento State, you've got more shooting options and you've got more variety with the team in general. I made them the favorite, so I'm going to be looking at Sacramento State as a money line underdog. 8 11 8 12 on the betting board. Gonzaga, it's the road face off against Pacific. Pacific between a 16 to a 16 and a half point underdog with your total on this game, any between 158 and a half and 159. And this is a total that I did set at a 162 and a half. Gonzaga is outside the top 160 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, and Pacific has not played any defense all season long. So looking at the over and with Gonzaga, can only set them as a 14 and a half point favorite. They are facing off against a Pacific team that they're going to get manhandled down low. Mention it with Pacific 200. 46th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and when it comes to Pacific you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game so and it's not too terrific but with Gonzaga who's really guarding the perimeter for this team either as you do have a Pacific team that as Luka Andolvich is able to give you 10 points per contest he's able to uh, give you right around 10 points on nearly 50% 3 point shooting you've got Tyler Beard who's done a nice job doling out the ball 9 points right around 3 assists he's 42.5% for 3 point range Jordan Ivey Kirby, Donovan Williams they combine for about 18 points per contest as well. Flip side for Gonzaga, Julian Strother, Regier Bolton, both of these guys are able to shoot north of 39.5% for three-point range. They're combining for 24 points per game. Drew Timmy, 21 points, 7.5 rebounds. I think that he gets even more than that against a Pacific team with no rebounding whatsoever. Kalen Boone is able to give you right around 4.5 boards, 11.5 points per game, but for Gonzaga... I mean, the points that they have been giving up, they've given up at least 74 points in four out of their last five games. It's a Pacific team that they've allowed at least 72 points in each of their last five games. And for a Pacific, maybe they will get past 78 points in four of their last five contests as well. I think Gonzaga is going to be able to wash away the sting of the loss that they took to Loyal Marymount, but Gonzaga is still overvalued, 5-13-1 against the spread for them. It's a spot where I set this number at 14.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Pacific. Somebody told 162.5, so also looking at the over 8 13, 8, 14 on the betting board. USC hits a road face off against Arizona State. Arizona State between a three and a half and a four point favorite. And your total on this game between 137 and 138 and a half with Arizona State made them a three and a half point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take four with USC. USC in terms of opponents, two point shooting percentage is in the top five in all of college basketball. Now with USC, they're also ranked right around 150th in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But you do have a pair of guards and Boogie Ellis along Drew Peterson, great name that are able to combine for 29.1 points. Peterson gives you six boards as a 6'8 combo player. Shoots about 34% from three. Ellis shoots 37% from the outside as you've got for USC. Down low, Joshua Morgan giving you 2.6 blocks. Right around 5.5 rebounds per game. You've also been able to get 7.5 points, 5 rebounds out of Kobe Johnson, the kid from Wisconsin as well. Meanwhile, for Arizona State, a top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but they only shoot about 32.5% from 3-point range. You've had the Cambridge brothers and Desmond and Devin Cambridge do a solid job combining for about 23 points per game. Desmond tips in there, 1.3 steals per game. Devin Cambridge shoots 36.5% from 3-point range. And Frankie Collins is able to give you 4.5 boards, 5 assists, He's able to chip in there 12 points per game. You've got Warren Washington 
Give you seven boards down low. Alonzo Gaffney, relatively good on-ball defender, but with Arizona State, I do think that they're going to be able to continue to just do a solid job on defense. They've given up north of 75 points, really just twice all season long. It's a USC team that they themselves have been able to put the climbs down on defense. They've given up 61 points or fewer in three of their last four games. I do think that this is going to be a relatively low-scoring slog. So I might tell at 135 and a half diving under. And with USC, we'll take four or more with them. 815-816 on the betting board. CSUN is going to be playing us to Cal State Fullerton. CS Northridge, a.k.a. CSUN. An underdog at home of anywhere between 6.5 and 7 points in your turn-on game. Between 126 half and 127 half with Fullerton, made them a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with CSUN. CSUN was actually leading in the second half against UC Santa Barbara before they failed to cover 16 and a half points. That was a relatively brutal beat. They're going up against a Fullerton team that they do have a guy that I like in Max Jones that comes in from D2 level who's been able to generate for the team right around 10 points. Shoots 36 half percent from three for Fullerton. Overall, they do shoot about 37% from the outside. You've been able to have a pair of guys and Jalen Harris, along with Trail right cell, who will be able to give you about 29.5 points per contest. Right cell has been able to shoot about 38.5% from three-point range. And for CSUN, they are a team that they rank outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they do really suck the life out of you as they rank outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, for Fullerton, this is a bunch that they rank right around 129th in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but I do think that Deontay Bostic, along with Aiton Wright, a pair of guys that average 27.7 points per game, they're still going to be able to get theirs. They combine for about 2.5 seals per game. CSUN only shoots about 31.5% per three, but they take care of the ball 11.5 turnovers per game. I do think that for CSUN, they are a very pesky team that is going to be able to hold in this game for CSUN. Fewer than 60 points scored in each other last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Fullerton team that they've been starting to let up a little bit more on defense, giving up at least 70 points in four of their last five games. So it is a circumstance where I set my total at a 124.5. I think that you get another low-scoring slog between these two, looking at the under end. Won't take anything north of five with CSUN. 817-818 on the betting board. UC Santa Barbara is going to be playing us Cal State Bakersfield. Meet meet for the Roadrunners, who are between 15 and 16-point underdogs. Totals any between 120 and 120.5. I set my total nice and low for this one, a 118, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and Santa Barbara can only make them a 15-point favorite. You see Santa Barbara right now, a top 45 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they aren't getting the production that you would expect out of Andre 3000 Kelly, who comes in from Cal. After 13 points, right around 8 half rebounds per game at Cal last season. This season, he's only given you right around 10 points, 6 half rebounds per game, though. A.J. Mitchell and Miles Norris have been able to combine for 29.5 points per game. Norris, a 6'10 combo player that shoots 40.5% from 3, is able to give you right around 6.3 rebounds per game. Santa Barbara does a great job on the glass. And for F- Bakersfield, they are a top 125 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They do a good job of being able to really rebound by committee as Modestus Conclaris has been able to give you right around 5.8 rebounds per game and Tavion Cullum, coupled with also Cameron Smith. They both give you between about 4.5 and 5.5 rebounds per game apiece with Cullum and Smith combining for 15.5 points per game. But the main guy that's able to run this offense is their point guard, and that would be Caleb Higgins, 13 points, 3 assists, deal per contest. It's a Bakersfield team that they shoot about 33.5% from 3, but both of these teams in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. It's a Bakersfield team that they have scored 56 points or fewer in each other last four games, 61 or fewer in each other last five, and for Bakersfield, They've allowed north of 67 points once in their last six games. It's a Santa Barbara team that has not allowed a team to get past 65 this calendar year. I think that you're in for a really low-scoring, sad game for Bakersfield. 
They're going to lose this game, most likely by double figures, but this is just too big of a number considering what these two teams are at this point. So, a spot where I'm going to be willing to take the points since Santa Barbara is a 15-point favorite, and in terms of this total, set mine at a 118. So, despite the fact that the total is low, I'm going to be willing to go with the under 819, 820 on the bank board. Tarleton State is on the road facing off against Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist is a favorite of 6 to 5.5 points in your total on this game. And between 131.5 and 132, set Cal Baptist myself as a 6-point favorite. So, 5.5 is the max I'm going to be willing to lay with Tarleton State. They've just been dealing with injury upon injury. They do a good job of being able to generate right around 10 swipes for contests. But, that said, you can only have so many injuries before it really starts to take his toll. Skip to my Lou Williams. He's been able to do a solid job for this bunch. He's been able to chip in there about 11.9 points per contest at Carlson State, despite the fact that Freddie X has been out of the fold for much of the second half of the season. A 17.5 point per game score that they finally got back against Seattle. He had 14 points in that game overall for the season, averaging 17.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game, despite him being out for quite a while. Shooting 34% from three-point range. Shakir Daniel has been able to give you right around 9 points, three assists per game, does a solid job there, but with that said, even with expecting the full Cal Baptist to be able to do a solid job with their defense, I have no idea why they have really slowed things down. They're a bottom 75 team in terms of total possessions per game, but they do rank in the top 85 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Taron Armstrong, triple-double machine, 10.5 points, 4.5 boards, 5 assists, shoots in the mid-30s from three-part range. you got Timmy Ogahove, who has been able to give you right around 7 rebounds. He's able to give you multiple blocks per contest. I really like his overall game, but he's going to be out of the full once again for this team because he's been dealing with an injury, but Hunter Goodrick, he gives you seven boards, nine points per game. Jose Quitana, he's been a sharp shooter throughout his career, but it's only shooting 29% from three after he shot 43% from distance while he was at Loyola Marymount last season, but that said, it is a Cal Baptist team that has been able to find some offensive production out of the likes of Reed Nottage and company. Has they been able to get to at least 67 points in each other last four games? Defense has still been there, 71 points of fear surrendered in five out of their last six games. This is a Tarleton State team that made themselves have been able to get to at least 68 points in four out of their last five games, so I do think that this is going to be a little bit more frenetic game. Tarleton State typically does that with a lot of their games. So I did set my total at 132. So here at 131.5, looking at the over with Cal Baptist, one to lay 5.5 and absolutely nothing more with them. 821, 822 on the main board. Air Force, they play us at San Diego State. San Diego State is a favorite of 7.5 to 8 points with your total between 131 and 131.5. Air Force playing that old methodical style in which they are in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game, but they've cut down on the turnovers. Last year, it was more around 14 to 14 and a half per game. This year, it's down to more like 11 and a half, so they've got a couple more scoring options in general, which you do like to see, which is why I set my number at 7 and a half. I'm going to be willing to take 8 or more with Air Force. With Air Force, you've got Jake Hydebrenner, 14 points. He's been able to shoot 37.5% from three and all in all. Air Force shoots 36.5% from distance. Kim Dim Vanderswag has been able to give you 8.5 points per contest. And then Ryan Petraeus has been able to chip in there 9 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Now Nathan Menza going to be the best little post player in this game with 6 rebounds right around 7 points per contest. And then we've got a duo in Matt Bradley along Darian Trammell who combined for a little bit over 25 points, 6 assists. They combined to shoot about 35.5% from three in San Diego State. Shooting 36% from three. But San Diego State has kicked up their tempo. We've noticed that they're playing a little bit slower now that they've gotten into conference play and 
and San Diego State. They are allowing about 18 points more per one earned possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. Not easy to go to Colorado Springs and be able to get a W for San Diego State. They have now given up at least 75 points in three of their last five games. It is an Air Force team that they've been having their offensive difficulties as well. If you take out the overtime that we saw against Colorado State, they have been held to 70 points or fewer in five out of their last six games. I do think that San Diego State is going to try to get back to basics here. They're getting sort of out of sorts with what they truly are, San Diego State currently 126th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. I think both teams are going to show their defensive force first time around when these two teams played in December. It was a 71 to 55 slog Air Force in that game was a 17 point underdog so they were able to get the cover and in that game you did see San Diego State go 11 to 23 from 3. I think that Air Force going to guard the arc a little bit better. There were combined 29 turnovers in that game. I expect a lot of the same year. Set my total 129 and a half diving under and with Air Force willing to take 8 or more and this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas play more before I hit a break and go to the extra games. 823-824 Oregon is the road to face off against Stanford. Sanford is anywhere between a two and a half and a three point underdog with your total between 137.5 and 138.5 and made Oregon a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the two and a half to three with Oregon. They are coming off of a nice win against Cal. Now it is against Cal, but that said, they now have Jermaine Cousard back in full. Who's been very helpful for this team in five games, averaging 12.8 points, shooting 52.5% from three. Not sustainable there. Oregon as a whole, they're shooting 30.5% from three point range, right around 250th in the country in terms of possession per game at Will Richardson still 3.3 turnovers per game at 32% three-point shooting prior to this year never had more than two and a half turnovers in a game in the last three years had shot at least 38% from three-point range but things are starting to look better on that front you got Infali Dante who's been able to dominate downloads seven and a half boards 13 and a half points per game need to get more out of Khalil Ware who's been able to give you only about eight points four and a half rebounds per game but for Sanford in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis a bottom 75 team in all of college basketball you've got the Joneses and Spencer and Michael Jones combined for about 23 points per game and Harrison Ingram just taking massive strides back. Nine points, five boards, three assists. You expected so much more out of him and for the Stanford team. Out of your top five scores, you got one guy shooting north of 29% for three in Spencer Jones. Sanford coming off of a nice win against Oregon State, but still, this has been a bunch that has not been able to really put it together on the offensive side of things. So both of these teams leaving something to be desired on defense for Sanford. We're in 24th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is an Oregon team that's more around 100th, but got a lot more faith here in Oregon. They've got more down low in Stanford. They just have had their issues holding on to the ball as they have failed to exceed 70 points in any of their last five games. So in circumstance where I set Oregon as a three and a half point favorite, one to lay the three and I made by a total of 134 and a half. So diving under and now we are going to hit a break right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And coming up next, you get the extra games right here on Coast to Coast Soups with myself, Dave Spears, and now a part of the YouTube family podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. 
I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie, too, for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas. We're Coast to Coast Heaps with myself, Craig Heaps Pierce, and now part of the Visa Family and Podcast. We've went through the normal games on the college basketball betting board. Now we hit the extra games. We're going to be going a little bit faster on this, so buckle up for safety. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-541, 306-542. Loyola, Maryland is going to be on the road facing off against Boston U. Boston U between a 7.5 to an 8.5 point favorite. And your total on this game is there between 130.5 and 131. And with Boston U, Southam as an 8 point favorite would rather take the 8.5 rather than lay 7.5. You've got a pair of teams that they rank in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game for Loyola Maryland. They have not been able to get anything out of the Elitch brothers, but it's been a Boston U team that's really been reliant upon Walter White. He has been breaking bad with right around 14 points, 6 rebounds per contest. Contest. You've also been able to get some relatively good contributions out of Ethan Britton Watts. Britton Watts has been able to do a solid job shooting right in the neighborhood of about 40% from three-point range, contributing about 10 points per game, but you really don't have a lot down low. Evan Sink has been able to give you five rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for this loyal Maryland team, it's been a little bit of a disaster as they rank in the bottom one in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Boston U more in the middle of college basketball with that regard. But what you do have for this loyal Maryland team is a nice little backcourt as you've been able to have a pair of guys being able to generate double figures and Cam Jones, Jalen Andrews, they combined for 22 points per contest with Jones shooting 38.5% from three. Loyal Maryland shoots a 63.5% the free throw line, 15 turnovers per game, but it's a Boston U team that they don't necessarily generate a lot of turnovers and got a Boston U team that has allowed at least 69 points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a loyal Maryland team that they've been able to win two other last three games. The other loss that was the Lehigh on their home floor by four points. Nothing too bad there. They've been able to get to at least 70 points in each out of the last three games, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a tame down game. Zip Austin is an eight-point favorite, so willing to take eight and a half or more with Loyal Maryland. Set by total 128, diving under. 306, 543, 306, 544. UMBC plays us to New Hampshire. New Hampshire is between an eight to an eight and a half point underdog. Totals between 139 and a half and 140 and a half. Somebody told out 137, so I'm going to be willing to dive under. You've got a New Hampshire team that they play at a bottom one earned pace in terms of total possessions per game, and they're going up against a UMBC bunch at they're a mid-tempo team. With UMBC, they're in the bottom one earned in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. New Hampshire may leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense as well as Colton Lawrence, Jacob Onyeseth. They combine for 25.5 points per game. These two guys combine to shoot about 36.5% from three-point range, and UMBC does really good job taking care of the ball. 10 turnovers per game. New Hampshire, they do a good job of taking care of the ball as well with their slow, grimy pace. 10 turnovers per game. They shoot 35% from three. And Clarence O'Daniels, 15 points, 10 boards per contest. He is really the only guy in this game that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game, but with UMBC. Reason why I did make them a nine-point favorite, you got to love Trayvon Fagan along with Obeying Menza. 
Donlady combined to be able to give you about 12 rebounds per game. You've been able to get Fagan going for about 32% three-point shooting, and then Micah Pissarelli has been able to give you 10.5 points per contest. It's a UABC squad that has been able to improve their defense just a little bit recently, giving up, I'm, I know that's not much, but 73 points or fewer to their last three games, and we have noticed that with this New Hampshire team, they've been a little bit all over the place recently, an 18-point loss against Big Hampton. That's not necessarily so savory, and for UMBC, just one of the best three-point shooting teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball. So, a circumstance in which I set UMBC as a 9-point favorite, one to lay up to 8.5 with them, set my total 137, so also going to be taking a look at this total under as we go to 306, 545, 30 6546. Army versus Navy. Army, the home team, anywhere between a two and a half to a three point favorite with your total on this game 140. And I did set my total 139. I'm going to be willing to go under. Got a pair of teams that play at different tempos. It's an Army team that is more of a mid tempo team. And then you've got a Navy team that has been playing at a bottom one pace in terms of possessions per game. But Navy, all of a sudden, after they were number one in all of college basketball last season in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis in a road or neutral court environment, they are now in the bottom one with that regard. But They've been able to really crank up their offense as they're shooting as a collective darn near 40% from three-point range. As you had Tyler Nelson along Daniel Deaver, they've been able to combine for 24 points. They both give you between five and a half and six rebounds per game. Deaver gives you three assists per game. Sean Yoder, 10 points, 37.5% three-point shooting. So these guys have been able to do a relatively solid job on that front. And then on the flip side for this Army team, you do have a little bit of a top-heavy team as you've been able to have Jalen Rucker be able to give you three and a half assists, 16 and a half points per contest. Colton Benson, along with Ethan Roberts, they combine for about 23 points per game. And Army, they shoot 37% from three-point range. They do turn the ball over, though, right around 13 times for contest. And you take a look at what both of these teams have done recently. And for Navy, they've been able to get back a little bit more to their defensive roots, giving up fewer than 70 points at each other their last three games. Meanwhile, you got an Army team that has scored at least 70 points in four of their last five games, but defense has been a little bit better for them recently as well, giving up fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games. I do think that both of these teams are going to do a relatively solid job on defense, and I do think that both of these teams are relatively equal in the end. I think Army gets the job done on their own floor because Navy just a little bit too reliant upon the three ball this season, and Army has a little bit more depth. Set Army as a three-point favorite, willing to lay the two and a half, set by 12, 139, so looking at the 140 under. 306, 547, 306, to be playing us Gardner Webb. Gardner Webb between a two to a two and a half point favorite with your total between 136 and 136 half. So Gardner Webb is a four point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the two and a half with Gardner Webb. They've done a good job with their defense. They're a top 75 team towards points a lot on a per possession basis and they're going up against a Winthrop team that they're a bottom 50 team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. You do have for Winthrop a guy that I like and Colton Telford has been able to give you 16 points, 7.8 rebounds per game. He scores more than the Gardner Webb bigs but the Gardner Web Bigs do a little bit of a better job of being able to block some shots as you've got Kareem Reed along with Anthony Selden who both give you a block per contest and Lufile Dufil who gives you five rebounds right around 1.7 blocks per contest with Selden and Reed. They combine for about 22 points per contest. Gardner Webb only shoots 33% from three. And if you do have trepidation with this bet, it is the fact that Gardner Webb shoots 63.5% at the free throw line. But that said, DQ Nicholas has come in, given the team three assists, 11.3 points per game with Winthrop. You have been able to have Sincere McMahon come in and be able to give the team double figures. Kassan Harrison has been able to give you about three and a half assists per game with Harrison. He's been able to shoot about 32% from three. McMahon more around 38% from three. But that said, you do take a look at this Winthrop team and they're 
They're just all about their offense, and when they're unable to generate that as they have scored 71 points or fewer in three of their last four games, makes it a complete and utter disaster. Gardner-Webb, they've lost four out of their last five games, but two of those games went to overtime. Gardner-Webb has been able to do a very solid job with their defense in regulation, giving up 66 points or fewer in each of their last five games. So a situation where I make Gardner-Webb a four-point favorite, one to lay the number made by total 134, so also diving under 306-549, UNC Asheville is going to be playing us to USC Upstate. Upstate is an eight-point underdog. Totals between 137.5 and 138.5. And with USC Upstate, I did make them an underdog of seven points. I'm going to be one to take eight. You're going to have the best player out there on the floor for Asheville, and that would be Mr. Drew Pember, a six-foot-ten combo player that is able to give you two and a half blocks per contest, shoots 34% from three, nine and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, 19 points per game, and then. You also have a nice sharpshooter that's able to give you about 14 points per game in Tyshawn Jones, 47.5% three-point shooter, UNC Asheville. They shoot as a collective about 38% from three-point range. And Asheville, a little bit more of an up-tempo team, top 125 in terms of possessions per game. With Upstate, they are in the bottom 100 in terms of possessions per game. Certainly leaves something to be desired on defense. 267th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Asheville, we're around 141st. But that said, with UNC Asheville, they are a team that they turn the ball over 15 times for contest and for upstate you've got a guy in Jordan Ganey that last year shot right around 48% from three-point range he's been able to give the team 16 points in a higher volume role still shooting 40% from three 63% the free throw line not so great there and with regards to rebounding they're not going to be able to match up with Pembroke company but what you do also have for this team is right around four boards 10 and a half points per game out of Trey Bourneau you've been able to get right around eight steals per game with this USC upstate team as well and they do give you a few blocks down low so they're going to be able to provide, at the very minimum, a little bit of resistance. It's an upstate team that has been held at 65 points or fewer in far the last five games. With that said, they've held out of their last five opponents, three of them to 60 points or fewer. So they've been able to do a little bit of a better job there. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a buttoned-up game as a result. So by total, at a 135. So situation where I'm going to be going under. And with Upstate, going to be one, take seven and a half or more with them. Three is six, five, fifty-one. Three is six, five, fifty-two. Longwood, it's where it face off against Presbyterian. The Blue O's are a underdog of nine and a half points with your total 132 and a half to 133. And I did set my total at 131 and a half. I'm going to be one to dive under. It's a Presbyterian team that is in the bottom 50 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis and with Longwood set them as an 11 and a half point favorite with Presbyterian. They shoot sub 30% from three, 65% at the free line. They've been dealing with injuries to the likes of some of their top scores all season long, like a Winston Hill, and Isaiah Wilkins is going to be the top scorer in this game. He's been able to give for this Longwood team 12.5 points, 5.8 rebounds, shoots 36% from three for a Longwood team as collective. They shoot 37% from the outside, top one on our team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Waylon Napper, along to Sean Wade, they both give you between 10 to 10 and a half points per game. They both chip in their 3.4 rebounds per game. Zach Watson, Michael Christmas, they combine for 10 rebounds per game. And for Presbyterian, you do have Jalen Forrest, who's now been able to chip in their 12 points per game, so he's been able to improve a little bit on that front. You do also get Crosby James going for about 11 points per game, but for Presbyterian, 13 turnovers per game. They've been able to do a relatively okay job on defense, but they're still outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot under per possession basis, giving up 67 points or fewer in three out of their last four games, and the lone game that they gave up more than that went to overtime, but that said, it's a Presbyterian team that, in regulation, has not been able to break 70 points in their last four games, and really the lone team they've been able to do so. 
against in the Big South has been Winthrop. I do think that Longwood going to be able to stifle on defense, a mid-tempo team, so I set my total at 131.5, diving under, and with Longwood, Southam has 11.5 point favorite, so going to be willing to lay the number. 306, 553, 306, 554. North Florida is going to be playing us the Liberty. Liberty is a 10 point favorite, and your total on this game in between 141 and 141.5, and, and with Liberty, I set them as a 9.5 point favorite, so 10 or more willing to take the points with North Florida. It is a North Florida team that they do play significantly more up-tempo. They're in the top 50 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Liberty, well, they're in the bottom 25 in terms of possessions per game, but Liberty, one of the most efficient offenses that you're going to find in all of college basketball, and a big reason why is Darius McGee. One of the top scorers in all of college basketball, giving you 21.5 points per contest, shooting 44.5% from three-part range, Brody Pebbles. He also shoots 46% from distance, 10.5 points per game. Kyle Rhodes, 6'7", a little bit of a point forward, four assists, nine and a half points per game at Liberty. They're a top 70 team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but for North Florida, you do have some good versatility. Jalen Nicklin, Carter Hendrickson Jr., they've been able to give you a combined about 29 and a half points per game, shooting about 35% from three. It is a North Florida team that, despite their tempo, they turn the ball over right around 12 and a half times per game. Now, North Florida has also given up at least 80 points in four out of their last five games. Liberty, they've done a good job of being a pound team, 62 points or fewer in each of their last five games. It's a good situation of something's got to give. You know that Liberty is going to be able to get things going on offense, but that said, it is a situation where I did set my total at a 139.5. I do think that things get a little bit bottled up. I think that it's a little bit easier to slow this game down, and we have seen North Florida be able to at the very least, hang in there in a little bit of slower games. I do think that North Florida going to be able to win the battle on the glass, so that'll keep them lively in this game. We'll take 10 or more with North Florida. Set my total at 139.5, so diving under 306.555, 306.556. I point hopes to not be a low point. They hit the road to face off against Radford. Radford is heading between a 7.5 to an 8-point favorite, and your total on this game is heading between 141.5 and 142, and with Radford, I did set them as a favorite of 7 points, so a circumstance where here in this spot, I'm willing to take the 7.5 to 8 with High Point. High Point, it's been a relatively rough run for them recently after they were one of your more profitable teams in all of college basketball. They've went straight down the toilet bowl. They've been so very good to the over because they're in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game. They still have Jaden House, who's been able to give you 19 points per contest, four boards. He's only shooting, though, about 24.5% from three. Zach Austin is able to give you a block and a half down low, but for Radford, they should be able to do a good job of playing even up on the glass. Shaquan Jules along Justin Archer. They combine for 12.5 rebounds. They both give you about 7.5 points per game. And then you've got Taquan Smith, Keenan Giles. They combine for 24 points. Both shoot 40 plus percent from three-point range. And it's a Redford team as a whole. They shoot 37.5% from distance. But in a game that involves late-game felling, they shoot 67% at the free-throw line. High point. They shoot right around 64% at the charity stripe. But Brian Randleman does a good job giving you a little bit over three assists, 8.5 points per game. And then Ahmad Harvey has been able to chip in there, 7 and a half rebounds per game. Now, it is a high point team that they themselves shoot about 62% of the free throw line. They have their turnover woes, but the defense has been able to turn it around a little bit more recently, giving up fewer than 70 points in each of the last two games. So, I do like what I'm seeing there for my point. Radford is a team that they play a little bit more slow, a little bit more controlled, but we have seen this high point team be one of the best over teams in all of college basketball, and it is a Radford team that they themselves are willing to play a little bit more at tempo when needed as well. Set my total at 148, looking over with Radford, set them as some point favorite. So, We'll take seven and a half or more here with High Point. 306, 557, 306, 558. Setson is going to be playing us to Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State is a six and a half point underdog with your total between 133 and a half and 134. And with Jacksonville State, I did set them as a underdog in this ordeal of six points. So I'm going to be willing to take the six and a half with Setson. They're shooting as a collective darn near 40% 
from three-part range. I do think that this is going to be drying up at some point with Stetson. They have not been able to get a lot out of Mohamed Dewaria down low, as right now they've got really one guy in Josh Smith that's able to give you north of six rebounds per game. You've been able to have Jalen Blackman do a solid job in this backcourt. He and Stefan Swenson have been really linchpins of this team with Swenson. Nine and a half points, 4.8 assists, shooting 39% from three of Blackman. Shoots 36% from the outside, 12.8 points per game. And Stetson, 39.6% from three-point range is what they're shooting. Stetson, a bottom 30 team in terms of possessions per game. Both of these teams are in the bottom 50 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis with Jacksonville State. They themselves shoot 36.5% from three. Damari King, Skyler Potter, they've been able to combine for about 28 points per game. Potter has been able to shoot right around 39% from three with his steal per game. King is able to chip in their three assists. Joan Purdue going to be the best rebounder in this game with seven rebounds per contest. It's a Jacksonville State team that has lost four out of their last five games. They've had a tough time with their slow style of getting a lot of offense going, 62 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Stetson team that, despite the fact that they play at their slow style, they've given up north of 80 points in two out of their last three games and three out of their last four contests. So, Good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that things are going to be cranked up tempo a little bit more. Not a lot of possessions in this game, but a lot of made buckets, in my opinion. So by total 136, looking at the overhand, which sets in, made them a six-point favorite, so we'll take six and a half or more with Jacksonville State. 306-559-306-560. Colgate is going to be playing us to American. American is a nine-point underdog. Total is anywhere between 140 and a half at 141. And with American, set them as a 10 and a half-point underdog. I'm willing to lay it with Colgate. Colgate is outside the top 225 in terms of points a lot under per possession basis but a top 20 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And for Colgate, they're shooting right around 40% from three-point range. One of the top marks in all of college basketball. Got an American team that has a pair of guys in Matt Rogers, coupled with Mr. Johnny O'Neill, who've been able to combine for about 25 points per game. Rogers shoots 51% from three. All in all, American, they shoot 36% from the outside. Despite the fact that they're in the bottom 25 in terms of total possessions per game, they do turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game. Colgate, they don't fall into that trap. They only turn the ball over 11 times for contest. Tucker Richardson, 15 points, 5 assists, 2 steals. He does it all for the team. Oliver Lynch Daniels shoots 46% from the outside. And then you do have someone that's able to give you another 5 rebounds per game. Jeff Woodyard Keegan Records has been able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. Now, Colin Smalls is back in the fold for American. He's able to help out Elijah Stevens, who gives you four assists per game. So, that's helpful for this American team. But ever since he's come back, they have an L2 62 points or fewer in their last three games. They have now given up at least 70 points in four straight games. And this is a Colgate team that they've been able to do a great job getting to 70 points at will all season long, despite the fact that American plays relatively slowly. I do think that Colgate could be a rack up the points that might total at 142 and a half going over. And with Colgate, We'll lay up to 10 with them. 306-563, 306-564. Maryland Eastern Shore is going to be on the road t- facing off against South Carolina State. South Carolina State, a one-point underdog. Toronto's game is 147. Battle of two complete opposites as you got a Maryland Eastern Shore team in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. South Carolina State, they rank in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. I set the Shore as a two and a half point favorite because as a collective, they do a nice job being able to rack up right around 10 steals per contest. You've also got someone in Nathaniel Pollard down low who's able to give you seven rebounds per game. And for South Carolina State, you really don't have any size whatsoever with this team. You've got someone in Rakeem Gary who's been able to give you 11 and a half points per game. And Luzon Holmes is now back to the bowl. These are top score of 12 and a half points per game. She's 43% from three, and that's big because they should as collective South Carolina State, 39% from three. They turn the ball over 14 times per game. They only generate about seven and a half seals per game themselves. And 
Well, I have one guy for South Carolina State and Davion Everett that gives you north of five rebounds per game. He chips in there 6.2. Meanwhile, for Maryland Eastern Shore, you just take a look at all these guys, and you've got four separate guys that give you at least 1.5 steals per game. That might be the most other than Missouri in all of college basketball. Abadou Fofama, along with Zion Siles, they combine for three steals. They combine for about 17 points per contest, and both shoot over 40% from three. And then the gentleman that began the year a little bit banged up, Kevon Voles, he's been able to come up big for this team. 11.5 points, right around two steals per contest. Shoots about 32% from three-point range. Top scorer for this for this bunch. And take a look at Maryland Eastern Shore. They've won four out of their last five games, holding four out of their last five opponents to 67 points or fewer. Meanwhile, for South Carolina State, despite the fact that they play so quickly, they scored 73 points or fewer in five out of their last seven games against D1 opponents. I do think that Maryland Eastern Shore is going to dictate the tempo in this game. Set by total 142.5, diving under. And I did set... The shore as a two and a half point favorite, so we'll delay the small number three at six five sixty five, three at six five sixty six. Also, B is going to be playing on Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is a road favorite in this spot of two and a half points, totals between one forty two and a half and one forty three and a half. And with Eastern Kentucky, set them as a two and a half point favorite. So, going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move in terms of current numbers. We saw this earlier at one and a half, and I'd be willing to lay the one and a half with Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky in all or nothing defense, as they do rank in the. Uh, Bottom 125 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, more around 200th because when they don't generate a seal and they get right around nine and a half of them per contest, they give up an easy bucket. With that said, they do have a pair of guys in Devontae Blanton along with Michael Moreno who would be able to combine for a little bit over 28 points, 12 and a half rebounds per game, and they both shoot over 40% from three-point range. Eastern Kentucky in a tight game, they only shoot about 62.5% the free throw line, but they do shoot 37% from three. In fact, Cooper Robb be able to chip in their two seals per contest, and then on the flip side for Austin P. They're coming off of getting bludgeoned by Lipscomb twice. You've got Sean Drew Gordon along the Elijah Hutchins Everett combined for 25 points. They both give you 6.1 rebounds per game. It's a P team that they shoot 33.5% from three, 76% at the free throw line. So they do a good job there. And Carlos Payas does a good job taking care of the ball. 3.7 assists to only about 1.7 turnovers per game. And you've been able to get a little bit more rebounding down low with Jalen Ware right around 6 points, 4.8 rebounds per game. So it's been able to do a solid job there, but just very, very suspect as of the minutes that he's going to be able to get in this contest. You've got an Eastern Kentucky team that has won four other last five games, being able to get past 75 points in three of those contests. Meanwhile, you've got an Austin P team that may have been all over the place with their scoring scoring 65 points or fewer in three of their last five games. Want to lay up to do with Eastern Kentucky. I did set my total at 140.5. You've had an Austin P team be one of the best under teams at all of college basketball the last two seasons, so could be looking at the under and want to lay up to do with Eastern Kentucky at three or more. It's my buy point on Austin P. 306-567-306-568. Compensate is going to be playing us in Norfolk State. Norfolk State and between a 3.5 and a 4.5 point favorite and your total on this game it is 115.5. Made compensate the 1.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line. I recognize that Compensate has been going downward a little bit with their offense, but I still think that Sam Sessions going to be the top player out there on the floor. He's been able to generate a little bit over 20 points per contest, shooting nearly 40% from three-point range, going up against a Norfolk State team that they're going to have the best player down low. That'd be Chris Banks, and he led all of college basketball in terms of field goal shooting percentage among qualifying players. Back while he was at Arkansas Little Rock about four seasons ago, he's been able to give the team in that neighborhood about 13.5 points, seven rebounds per game. And for Norfolk State, you do have Joe Bryant Jr. chipping in their 17 points per contest as well, and 
For Norfolk State, defense has been solid recently, giving up 65 points or fewer in three of the last four games, but coming off of giving up an 86 spot to Howard for Coppin State, not sure what has happened with them, but they have given up, they have scored 66 points or fewer in now four out of their last five games. I do think that they're going to be able to bounce back as they've gotten into Tark, who's able to turn offense into defense, 12.5 points, six rebounds per game. He's able to give you 2.3 steals per game, and he's only shooting about 30% from three. Coppin State as a whole, they shoot 33% from the outside, and it is a compensate team that they rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. So they are looking to run it. They are looking to gun it. They're going up against a Norfolk State team that, I mean, despite the fact that they've been able to do a solid job on defense recently, I think it's just because they went up against bad offenses. They're 305th in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Compensate certainly leaving something to be desired on this front as well, which is also why I set my total at a 153 and a half. I'm going over. Compensate currently 336th in all of college basketball in terms terms of points a lot on a per possession basis but that said they've also been able to give up right around 22 points fewer per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road I do think that for Norfolk State they do a solid job of being able to bomb from three point range as well as they're shooting as a collective about 34.5% from the outside they turn the ball over a little bit less but that said, I do think that Sashams is going to be able to take over this game. Set compensate as a one and a half point favorite. Take them on the money line. It's up by total 153 and a half. So, going to be taking a look at the over to go along that money line. 306-569-306-570. Jacksonville, they're going to be playing us Queens NC. Queens is a underdog of three points. Your total on this game, it is anywhere between 140 and 140 and a half. Did sell by total at 132. I'm going to be looking at the under just because Queens NC, I recognize that they're a little bit more of an up-to-up-o team. They're going up against the Jacksonville team that's in the bottom 20 in terms of total possessions per game. And I am seeing a few two and a halves out there. And at two and a half, it would be my buy point on Jacksonville. Jacksonville has been able to do a solid job of being able to have rebounding by committee. You haven't been able to get as much as expected out of Omar Payne, who began his career at Illinois along with Florida. He's been able to give the team right around five rebounds per game, but Jordan Davis gives you right around five and a half rebounds per game. And when it comes to the team, Kavion Nolan, he is the man headline scorer for Jacksonville, 13 and a half points per contest. He's been able to shoot in the high 30s from three-point range. Jacksonville's hold. They're shooting 37% from the outside. Meanwhile, you've got a Queens NC team that no fans are much about it. They're leaving something to be desired on defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It's a Queens team that ranks right around 300th, but Gavin Reigns, he's able to rein it in with right around 10.5 rebounds per game. Kenny Dye has been able to chip in there, 5 assists, 17 points per game. A.J. McKee is also able to give you 15.5 points per game as both of these guys shoot between 36 and 38% from three. Queens has been able to shoot as a collective about 36% from the outside, and while Jacksonville has been ranked outside the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, that defensive 40 is coming back 66 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. So they've been able to shape up on that side of things. Got a Queens team that's given up at least 74 points in each other last five games. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. And I do think that Jacksonville could do a good job of being able to crank things down, get their defense first approach, and be able to win the battle on the glass. Set my total out of 132, diving under. And with Jacksonville, set them as a three-point favorite. So at two and a half, that'd be by five point on them. Three and a half or more. Could be willing to take a look at the points with Queens. Serious six five seven. 306-572. It is Delaware State, and they are going to be on the road facing off against NC Central. NC Central, a favorite of 15.5 points with your total on this game. 
between 134 and a half and 135. A circumstance where I set NC Central as a 19 and a half point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay it with NC Central. They're just so much clearly better than the Delaware State team. Delaware State, they rank in the bottom 75 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're one of the worst teams at all of college basketball and points four on a per possession basis. And Delaware State, they rank in the bottom 125 in terms of total possessions per game. They've really got nothing going for them right now. They do have a Robert Morris transfer and Brandon Stone, who stands right around 6'11", 12 points, 5 rebounds. They will give you about 35.5% 3-point shooting, but for Delaware State, they turn the ball over 16.5 times per game despite being a slower team. They have not been able to find anything other than Stone really down low. He's the only guy that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game or north of 9 points per game, and this is an NC Central team that they do a good job of being able to swipe the ball away. They've got Eric Boone, who's been able to give you 2.3 steals per contest, 8.5 points, 4.2 rebounds, 5.1 assists, shoots 40% from 3, NC Central shoots 39% as a collective from 3-point range, and then you've got Mr. Wright, who's able to give you 15.5 points per game. That would be Justin Wright, 2.5 assists, shooting 44% from the outside. We've seen NC Central be one of the best cover 8 teams in all of college basketball, 9-3-1 and and against the spread. That is a top 5 mark, and they've been able to do a nice job on defense. If you take out the overtime session against Morgan State, they have given up fewer than 70 points in regulation in each other last four games and five out of the last six. It's a Delaware State team though that they're giving up points upon points. I did set my total at 135 and a half because I do think that NC Central going to be able to take it to a Delaware State team that has been having a really rough time of it on defense, giving up north of 78 points in two other last three games in MIAC play. Meanwhile, Delaware State has not been able to exceed 70 all season long, but I do think that this total is going to be hit to the over thanks to NC Central on the way that they're able to turn their defense into offense and NC Central as a 19 and a half point favorite. We'll delay the numbers. Sub by total 135 and a half. So also looking over 306, 573, 306, 574. Morgan State hits the road face off against Howard. Howard is a favorite of three points. Your total is between 145 and a half and 146 and with Howard, I set them as a three-point favorite as well, so this is going to be one in which I'm going to be waiting for a little bit of line movement on. We saw this open up at four, and at four, I'd be willing to buy in on Morgan State. It's a Morgan State team that they rank in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game, and they've got the big bomber players in Isaiah Burke along with Malik Miller. They combine for 38.3 points. Miller's been able to give you 10 boards per contest and four assists. These two guys combine for about three and a half steals per game, and Burke is shooting 45.5% from three-point range. Morgan State as a whole, they shoot 38.5% from three-point range. The big thing for Morgan State is that they are really leaving something to be desired on defense in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, right around 200th in the country, and I will say this for Morgan State. Actually giving up 7.5 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. It's a Howard team that they rank more around 260th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but you've got Steve Settle the third, who is who is 6'10". He's been able to give this team 11.5 points, 6 boards. He's shooting about 27% from 3-point range, but has been able to shape up a little bit more there. Elijah Hawkins does a good job of being able to give out five assists. She's 43% from three with 13.5 points per contest, and it is a team that you've got someone like a Jelani Williams who comes in for Penn. He's been able to give you nine points. She's in the mid-30s from three-point range. Howard, after a relatively rough start to the season, they've been able to pick things up. They've won back-to-back games. They've now been able to exceed 73 points in each other last five games. They were playing at a mid-tempo style to begin the season. They've been able to crank things up a little bit more, and it feels like the 
power defense is getting a little bit better. But th- with that said, we should see a lot of possessions in this game. So by total at 149, so good. But you take a look at the over. Now with Howard, made them a three-point favorite. So at anything north of three, going to be a take on Morgan State. If we get below three, I'm going to lay it with Howard. 306-575-306-576. It is Jackson State. They're going to be playing with Bethune-Cookman. Bethune-Cookman is an 8.5-point underdog. Totals between 145 and 146.5. And with Bethune-Cookman, set them as a 10-point underdog. So I'm going to be willing to lay 8.5 with Jackson State. Jackson State has been able to do a nice job of being able to cut down on the turnover. It's still right around 16 and a half per contest, but they're also going up against a Bethune-Cookman team that is in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You do have Zion Harmon along with Marcus Garrett, who've been able to combine for about 25 and a half points per game, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range for Bethune-Cookman, but Cookman does not have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Trace J- Young has been able to do a solid job, 11 and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. It's a Jackson State team that held within 10 against Michigan and both Mississippi State, then they were able to knock off SMU outright on the money line and you got Ken Evans Jr. who's been able to give you 11 points, three assists per contest. It's a Jackson State team that they're only shooting about 39% from three-point range, but the offense has been a little bit more free-flowing, and the defense has really been able to kick it up as well. They have given up 66 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you got a Bethune-Cookman team that has given up at least 70 points each of their last four games, one of those games against Mississippi Valley State. Not so savory there. Bethune-Cookman has been looking to crank up their style. Jackson State, they've been looking to tighten up the screws on defense. I set my total at a 144. I do think that Jackson State is going to be able to do a solid job on defense and for Bethune-Cookman, they're just not providing any of that in Jackson State generating about 8 steals per contest at a little bit of a faster tempo. So it is a circumstance where I'm going to be taking a look at the total under and with Jackson State I made them a 10-point favorite, so willing to lay the 8 after a 6577, 3 of 6578. McNeese State going to be playing on some Nichols. between a 3 and a half to a 4-point favorite, and your total is 144 to 144.5 of Nichols. South them as a 5 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Nichols. They have been able to really crank up their tempo, top 30 in terms of total possessions per game. And the big thing for Nichols is always being able to generate turnovers out. Nichols, they always have a little bit of a tendency to not shoot well at the free throw line, 61.5% this season, but have a pair of guys in the Trell Jones, along with Kale Buffman. They've been able to give you a combined 30 and a half points, 10 rebounds, 3.7 seals per game as Nichols as a collective. They get 9.4 seals per contest. It's a Nichols team that they still have a little bit of something to be desired on defense as they're a little bit all or nothing with going after those turnovers, but still, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, it's still relatively respectable at 238. That compared to a McNeese State team that, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis for them, 352nd. And McNeese State is giving up 2.5 points more per one or possessions at home rather than on the road. You do have J.T. Shulman giving you 11 points, 9.5 rebounds per game, and does shoot 36.5% for three, but McNeese State, 61.9% free throw shooting team. They turn the ball over 15.5 times per game. Trey English along Zach Scott combined for 3.6 steals per game. They combined to shoot about 33% for three with 23.5 points per contest, but for this McNeese State team, they're riding a four-game losing streak. They have given up at least 80 points in Three out of their last four games. Last time these two teams matched up at Nichols. McNeese State was able to get a push. It was a 73-64 to final. McNeese State was down pretty big, and then they were able to make a little bit of a rally in that game. You saw Nichols go 11-27 from three-point range, and they did a solid job being able to win their turnover battle by kind of 13-5. to I think that Nichols is throwing the ball over more than five times. I think that McNeese State is throwing the ball over 
north of 13 times in this contest as well. And then you've got Manny Littles, who's able to give you eight rebounds per game. I think that he's going to do a little bit of a better job in this game against McNeese as you had Jewelmate be able to give you a double-digit amount of rebounds in that contest. And I do think that Nichols going to be able to get a little bit more of their fast, frenetic style in this contest. So as a result, I did set Nichols as a five-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Set my total at a 143-and-a-half. I think that it's going to be a little bit faster pace than what we saw last game, but you do have a pair of teams that they do struggle to put the ball in the basket a little bit, so looking at the under and looking at laying it with Nichols. 306-579-306-580. It is... Texas A&M Commerce on the road against Southeast Louisiana. Southeast Louisiana is a 4.5 to a 5-point favorite, and your total loss game is 141.5, and with Southeast Louisiana, I did set them as a 7-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Southeast Louisiana. They do a good job of really having a lot of contributors by committee. Boogie Anderson, Alonth Roger McFarlane are able to combine for 22.4 points per contest with McFarlane chipping in their 7.5 rebounds per game. Southeast Louisiana shoots 36% from 3-point range, and it's a Texas A&M Commerce team that is one of the most anemic offenses in all of college basketball. They shoot 30% from 3, right around 230 yards of total possessions per game, turning the ball over 13 times per game. They only have one guy, DeMarcus Ammonia, that's able to give you north of 4.3 rebounds per game. 16.5 points, 5 boards, but he only shoots about 28% from three-point range. You do have a 51% three-point shooter in Tommy Lewis, who's been able to contribute right around eight points per contest. And to his credit, he's been able to give you double figures in each of the last five games. But with that said, with his Texas A&M Commerce team, they've had to play each of the last two games without him, so I had to downgrade them big time because he is their main form of outside shooting. Meanwhile, you've got Boogie Anderson on the flip side from Southeast Louisiana, giving you right around four and a half assists per game. Texas A&M Commerce does not have that trigger man. Nobody that gives you north of two and a half assists per game. And for the Southeast Louisiana team, their offense, it has been launched. At least 75 points at each of the last five games. They played overtime in three of their last four games, but for Texas A&M Commerce, rough go of it for them on offense. They have scored now 66 points or fewer in three of their last five games. This against some of the worst defenses in all of college basketball. Set my total at 141. Commerce looking to play a little bit of a different style in this conference. I am going to be taking a look at the under as a result. And with Southeast Louisiana, made them a seven-point favorite. So going to be looking to lay it. 306, 581. 306, 582. Alcorn State is going to be playing us to Florida A&M. A&M is a 14 to a 14 and a half point underdog with your total 133 and a half with Florida A&M. I did make them a 15 and a half point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Florida A&M. His team is a bottom five team in all of college basketball. They shoot as collective about 30% from three-point range. They just had a tough time with their defensive efficiency as well as their bottom 50 team. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis as well. They don't necessarily do a good job of being able to generate swipes. And for Alcorn State, this squad needs some help in terms of three-point shooting, shooting 29.5% as a committee. But Keandre Montgomery was out for a few games to begin the season. Mississippi State transfer, he's back. He and Dominic Bruton are combining for 25.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, per game, and you've got Montgomery now shooting 90% of the free line, and when it comes to the Southcorn State team, you've got six different guys that give you at least six half points per contest, and among their top six scores, Four of them give you at least 4.1 rebounds per game as well. And then you take a look at Florida a and You've got really one guy that is able to give you north of four rebounds per game. Down low, you get 9.7 rebounds per game out of Jalen Bates. They've been able to get back Dominguez Stevens. He's a big contributor for the team. Comes in from Seton Hall. Has been able to give the team 13 plus points in three out of the last four games. So he's been able to help out on that front. But it's a Florida A&M team that still has had a really rough time on offense. 60 points or fewer in four of the last five games. You've got an Elkhorn State team, meanwhile 
basketball that scored at least 75 points in each of their last five games. It is an Alcorn State team that they themselves have given up at least 74 points in three of their last four games. I do think that Alcorn State, with the way that they generate over eight and a half steals per game and Florida A&M turns the ball over, over 17 times per game, it's a bad matchup for them. Set Alcorn State as a 15 and a half point favorite. We'll delay the number semi total at 135 and a half. I think that Alcorn State cranks up the tempo. So looking at the over and we'll delay with Alcorn State. 3 at 6583, 3 at 6584. New Orleans is going to be playing us during Northwestern State. Northwestern State between a three and four point favorite totals between 148 and 149 with New Orleans. Set them as a six-point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay with the Northwestern State team that you've got a good trio that all followed their coach over from Missouri State. Demarcus Sharp, Javonta Black, Isaac Haney. These guys have been terrific. Haney's able to give you 11.5 points, four boards, shoots about 30% from three, and then Sharp and Black, they combine for 31.5 points. Sharp gives you 4.4 assists on 51% three-point shooting. They also bring in the uh, I believe, relative of Gage Prim and Dane Prim, who's been able to give you seven points, three boards, shoots 40% from three-point range, flip side for New Orleans. This has really been your top over team in all of college basketball last four seasons. You've got a Denver transfer that gives you 16 points per game in Jordan Johnson, but absolutely nothing down low for this New Orleans team. Despite the fact that they're in the top 15 in terms of possessions per game, nobody that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Caleb Wilson-Rouse does give you 10.5 points per game, and you've got Johnson being able to give out 4.3 assists per game. Nobody really helps him out too much. Daniel Sackey only gives you a right around three points per contest while giving out two and a half assists per game. New Orleans does shoot 37.5% from three, but that said, they also turn the ball over nearly 18 times for contest. It is a Northwestern State team that they've been able to get their offense going 77 plus points in three of their last five games. Meanwhile, for New Orleans, the turnovers have just completely killed them as they have now given up at least 79 points in two out of their last three contests. They've been all over the place with regards to their pace, and I do think the Northwestern State going to do a nice job of being able to turn defense into offense. Did some my total at a 148 because I do think that there's going to be a lot of wasted possessions in this game looking at the under with Northwestern State. It's been one of your better cover eight teams at all of college basketball, which is why I did set them as a six-point favorite. Northwestern State 13-5 and five against the spread, so won't delay the number and going to be taking a look at this total under three, a 6585, 3 a is going to be playing us Bellarmine. Bellarmine is a seven-point underdog totals between 133 and 133.5 with Bellerman. I did set them also as a seven-point underdog. I'm seeing a couple straight six and a halfs out there, and at six and a half, it would be my buy point on Lipscomb. Lipscomb coming off of a pair of back-to-back wins over Austin P. And when it comes to this Lipscomb team, you got Jacob Onyesovic. He's not shooting threes the way that he did a season ago, but he is able to give this team 16 points per contest. He's able to chip in their four boards, and then Asan Asadula at six foot ten. He's a point forward right around eight points per game, way down from past seasons, but he's able to find other guys open, six half boards, three and a half assists, a block, a steal per game, and for Bellarmine, they are a bottom 20 team in terms of possessions per game. They do shoot 37.5% from three-point range, but they're in the bottom 50 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. You've had Justin Betts, who's been able to give you eight points, five boards, three and a half assists, one and a half seals per contest, so he's been able to do a relatively okay job there, and Garrett Tipton is your lone double-digit scorer as Bellarmine really won those holes greater than some of its parts teams with 10.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game, but Betts with his 4.9 rebounds per game, that leads away. Lipscomb is just going to be able to plow down, though. We've got a pair of guys, and Will Pruitt along with Derek Boyd, who have been able to combine for about 20 points. They give you 9 rebounds, and you got Pruitt shooting 44% from 3-point range. It is a Lipscomb team that has been a little bit hit or miss throughout the season with their offense, but it feels like they're starting to find their footing, 75-plus points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Bellarmine team that they've been all over the place with their defense in the last five games. They've given up 74, 62, 80, 41, 
41 and 45 points. I do think that Lipscomb going to be able to crank up the tempo a little bit more in this circumstance. I did set my total at 131 just in terms of sheer possessions. I think that this game goes under, but with Lipscomb, want to lay up to 6.5 with them. Bellarmine, I would need at least 7.5 or more to take a shot on them. 306.587, You got Charleston Southern. They're going to be playing on the Campbell. Campbell is a one-point underdog with your total 140.5 with Campbell. I did set them as a three-point underdog with Charleston Southern. They've been able to do a much better job of being able to take care of the ball. Only about 12.5 turnovers per game after that was north of 15.5 last season. And when it comes to this Campbell team, they've been getting a little bit out of sorts. They're still a bottom 20 team in terms of total possessions per game. They've been able to ascend a little bit more with that regard, but Ricky Clements is having to do everything. 13 points, three assists per game. And for Campbell, despite the fact that they're a relatively slow team, 12.8 turnovers per game, they shoot about 33% from three-point range. You've had J-Pal be able to chip in there, 9.5 points, six half rebounds per game to help out things. And Josiah Lusain has been able to give you about 10 points per game, and that is big because with Lusain, he's able to give you four boards per contest. Pal going to be most likely out of the fold for this team, which means that Charleston Southern, who doesn't necessarily have a lot down low, you've got Tajay Kelly, who's been able to give you 11 points, five and a half rebounds per game. They now have a little bit of advantage down low. You've got Tariq Chavez be able to chip in their 12 points, shooting 37% from three for a Charleston Southern team that they rank in the bottom 50 in terms of points a lot under per possession basis, but more efficient on offense, shooting 34.5% from three-point range. And Claude Harris could be the main headline scorer in this game. Two and a half assists, a steal, 18 and a half points per game. Charleston Southern has been able to look a little bit more promising recently as they've been able to get past the 67-point plateau in far of the last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Campbell team that they have been all over the place in terms of their offense, scoring 63 points or fear in far of the last five games. I do think that Charleston Southern could be able to take it to a Campbell team without their main rebounder and pal. So this is a circumstance in which I did set Charleston Southern as a three-point favorite. We'll delay it. Set my total at 135.5. Campbell playing at one of the slowest bases in all of college basketball. Charleston Southern outside the top 225 in terms of possessions per game. So looking under and we'll delay it with Charleston Southern. 306, 589. 306, 590. You've got Alabama a playing against the Texas Southern. Texas Southern is a one-point favorite in your total on game between 142 and 142.5 over Texas Southern. I did set them as a three-point underdog. Are we going to be willing to take Alabama A&M on the money line? Texas Southern has been overvalued all season long. This defense is not what it once was, and they're shooting as a collective, about 26% from three-point range. That's one of the worst marks you're going to find in all of college basketball. Alabama A&M, top 75 team. In terms of possessions per game, 262nd in the country. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but giving up 11 points fewer per runner possessions at home rather than on the road. And then for Texas Southern, it's a squad that is now 239th in the country. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, Davon Barnes has been able to give you 15.5 points per game, so that's been helpful. Jordan Carl Nicholas, when he's been out there, 11.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game, but he's been banged up all season long. It is a a bunch in Texas Southern that also shoots about 62% of the free line for Alabama A&M. Messiah Thompson comes in from Campbell, and he's been able to give the team 10.5 points, 3.5 assists per contest. Garrett X, 15 points, 1.7 seals per game, and Alabama A&M, they generate 9 seals per game. They shoot 39% for three-point range. They gain the Morehouse College Big man in Eliza Blaze Okanobi, who's seven feet tall. He's able to give you right around five and a half boards, two blocks per contest. Alabama AM going to be able to win the block party down low. We've got a Texas Southern team that they have now given up at least 70 points in each other last five games. Very weird to see that for Alabama AM. Certainly the defense leaves a little bit of something to be desired, but still 72 points or fewer given up in four of their last five games going up against the Texas Southern team that really can't shoot. I like Alabama AM in this spot. Set them as a three point favorite. Going to be taking them as a money line underdog. And with this total set, my total at 13. Just because Texas Southern has had such deficiencies with their shooting and their roots are with the defense. So looking at the under and Alabama AM on the money line, 3-6-5-91, Alabama State is going to be playing us Prairie View. Prairie View between a two and a half to a three-point favorite. And your total between 136.5 and 137 with Prairie View has set them as a 
three-point favorite. Willing to lay the two and a half with them. Prairie View has been unable to generate as many turnovers as they have in the past, and it is a squad that is only shooting about 27% from three-point range. Nikia Ruti, who comes in from Monmouth, is able to give you right around four boards per contest. He's been able to improve recently, and Yahuza Razzis is back in the fold after being a bit banged up 11 points, six half rebounds per game, but William Douglas, who comes in from SMU, sealing half, 15 points, Four and a half rebounds per game. He's going to be the most dominant player in this game. He's been with Isaiah Range on the flip side for Alabama State. Given this team 14 and a half points per contest, Alabama State shoots 32% per three, but they're 37% field goal shooting. That is dead last in the country. You do have TJ Madlock comes over with his father, Tony with 12.6 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.4 seals per game. But that said, this is an Alabama State team that they've left a lot to be desired on defense. And when you shoot only 36 to 37% from the floor, that's not great. 315th in the country is Alabama State. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, it's a Prairie View team that they've taken a fall off from recent years, especially with not being able to generate as many seals. But still, 138th in the country. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, that should allow Prairie View to be able to get the job done. It is an Alabama State team that's 111. Six against the spread, but they've had a little bit of a tougher go of it recently. And it is a Alabama State team that just still has had a really difficult time being able to generate offense, scoring 70 points or fewer in three of their last five games. Meanwhile, you got a Prairie View team that in regulation has not allowed 70 points within this whack this season. So, set Prairie View is a three point favorite, willing to lay two and a half with them. And with this total, set my total at a 137. So, we're also going to be riding with this total over on the 136 half 306, 593, 306, 594. Arkansas Pine Bluff plays us to Southern. Southern is a five-point favorite with your total 145. Southern is a team that ranks in the top 45 in terms of possessions per game. Arkansas Pine Bluff in the back half of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game could only set Southern as a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Southern does a good job of being able to generate steals as they get right around nine-and-a-half per contest. Brian Whitney along with Bryson ATN combined for 23 points for a squad that shoots 37% from three. They, too, shoot right around 37% as a collective, but for Southern, you've only got one player that gives you north of four rebounds per game and Tyrone Lyons and that's where Pine Bluff is going to be able to take hold. Sean Doss he's able to give you 16 points, 4.8 rebounds doesn't shoot it well from 3 point range but does a good job giving you 2 assists per game and for Arkansas Pine Bluff each of your top 3 scorers and Doss, Kyra Milton Chris Green they all give you at least 1.3 steals per contest. Milton and Green they combine for 24 points per game Green is able to shoot 35% from 3 Ismail Playit is able to give you 6 rebounds per game and each of your top 5 scores for Pine Bluff they give you at least 4 rebounds per game Pine Bluff is going to be able to hold in this game on the glass Set this number at two and a half. I'm gonna be willing to take the points set by total at 144 and a half. I think the Pine Bluff gets this game slowed down. So looking at the under and the points here at 6595 through 6596. Lamar gonna be playing with Incarnate Word. Incarnate Word is in a pick'em game with your total 141 to 141 and a half. Is Lamar as one and a half point favorite? I think that home court advantage is going to be very big in this spot, involving two teams that have a tough time being able to take care of the ball. And for Lamar, you are going to be having the more dominant players just in general in this game. As for Incarnate Word, they've been dealing with quite a few injuries all season long. Incarnate Word does not have a whole lot other than Jonathan Cisse, who's been able to give you 14 and a half points per game. And he goes up against Nick Calmezzi, who's been able to shoot about 35 and a half percent from three. Had a big game winner, I believe, against Nichols a few weeks ago. He's been able to get the team 15 plus points each of the last five games. Has been able to cut down on the turnovers a little bit more recently as well and for Incarnate Word turnovers are an issue for them as they've been committing right around 14.4 per contest. It is an Incarnate Word team that they rank in the bottom 75 in terms of points a lot under per possession basis. Lamar they rank in the bottom 30 as well but 
We've got down low, gentlemen, and you two, Yamanachi Williams, who's been able to give you a little bit over seven rebounds per game for Lamar. That is going to be very big against an Incarnate Word team that has Brandon Swaby giving you five rebounds per game, and that's really their leader down low. It's an Incarnate Word team that has given up at least 75 points in five straight games. Meanwhile, for Lamar, a little bit of credit where credit is due. They've given up 66 points or fewer in two other last three games, being able to win quite a few games at home on the road. It's been a little bit of a different Lamar team, so willing to back Lamar at home, set them as one half point favorite, set my total at 139 and a half as well. With Lamar's improved defense. So, looking at the under and Lamar on this pick up line, 306597, 306598, Florida Gulf Coast plays us to Kennesaw State. Go Owls, as Kennesaw State's a four point underdog. Total on this game is 142. And with Kennesaw State, I did make them an underdog of four points as well. If you take a look at some of the early openers that we were seeing, we were seeing Florida Gulf Coast more on a two to a three point favorite. And I'd be willing to lay that number of Florida Gulf Coast for Florida Gulf Coast. They've got back and full Zach Anderson, who's been able to do a solid job down low, being able to give you right around seven rebounds. He's able to pop threes as a big man. Meanwhile, on the flip side for Kennesaw State, it's a team that has a collective. They shoot right in the neighborhood of about 38% from three-point range. You've got a team that's been around as a collective, but you don't necessarily have a ton down low. You've got a pair of guys that combine for about 11.5 rebounds per game. It has been Robinson along with Brandon Stroud. They combine for 19 points per game. Chris Youngblood along with Tyrell Byrne. They combine for 26.5 points, 2.8 steals per game, and they both shoot above 44% from three-point range. But Florida Gulf Coast has been able to do a relatively solid job with their perimeter defense. They shoot about 34 and percent from three-point range. Anderson and Isaiah Thompson combined to shoot about 38% from distance. Thompson has been able to give you 13 points per game. You just have more overall scores for the team. Demir Bishop, Caleb Cato, they both give you about 7.5 points per game. Cato has been able to give you 3.5 assists per game, and both of these guys combined to shoot about 40% from three-point range. Chase Johnson, who comes in from Sesson, 1.7 steals, 11.5 points per game, and Florida, of course, the far better team in terms of defensive efficiency, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a Florida Gulf Coast team that still could use a little bit of seasoning, but with that said, they're right around 135th. Meanwhile, Kennesaw State, they are 195th, and for Kennesaw State, they're giving up nearly 13.8 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. So, a circumstance where I did set my total at a 140 despite the fact that Florida Gulf Coast is a team that ranks in the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game. A big reason why I do like the 142 under and Florida Gulf Coast won't lay up to 3.5 with them. 306.599, 306.600. is playing us to Lafayette. Lafayette and Lehi are in a pick'em game. Totals between 133 and 134. And with Lehi, I set them as a 2.5 point favorite. It is a Lehi team that has a lot of top-end talent and they're able to do a good job of being able to shoot from three-part range as a collective. Lehi shooting a little bit over 36% from three-part range going up against a Lafayette team that is in the bottom 25 in terms of total possessions per game. Lafayette, they do have a few guys that are able to do a solid job at the top, like a CJ Fulton, who's been able to give you 11 points, 5 boards, 4.8 assists, shoots 42.5% for 3. Leo Boyle shoots 44% from the outside, 12.5 points per game out of him, and then Kyle Jenkins, 11 points, 6 rebounds per game, but you still have Justin Vanderbond, a 7-footer that's only giving you 4 points, 2 rebounds per game, and then for Lehigh, trio of guys. Tyler Whitney, Sydney, Evan Taylor, Keith Ingots. They've been able to combine for 42 points per contest. Whitney, Sydney, and Taylor combined for 11 rebounds per game. All three of Taylor, Higgins, and Whitney, Sydney shoot at least 43% from three-point range. It is a Lehigh team that they commit 13 turnovers per game, but for Lafayette, despite the fact that they play super-duper slowly, they have all of a sudden been giving a little bit more up on defense, giving up at least 67 points in three out of the last five games. Meanwhile, Lehigh, they come in on a five-game burner run, giving up 70 points or fewer in four out of these five games, and they have scored at least 
least 72 points in each of their last five. I think that Lehi, with their recent form and having better shooters, get the job done at home. Set them as a two and a half point favorite. We'll to take a look at them on a pick'em line. Semi-total 128 and a half as well. I do think that both of these teams are going to rein it in a little bit more defensively, and I do think that both teams are going to be able to guard the perimeter, which is where both teams do create a lot of their scoring. So looking at the under and looking at Lehi. 306 601 Mississippi Valley State plays also Grambling. Grambling is an 8.5 point favorite, and your total on this game is between 130 and 138.5 with Mississippi Valley State. Set them as an 11 point underdog. I'm going to be looking to lay it with Grambling. Grambling has been one of the better defensive teams in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, as they currently rank 53rd in this category, and they're going up against a Mississippi Valley State team that, let's call it what it is, they're still one of the most sorry teams in the country. They very nearly rallied to knock off Florida AM, but that said, other than Terry Collins, don't have a lot with this team. Terry Collins has been able to do a solid job, 14 points. He's able to shoot about 30% from three and 31% from the floor. They have been able to get back in the fold as well. Raekwon Brown, 15 points, eight and a half boards. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, 14 plus points at each of the last five games, eight plus rebounds at each of the last three. But for Grambling, Katari Gordon, Seven and a half rebounds, 12 and a half points per game. Former top 100 recruit. He's going to be the best little post player in this game. And then you've got Cam Christian along Shandarius Coward. They've been able to combine for a little bit over 25 points per contest. Coward has been able to shoot 37 and a half percent from three point range as well. Vershawn Cotton has been able to chip in a little bit of something coming in from LIU. Now, with Gordon, he's a little bit questionable for this game. I'm anticipating him being out of the full, but. With that said, what else have you been able to get out of this team is some relatively good production out of both that backcourt, and you've been able to get a little bit more recently out of Malik Lehman, who's been able to give you right around three rebounds per game. You're able to get right around four points, three and a half boards, as well out of Jonathan Aku. He comes in from Stephen F. Austin, has been a little bit of an afterthought, but now has been able to give the team three plus boards in each of the last three games, and should be able to overwhelm a Mississippi Valley State team that is turning the ball for 16 times for contest and not necessarily generating a lot of seals with Mississippi Valley State. They have been able to get past the 70-point plateau in two out of their last three games. That said, they're still a bottom 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And even with Grambling being a little bit banged up, they still have been able to get to at least 73 points in three out of their last four games. So I did set Grambling as an 11-point favorite. We'll take them in this circumstance. Semi-total 127. I think the Mississippi Valley State, a team that ranks in the bottom 100 in terms of possessions per game, could be held down. So looking at the under and looking at Grambling, willing to lay up to 10.5 with them. 306 He's a Christian is going to be playing us at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi between an eight and a half to a nine point favorite with your total one fifty five to one fifty five and a half. With Corpus Christi set them as a ten and a half point favorite. They are one of the best teams at being able to generate turnovers in all of college basketball. Nearly ten steals per game, and you've got Isaac Mushala who's been able to chip in there fifteen points, nine rebounds, about two steals per game. Going up against a Houston Christian team that out of three hundred sixty three D one teams, they rank in the bottom five nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It's, is is a Houston Christian team that does have Brayson Long, who's been able to give you 15 and a half points per game. And with Long, along with Bordek Manang, they've been able to combine for right around eight rebounds per game. Manang has been able to get a little bit of help from Sam Hoffman down low. He's able to give you right around eight points, five rebounds per game. And he's a Christian, does shoot 36.5% from three-point range, but he also turned the ball over over 16 times per game. That plays right in the hands of Texas A&M Corpus Christi. You've got Ross Williams for Corpus Christi shooting 45.5% from three-point range, 10.5 points per game. And then you've got Terry Mardu along with Trevin Tennyson, who've been able to combine for about 25.5 points per contest. Mardu right around 2.4 steals, 4.9 assists per game for 
a Corpus Christi team that shoots 35.5% from three-point range. Both of these teams play at a rather rapid pace as you got Corpus Christi giving you 80-plus points in four of the last five games. Meanwhile, Houston Christian, they have given up at least 80 in three of their last four contests. I did set my total at 152.5. I think the Corpus Christi going to create a lot of dead possessions for Houston Christian. So, looking at the under, willing to lay up to 10 with Corpus Christi. And we're things up with 306.05, North Alabama going to be playing up to Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas between a 4.5 and 5-point underdog. 156.5 to 157 is your total end. This is a rematch of a game that we actually just saw a few days ago. And in that contest that we saw a few days ago, it was North Alabama who won 78-73 to on the road. This is a Central Arkansas team that they had in that game. A triple-double out of Cameron Hunter. 20 points, 12 rebounds, and 11 assists, and they still lost. They went 13-34 of from three-point range in that game, while North Alabama went 5-17 of from three. And Daniel Ortiz, he is going to be the best sharpshooter in this game. 12 points per contest for North Alabama, shooting 41.5% for three-point range. You do have download someone in Maine Forest who's been able to give you nine points, seven rebounds per game as well. Will Sosi, he's able to chip in there right around eight points, solid three-point shooter. And for Central Arkansas, a allowed able to shoot 40% from three for a Central Arkansas team that ranks in the top 25 in terms of possessions per game, turns the ball for 14 and a half times per game. Cool, you allowed 13 points per game with five and a half rebounds per game. Hunter overall for the season. Everything 17 points, five boards, four assists. Good player. Probably not going to put up another triple-double in this game. And then when you've got guys like Ian Clintman only giving you right around four and a half points per game. You've got Churchill Bounds be able to give you about four points per contest. Try to give you a little bit of size, but North Alabama Typically, a little bit outgunned down low in this circumstance. That is most likely not going to be the case. It is a North Alabama team that they have allowed at least 70 points in every one of their last five games. But that said, offense has really been able to crank up for them as well. They've been able to score at least 70 points in three of their last four games. And they're going up against the Central Arkansas team that is one of the most sorry teams in all of college basketball in terms of defense, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They rank 326th. North Alabama certainly has their warts as they rank right around 331st as well. But that said, I do think that with North Alabama coming home, they should be able to get the job done once again. Semi-total at a 153. I think that you get something similar to game one. Looking at the under of North Alabama, set them as a six-point favorite. I think that they're going to be able to take down Central Arkansas again, so going to be willing to lay the number of that. We'll wrap things up for the Saturday edition of Coast Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you like what you're hearing from this five podcasts, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and tune in. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you have one or two ways we offer those in. For First one is my Twitter timeline at GNRS41. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean doesn't matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other way, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And I have these up coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 